detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. And the dragon gets this old. There's nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Hal's Care Hall, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, Celestial event. How it works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, the crossroads where science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Bill Van Vegel from up in Canada. Bill, how are you doing tonight? I am doing great. As we currently record, I have one day left of teaching, and then I have two weeks off. So it's starting to smell a lot like Christmas. Not feel, just smell a lot like Christmas. Uh, I was, I was actually literally, uh, sorting out my stockings for my various people that I buy for, uh, for a wonderful Christmas morning. But one thing I've been doing for the past week, week and a half is basically every free minute I have is watching Christmas movies of various kinds for my various podcasts. This one is no different. I look forward to who we have coming on. I look forward to discussing these and ladies and gentlemen, I have some beauties. Yeah, that you do. So we do have a Christmas episode tonight. We did a, a few last year. We kind of this year, due to time and everything else, we've got a couple different uh, kinds of Phantom Galaxy episodes. But we do we we basically are recording just this one Christmas episode, as far as sort of like a roundtable discussion of movies. But we have a few fun ones from last year that I'll put the links up on the Facebook page and on the group page over the next couple days. Where we the last year, I remember we did one with the. Uh, uh, the undead Wookiee podcast that is uh, Hugh Lloyd. And then um, Peter joined us as well over there. And Peter Nielsen joined us and we had some really fun choices there. We kind of just all went around and in that case chose one movie tonight's a little bit bigger because we do have two guests with us. So I'll go ahead and bring them on. Uh, first up, we have Karen Wagner is back with us. She uh, made her podcast debut on the X-Files season three episode and is a regular fixture with us over there. Now we're looking forward to recording season four, but Karen, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Nathan, I am, uh, I'm doing really well. Um, super happy that you guys have me on tonight. I love talking about Christmas movies. Um, October 1st to January 1st is my favorite time of year. Um, and I wish I could say that I have one more day and then I'm ready to celebrate Christmas, but I pretty much am working every every day and I'm not even close to done with my Christmas shopping. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just about finished up. I, I am not off tomorrow either. I work next week. I did take the week after Christmas off between Christmas and New Year's. However, I will be... Uh, I'll be working pretty much all the way up to you uh, with, with the government often we get off on Christmas Eve, but we'll see. Otherwise, I'm working up uh, till right before Christmas. 
And then our second guest tonight is Brian Scott, who was also just recently with us uh, on an episode of Phantom Galaxy. And he was here for the Thanksgiving movies episode. And we thought it would be really fun. I know Brian's a big fan of uh, Christmas movies. And we thought it would be uh, fun to have he and Karen on together. And Brian, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Nathan and Bill. I'm so happy to be on here with my good buddy Karen as the other guest. Is it going to be a fun night? I'm in the Christmas spirit and ready to talk some Christmas movies. Yes, and we have so many Christmas movies that we're just we're just about going to jump right into this uh, because we each picked two. I think it's a little ambitious. We didn't have any real criteria. In fact, we kind of opened it up to say really whatever genre is fine. I put a moratorium on most Hallmark movies. I'll put that out there up front. Um, nobody objected very much to that. Uh, but... Uh, and in fact, no one suggested any Hallmark movies, so I didn't even have to try and compromise. <laughs> but what we'll, we did is we each picked two, and because there were no rules, you're going to get a pretty varied swath of movies. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a there's a there's a couple here that you may have never heard of before. There's a couple here I guarantee you've never heard of before. There's a few here you'll hope to never hear from again, and. <laughs> Then there are a couple that are sort of the tried and true classics, but it was really fun uh, to go back and see uh, even the movies I'd seen before, and particularly some that I'm like very deeply familiar with. It was really fun to go back and kind of watch them, particularly with the light of, okay, we're going to talk about this later. Can I, can I see something I've never seen there before? So what we're going to do is go ahead and get started with Karen. Karen will open up with her first choice, uh, her first movie. And what do you have for us, Karen? Okay, so my first movie um, that I'm going to talk about tonight is the original Black Christmas from 1974. Um, I picked this movie for a couple reasons. Um, Honestly, I'm pretty sure most horror fans have seen this movie. Uh, But since this is a Christmas episode, you could have some listeners who aren't super familiar with horror. So I thought this would give me a chance to talk about this. And it was a way for me to sneak in an extra movie because I'm going to talk about Black Christmas and then I'm going to talk about another movie right after that. Um, And my love for this movie knows no bounds. It's my all-time favorite Christmas movie. Um, It's my favorite slasher ish movie it's always in my top five top ten it's a comfort movie for me I watch it multiple times every year I love every part of it from their clothes the house the characters the well before it gets bad the warm cozy atmosphere in the sorority house Uh, I think Bob Clark does an amazing job kind of drawing you into the movie Um, You can feel how cold it is outside and the inside of the sorority house. It's so 70s Christmassy to me. I swear I can smell that burning smell of those C9 bulbs that we used to use on Christmas trees back then. Um, But for those who don't know, the premise of the movie uh, that I pulled from Letterboxd is a sorority house is terrorized by a stranger who makes frightening phone calls and then murders the sorority sisters during Christmas break. And that is actually pretty accurate. Um, This movie does not have a ton of blood or gore in it. Um, It still has some pretty cool kills, uh, including one with a 
a glass unicorn that's also shot in an interesting way, kind of through this line of all these different glass figurines. I think um, for me, the R rating is more about the language in the phone calls than anything else, and maybe Barb a little bit. Um, it does have a really great cast. Uh, Margot Kidder is the very outgoing Barb. She's always got a drink in her hand. She's cursing. She's always got a smile on her face and she likes to share her drinks even with the little kids at the Christmas party that they throw for the underprivileged children. Um, Olivia Hussey is the uh, sweet kind of main protagonist Jess who has her own personal drama going on as the movie unfolds and not sure to how to pronounce his name. Keir Delay is Peter, her high-strung, artistic, pushy, if you ask me, boyfriend. Um, Andrea Martin stars as Phil, the very rational sister, and I'm thinking this must have been made pretty close to when she made that classic Cannibal Girls. Um, Marion Waldman, she stars as Mrs. Mack, the house mother. I love Mrs. Mack so much. She's got little bottles of sherry hidden in so many different places around the house. Uh, but a not so fun fact, she was my age when she made this movie. I thought she was like 70 years old. No, she was my age. <laughs> um, and then John Saxon uh, stars as Lieutenant Fuller. He's uh, patient, capable, trustworthy, comforting. You know, he's the guy that's going to help the girls. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when the first girl, Claire, goes missing. A few of the girls at the sorority house and Claire's father go down to the police station for help. And uh, Margot Kidder, or uh, Barb, gives Sergeant Nash the phone number for the sorority house with her made-up new exchange fe and uh poor sergeant nash is clueless even later when lieutenant fuller's bringing it to his attention um what she says which i, I won't share here but um all he could say is i know it's something dirty ain't it um <laughs> and uh if you have seen this movie i'm sure that you probably love it as much as i do if you haven't seen it, you should 100% go watch it right now. Um, it's actually free on Shudder. Uh, and just as an FYI, if you have HBO Max, the 2019 film with the same name is on there. That is not this movie. Um, I have seen that movie. I also saw that one, I think, from 06 or 07. 06. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of either of those movies. I don't hate them quite as much as I think some of the fans of the original movie do. <laughs> um, I think the 2019 movie would have just been so much better if they had left out Black Christmas altogether and called it something completely different. Um, and I'm not a movie critic, but if I had to give a rating, I mean, this movie, it's easy for me. It's if it's five out of five, 10 out of 10. It's just, it's a perfect movie to me. I love it. Um, so what do you guys think about the original Black Christmas? <laughs> well, Brian, what do you think of this one? <laughs> Masterpiece. This, this is one of my, this probably is my favorite Christmas movie 
with Silent Night, Deadly Night just behind it by a hair. But I'm going to give the nod to this as my favorite Christmas horror movie because it checks all the boxes. The Like Karen said, the atmosphere. This is probably one of the most atmospheric movies you're ever going to see. And it really captures the early 70s, like she said, with the costumes, the decorations. There's always decorations in the house reminding you it is Christmas, which I love. And that's a key thing in a Christmas movie. You got to have decorations everywhere. <laughs> you can't be lazy as a director. And Bob Clark, Bob Clark, we know loves Christmas. So he's got those decorations everywhere. And the movie starts out with the POV scene, which black Christmas enthusiasts will say that's where Carpenter, you know, got his inspiration mm-hmm. for Michael Myers opening scene with the POV entering the house. And you have Billy climbing up into the attic. This is the first five minutes. So no spoiler, really climbing up into the attic and throughout the movie. That's one of the best things about it is that Billy, the, um, I guess, antagonist in the movie, you never really see him. It's a mystery. This is kind of a mystery movie when it's all said and done, but man, this is an amazing movie. I can rewatch this over and over and over and I'll pass it on to you guys. Cause I got a lot <laughs> more to say about it, but let's see what Nathan and Bill think about it. Well, Nathan, you want to take in the, what, what is your opinion of this? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I literally had never seen the original black Christmas until Christmas of 2016. Uh, I was aware of it, but I had never, uh, watched it. In fact, a few years earlier, uh, another movie that may come up on this episode, I had found that one and was mistakenly thinking, Oh, this is the other, this is the Christmas horror movie that Bob Clark, uh, directed and then watched that one realizing that it was not. Uh, and then later finding black Christmas, most likely because in 2016, I probably heard someone covering it on, uh, either horror movie podcast or something like that. Uh, maybe even land of the creeps. And I thought, you know what, let's check it out. And they had just put it on shutter back then as well. And Shutter was relatively new. My wife and I had sent the kids away so we could wrap Christmas presents. And we sat down with all the Christmas wrapping paper, everything ready to go. It was the weekend before Christmas. And I'm like, let's just put something on in the background. Uh, here's Black Christmas. I, you know, it might be a fun little diversion. We can have it on. It's probably not going to require us to, you know, have deep concentration while watching it. And I about 20 minutes into the movie, we were just sitting in a big pile of wrapping paper doing pretty much nothing <laughs> except watching this movie. Uh, and that's down to really how engrossing it is. It really does draw you in. Um, made in 74, it ends up being, uh, you know, it's not a slasher movie. Uh, it has more in common with a Giallo movie, but it's not quite that either. Like Brian said, it really is a mystery. Uh, it's interesting, and I don't know... Don't know that I'm giving a ton away to say it's a mystery without a very clear uh, conclusion as well. That's one of the things I like best about this movie is that while some things are resolved and some things are made clear and some things that we assumed were happening were indeed happening, uh, the final shots of the movie still very much leave a sense that there are things that we don't exactly know about what's happening here. Um, and the the style and atmosphere of the movie are great. It's like you it's like you guys said, Christmas really kind of comes to the forefront here. However, this is a movie where it I mean it, people make the comment about the the argument against Die Hard is well, it could be said at any time of the year. 
Christmas doesn't really matter. Uh, sure, why not? But the same could really be said about Black Christmas because technically speaking, uh, now it does help if it's set in the wintry months, but there's nothing about the setting of Black Christmas or the story that absolutely require it be Christmas. That being said, the Christmas ambiance and all of the the kind of kitsch and warm feelings that come with Christmas, Clark brings that stuff kind of front and center. I think the sort of uh, lighten the mood or make it more warm for most of the film, which it juxtaposes against that creepy, uncertain point of view we have outside the house and then sometimes from within inside the house, and we don't know what's going on and the sense of danger when some of the girls don't show up the next day. You know, that kind of tension is made possible because of how, how kind of warm and sort of fun the rest of the scenes are, particularly with the sorority girls. Uh, you know, Kidder's Barb is well-named. She's always firing some <laughs> shot. Uh, well, she's either downing a shot or firing a verbal <laughs> shot at somebody else. And uh, the scene you mentioned, Karen, one of the great things about Clark is he makes this he he just makes a good movie. He makes a good movie with interesting characters that we like. And that while we may not uh, understand every single one of them, there are enough characters here that we, we, we get to know them and we enjoy them. And some of the best parts of the movie are separate from what we would consider the horror segments. One of them being the sequence where Saxon is sitting there in the police station, uh, the fallout from, from, from Kidder's address when she gives him the number (laughs) and watching those two guys and watching Saxon's face when he reads what this guy has written (laughs) down, what he's, what he's transcribed. That scene goes on for, for quite a bit. It would have never, I, I think in any of the remakes, it never seemed like it would not have existed uh, and that's one of that's one of the things that makes Black Christmas superior to these movies is it slows down to have these little fond asides that build character and build a sense of of uh, fun and enjoyment in the moment, and it, it it lets our guard down. And he does this a number of times, including the scene where they're there. You know, it's a sad ordeal where this father comes looking for his daughter, and there's a good chance he's what he's going to find is a dead body. Uh, when this search is over, uh, that's his fear. That's everybody's fear. And yet they give him a lot of scenes that are humorous precisely because it's him sitting in the sorority, just scowling as Margot Kidder pours alcohol into kids drinks from across the room, like little kids. And that tone, that back and forth creates a very lively sense of things. And I, I loved it for that. Uh, all the performances are great. It's weird seeing a uh, cure delay here you know, playing this college student when he was just, you know, back in 1968, he was in 2001 and he was manning the mission, mm. you know, the Jupiter mission. So you're sort of like, that's a, that's a, that's a few years later and you, you know, now you're, now you're a college student. Congrats. <laughs> but uh, Olivia Hussey is great. She has a very like kind of warm personality. One of the things that's interesting, I'll, I'll mention and move on is the 2019 film, which I really didn't enjoy at all. And it, and it wasn't because of any explicit comparisons to black Christmas. It's just that I kind of feel as its own film, it sort of fumbled. It really kind of posited itself as sort of the feminist take on this. Um, but in a lot of ways, I'd argue that 19, this 1974 film is aiming for some feminist uh, ideas of its own, you know, that it, it's pushing the envelope just a little from what we might expect in, in, uh, 
the agency it allows some of its characters and then the sort of uh you know i think some of the criticisms it makes of some of its male characters particularly i'm thinking of the delay character and the way he's portrayed in the film i don't know what you guys think about that element but even watching the 74 film i thought well this feels a little bit more progressive i don't and it, as you mentioned karen it doesn't linger on the violence it isn't particularly a film that feels uh that it is sort of just brutalizing women uh of course you've got a killer who's stalking girls on a campus but i think for this kind of film you're not talking about something that sort of wallows in the brutality of it i i can't agree more nathan i i unabashedly love this film uh this is in my top 10 all-time horror films and i mean i think it's in my top 20 films of any genre period I mean, for me, I grew up watching this film shot at the University of Toronto, shot in town. It was on the the local TV stations with some regularity. Yet, I can still watch it every year and still find little parts of the film that, oh, okay. Like, there's little intricacies to this. One of the things I like about it is Ray Moore, the writer, wrote a smart film you know it's got nuances of social um relevance at the time this is only one year after roe v wade Mm -hmm. and there's the whole subplot about peter not wanting olivia hussey to get an, an abortion and i mean i don't know a lot of the slashers that were to come later you know, women were portrayed in a certain manner. They're there to advance the plot. They're there to get killed. They're there to have sex with certain individuals. This one, I will argue, is a, as big a feminist film as there is around out there. And it really portrays women in a strong and positive way. Bob Clark shot this really, really well. And Bob Clark previously, or I, I think it's in the same year, he shot Dead of Night, which is another strong horror and the only other genre type film he shot is Murder by Decree, which is more of a, a mystery kind of deal. But he knows how to shoot a film. What I like about it is the characters, you know, like there are certain characters. It's an ensemble cast and nobody dominates it. Like Olivia Hussey gets the screen time, but John Saxon gets screen time. Somebody you didn't mention, Art Hindle. I really like Art Hindle as an actor. Uh, Andrea Martin plays a, a bit part. John Saxon, as good an actor as he is, he's there for a bit of comedic relief as well. It's a film that you could argue is the first slasher. I mean, I know they go, people talk about Psycho, people talk about Peeping Tom, Bay of Blood. It's obvious that this is a Carpenter influence. Uh, that opening is, you know, I wouldn't say shot for shot, but heavily influenced the opening of Halloween. Oh, oh I did learn a lot about turtle sex. Uh, that i got into this film but i mean overall the whole movie set sets up the last 15 minutes and the last 15 minutes of this film are as riveting as any 15 minutes you're going to get in screen i mean every movie thereafter that has an eye shot has black christmas to thank for it I, i really think stanley kubrick took a couple notes when he did his uh film later you know, the, the, when the movie begins, the attic is only windows that are dark. And you don't realize the relevance of the attic until the last three minutes of the film. 
but it's that got that iconic shot that you're never going to forget. When the killer goes into the room above Margot Kidder and he's in the room, she doesn't even realize she wakes up with an asthma attack and then she meets her demise that much after. I think, I think it's an absolutely brilliant film. Uh, 10 out of 10 for me. Yep. And to speak on Nathan's point, um, this is a very well done, um, I don't know how you phrased it, feminine uh, power movie, I guess. That's what differed for me between this and 2019. 2019 mm-hmm. was in your face, you know, right in the height of, I guess, the Me Too movement type thing, which is great, but it was so in your face. Whereas this one, the women have the power, but it's very smartly written, as Bill said. It's not in your face. It's done in a great way that makes you like the characters. And I don't, there's nobody out there. I, I can see people out there that watch 2019 and they're like, mm, God, annoying. But anybody that watches this, there's, nobody could say Jess is annoying. She's such a lovable character. And Margot Kidder, to me, steals a show with, like you said, Bill, the turtle <laughs> mating process. And she just loves messing with uh, Claire. Is it Claire's dad? <clears throat> she just loves messing with Claire's dad through the whole time. He's worried about his daughter. She's a bo- glass of wine in every scene. And we didn't really bring up much about the phone calls yet, which most people say are the highlight of the movie. That was way ahead of its time, too. And I believe Bob Clark voiced these phone calls <laughs> himself in recordings. And, man, they are over-the-top, nasty phone calls for 1974. Films of the 70s. <laughs> like, they are flat-out dirty phone calls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's legitimately shocking when you hear the first one. And and it's shocking for some of the reasons that we are mentioning in the language. And, of course, some of the later phone calls are shocking because of what you're hearing and what you think you shouldn't be hearing uh, not, 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 not words, but just the sounds. And you're wondering what is happening here. It's very, uh, it's very unsettling. It's very disarming. And I think that that's the moment turning this movie on, you know, I, my wife and I were thinking, oh, it's, it's going to be this, you know, 1970s sort of slasher style film. And then the minute you get that first phone call, you're like, wait a minute, hold the presses. <laughs> Let's, but it's not just the phone call. Mm-hmm. It's also the way Margot Kidder sort of takes control there and jumps right in on the phone call and is sort of matching him, you know, and that's really interesting too. So what you have is you don't just have some young girl holding the phone with a horrified look on her face. You instantly have these, uh, you know, these sorority girls that reasonably so, particularly if they think what they're all they're dealing with is a raunchy phone call is that they're going to sort of have some fun with it. I mean, the other thing I like about this is, it sh- it shows college women not as as li- I like to call them like the jiggly girls like they're not just there to jiggle, they're they're more mature girls you know they're wearing stayed sweaters and things and they have some substance to them, they're not just throwaway characters whereas some of them you know where they're gonna die, but they're not just yee ha 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 let's have a beer let's have a joint let's go screw no. Yeah, pillow fight, you know. (laughs) As much as I love Slumber Party Massacre, that's your photo, you know, your prototypical whatever. This one. Well, and really none of these characters are defined by their sexuality the way they would be, you know, about 10 years later in slasher films. And I I understand what you're saying, Nathan, where, you know, you got a bit of Jugalo-ish in this. You got a bit of Agatha Christie in this. You got a little bit of of just an old-fashioned black and white film noir 
in this film. You, you've got it all, but I can see where the, you know, where the tropes of some of the slashes that are happening four or five years later, where this heavily influenced their ability to be successful. And one of the most haunting final shots, in my opinion, in a horror movie, um, specifically too, because you're just left sitting there thinking, wait, you know what, what you did, they did, they, you know, it's the Christmas movie, but they don't wrap it up in a bow. Not at all. <laughs> no, that final shot is one of the most almost depressing final shots. Yeah. Of any movie. Yeah. It's the lonely humbug really, side of really Christmas. Dark. And, yes. you know, the, even though the true final shot of the film is really just the exterior, you know, it's where we began in a sense, exterior of a house. Mm-hmm. The implications there are just very and different. Am I the only one that was, no matter how many times I watch it, I keep yelling at the, at the screen for the police officers, just look in the bloody attic. <laughs> why, why are you waiting for the state police? Just look in the attic. What are you, <laughs> or look up at the window. They don't even have to go up in the attic. Just peer up at the window. Yeah. Yeah, the, other, the other thing I always noticed was the town that they have it in uh, is uh, is the uh, town called Bedford Falls. Was that a nod to Bedford of It's a Wonderful Life with the Christmas tie-in? Mm. Yeah, yep. for sure. <laughs> but the last neighborhood I lived in was Bedford Falls, and that's all I thought about. Now, back then, this was 20 years ago, I related it to Wonderful Life, but now I wish yeah. I would have remembered it was Black Christmas. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. think it's any coincidence. But Mm-mm. Well, I didn't give this one a rating, but yeah, I would go about a nine on this one. It's a great film. It is on Shutter right now. And I this year, I did go ahead and pick up the Scream Factory Blu-ray of it, which has some wonderful uh, bonus features on it. It's a great transfer the film it's got some wonderful cover art it's a really great release uh so if you're someone who either doesn't own it on physical media or wants to get it that way uh, i would highly recommend the scream factory release of black christmas so karen what does this lead into so so this leads into me somehow getting to squeeze three movies in here so uh oh you're not the only one (laughs) The second uh, part of of this review is going to be for a movie called uh, It's Me, Billy. And this is a movie from 2021. It it was a not-for-profit fan fiction sequel to Black Christmas. Um, This is a movie that uh, Brian actually is the one who suggested people go watch this. And I don't know why, but for like weeks, I did not go see it um, or go to YouTube. It's it's free. It's on YouTube. It's a 42 minute watch. It's very short. um, And he recommended and I kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then finally I saw it. Um, It's. It's not what I was expecting when he said it was like a fan movie. I was completely picturing some kind of found footage type uh, movie that was going to be something that took place right after um, what happened in in Black Christmas. But this was um, written and directed by Bruce Dale and Dave McRae. It has a very small cast. Almost the entire movie is really just three people. Um, there's, uh, Victoria Marrow plays Sam and Sam is Jess's granddaughter. So this movie takes place about 50 years after 
Black Christmas or close to that. Um, it also stars, um, let's see, Malika Henny Hamadi as Justine and Shelby Handley as Emma. They're like her two uh, friends. And then there's a neighbor, Mrs. Crane, that's played by Carol Coltman. I think they did a really good job with casting Jess's granddaughter because I thought she even looks a little bit like uh, like Jess from the first movie. Um, first of all, I have to talk about the production quality. Again, this is not what I was expecting when I heard fan film. Um, like this was done with professional equipment, real actors. Um, it was crowdfunded by Indiegogo. If I had known that they were trying to get support for a sequel to Black Christmas, I would have supported it. Um, the movie looks beautiful. I mean, for a fan film, it's it looks crisp. It looks cold. Uh, not to mention there's another gorgeous house in Canada that I want to go live in. Um, the acting's pretty decent. They have some little nods to the original movie all throughout this one. Um, but this follows Jess's granddaughter. Um, Jess had apparently become a successful writer. She wrote a book about the sorority house murders. Um, and it's not too much of a spoiler to say that we're meeting up with Sam, her granddaughter, right after her grandmother has died. And it seems that Sam and two of her friends, they tried to visit the original sorority house, but they weren't allowed in. So Sam brings her two friends home to stay with her at her grandmother's house. Um, and I think they give you just enough time to kind of get to know Sam enough to care about her. And then almost right away, you get some of those POV shots like the original movie. Somebody seems to be watching them through the windows. And then the phone calls start and they're kind of seeming just like the calls from Billy back at the sorority house so many years ago. And from there, it ramps up very quickly. It's only 42 minutes long, so it kind of has to. Uh, I thought there were some genuinely frightening moments. In fact, during one of those phone calls, it gave me like full body chills um, I was really surprised at how good this movie is. Um, I think literally my only complaint was that it wasn't longer and it wasn't done sooner. Um, a rating on this one, I hate giving ratings, but I think I would give it like an eight out of 10. I thought it was really good. And I did watch this little behind the scenes YouTube thing that they did. And the good news is it's gonna have a Blu-ray release at some point. Um, so that will be exciting to be able to go purchase it. So, uh, what did you guys think of it's me, Billy? Well, this was the, uh, second, third, I think it was the third time I'd seen this. Cause I saw it when it came out back at the beginning of the year and being a huge fan of the film, I jumped right into it. I really, really liked it. I'm with you. I'm about an eight and a half to a nine on this film. Uh, shot in Almont, Ontario, which is towards Ottawa way, and it's it gets lots of snow, so it's legit. Um, it is obviously a sequel set 50 years later. Uh, Dave McRae, the guy, one of the two co-directors, tells the story I've heard a couple times where he actually went up to the actual house where Black Christmas was shot and wanted to use the house you know, for shooting purposes or even just the front vestibule or what have you. And I guess the people that live there 
for the last 48 years or whatever. They've been getting people knocking on the door all the bloody time. So they didn't even get in the house. People were just like, no, (laughs) sorry, bye, go away. (laughs) So he didn't even get the chance to get in there. So they found this house out in uh, Eastern Ontario and did this. And I liked the opening shot, kind of the overhead shot, the drone shot. Mm. And you're kind of introduced to the characters at the beginning. You kind of see what their relationships are like and that kind of thing. You know what my complaint is? Billy's hair was awful. Oh. He <laughs> looked like a an 80s hair band guy who hadn't combed his hair. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, and, and if he's supposed to be 75 years old, it's still blonde. Really? Mm. But, but, but other than that, I thought it was really well done. Um, I think that it's a movie that if you like horror, if you like short films, if you want to see how a crowdfunded film can work, I think you need to see this film. What about mm. you, Nathan or Brian? Well, I remember. Yeah. I, lo- no, go ahead, I remember, uh, Bill, you reviewing this on one of the weekly reviews for Phantom Galaxy yep. back, I think last winter uh, it was after Christmas it was into the new year, but I, And I remember instantly thinking, I really need to see this. And I didn't get a chance to see it immediately. And so by about, you know, over half of the year had transpired, I realized I hadn't seen it. And I remembered it. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to wait and I'll save it for Christmas and I'll be perfect. And then I can watch it with this one. And so I was glad when Karen decided to kind of do the Black Christmas uh, duo here because it gave me a chance to see it. And I actually just, I watched it because it was the... it was one of a couple films that I hadn't actually seen before the ones we're reviewing tonight. And so I watched it last, I watched it just last night and I really did enjoy it. It's a good example of how a fan film can be done, right? Not just a fan film. It's a good example of how you can approach a sequel and, and do it correctly. Because I, I think the, the advantage that this has over the black Christmas, 2006 and black Christmas, 2019 is that both of those films are really just trying to utilize the name recognition to the extent that it exists to uh, get horror fans sort of into the film. And then we'll do kind of what we want to be fair. 2006 is, is much more of a remake of that story. 2019 doesn't really pretend to be a remake of the story. It's just another horror film set within a sorority and involving girls being killed. And there's, you know, actually quite a bit more to the story than that, but what I enjoy about this and what I enjoy about the concept between behind some of these fan films that makes them a little different than a studio release is that the concept isn't uh, how can we, how can we sort of like monopolize on this title? How can we just give everybody a little bit more of what they had or make them think they're getting more of what they had? Whereas this black Christmas sequel feels fundamentally different than the original movie while still honoring the original movie. And it's really though tied into the characters it's tied into how do we explore more of what, what was happening with these characters, what was happening with that story. We had an unfinished mystery. Those pieces are on the table to be answered and that they answer it in a way where, where it's me, Billy doesn't feel a lot like black Christmas, at least in its atmosphere. I think Black Christmas, as Karen mentioned earlier, is a very warm-feeling film for for most of it. The chillier aspects of it, or when we fear when we fear for the girls and we see the tension and everything rising, this movie begins on a note of melancholy, 
it kind of stays there. The wintry setting feels a lot more cold, uh, a little more desolate, a little bit more chilly, both indoors and outdoors. I love that the, there's a lot of patiently conceived shots. Uh, some of the early shots of just them standing on the porch of this house. I love that they find another big, beautiful house and they don't have to deal with, they find a way around having to deal with, well, this is the sorority house or it doesn't look just like the sorority house. And so they find a fun way to sidestep that. I did enjoy it. The writing and the acting are decent. Are they Are they where you'd want them to be? Maybe not exactly, but I still think it worked. You know, you mentioned Billy's hair. I kind of didn't want to see Billy at all. I, I think that the one downside for me is that it's me, Billy, ultimately like most fan films, you know, they're, they're searching for some intangible thing that was that was maybe held back from the previous films. And sometimes movies hold things back for a reason. So for me, where it ultimately went, I think was fine. I'm glad it is a fan film, not necessarily like a full-blown sequel. Uh, it was just about long enough in my uh, in my personal opinion. And, but I think it's done very well. In fact, it reminds the feeling on this, if you're if you're looking to kind of figure out well, what kind of feel does the movie have? I think it feels a lot more like a more modern throwback movie, something like House of the Devil, Ty West's House of the Devil sprang to mind while watching this one. They're very patient, long shots. It takes a little bit, even in a 40-some minute movie, it takes a little bit before we are in the horror thriller territory. But you can feel the air thickening. You can feel the dread sort of rising. And I think all that's really well done. Uh this is a this is a seven for me. I'll come in a little bit higher than you on that, <clears throat> but I agree with a lot that you said. I give it about a nine out of ten. I mean, Black Christmas ten. This one about a nine for me. I think it did the perfect job of what it was meant to do, and I noticed the music was also really good. I mean, like Karen yes. said, this movie was one of the best fan films I've ever seen in my life. The production value was, you wouldn't even think it was a fan film mm-hmm. watching it. But yeah, the music, you get a lot of boom, 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 uh, deep piano, scene melodies. It kind of reminded me of Peter, almost, in the original mm-hmm. one. And there's so much from the original to add into this one. And we don't want to talk about spoilers, because I want everybody to see this. But like we said about Black Christmas, that final mm-hmm. shot, man, the final five seconds of this one is like, you won't see it coming. I'll tell you that. It's a great, great ending to a movie. One of the best endings to a movie. I don't see how it could have ended any better, in my opinion. And um, the casting was good. The only downfall was um, <clears throat> the Sam, Justice's granddaughter. I wrote down here, she was kind of a bad crier. <laughs> <laughs> like when she hopped in the old lady's car, you couldn't even hear her talk. But then again, who am I to judge if there's some crazy guys killed my friends and chase me out of the house i'd probably be in frantics also but um overall i really liked this movie i thought it was fantastic and i i'd love to see the blu-ray release just to see all the behind the scenes stuff and anything else they do i'm sure they'll put some commentary on there because you know whoever made this uh, dave mccray and i can't remember the other guy's name they obviously were massive fans of black christmas obviously so i really like to see some insight on you know what motivated them to make this movie but I loved it. I am pretty sure it was their love of the original that motivated them. And on that little yeah. special, um, Dave McRae said he, he's convinced that he's not done. <laughs> that he wa- I think he wants to make another uh, fan movie to go after this one. 
I'd be up for that. I would definitely watch it. Especially if you put it free on YouTube. You yes, I, I bet it won't be free on YouTube this time. But <laughs> but that was, yeah. like I said, I was so shocked. Even though you kept saying it's it's really good, like it's it's good, I still kept thinking, all right, I'll go watch the fan film whenever. Yeah, because when you think fan film, you think, like you said, this could have easily been a found footage movie walking around the original house just a money grab, but it wasn't. They put a lot of effort into this and did a really great right. job. I totally pictured someone with their iPhone walking around doing yeah. like a, just a found footage selfie in the whole, uh, that's what I pictured what was going to be in my head. Completely such a good movie. Big surprise. He, that the, one of the things I did appreciate is those phone call sequences and the sequences with the POV shot, uh, the ominous POV shot, you know, it really does pay homage to the first movie with those sequences, but it also gives its own spin on them. It built, it folds them into the movie and the, the cinematography, like I mentioned earlier, there is a patience and a, and a, an artistry to how the shots are blocked, how, how the geography, of the house is introduced to us early. So we have a sense for it later when the kind of action heats up a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's very well made. And I look forward to seeing what else these people will do, uh, even if it is another Black Christmas fan movie. Absolutely. So who's going next? Is that me? No. no That's Brian. Brian. Brian's, Brian's got another movie from the same director. Yeah, let's continue the Bob Clark directing train with Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. No, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> uh, we'll move forward nine years to a uh, not horror movie but still shares bob clark's love for christmas 1983 a christmas story do i need to say a synopsis for this because has there is there anybody that hasn't seen this movie 24 hours a row in a row on a uh, christmas Me day and bill but well you know what up until like three days ago <laughs> bill van vagel <laughs> yeah, apparently I, I, just to let anybody know full confession i had never seen the film until three days ago so we can get into that later. I don't want to interrupt and put the steam out of. Uh, no, I'm, I can't. I can't wait to hear what Bill thinks, especially the Canadian he is, about what he thinks about this movie. But I'll just read real quick, kind of skim along here. Based on the humorous writings of Gene Shepard, the author of A Christmas Story, not the screen. I don't know if he did the screenplay, but he wrote the book, which actually he narrates the movie, I believe. Uh, this beloved holiday movie follows the wintry exploits of youngster Ralphie Parker, played by Peter Billingsley, who most of his time dodging a bully and dreaming of his ideal Christmas gift, a red rifle, air rifle, frequently at odds with his cranky dad, which the dad sure is cranky. I mean, this is a dad from the uh, 50s. But comforted by his doting mother, Ralphie struggles to make it to Christmas Day with his glasses and hopes intact. This movie is one of my favorite Chris, non, non-horror Christmas movies. It may even be my favorite right there with National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Because way back when I was a kid, we didn't have cable. The only time I got to see a movie was renting on VHS. But <clears throat> I never caught this one on VHS. I was at my aunt's house right about maybe mid-80s, 1985, and... I caught it about five minutes into it, and it captivated me. I love this movie. And for years, 
I couldn't figure out the name of the movie because this was back when there was no guide channel. You know, she didn't have a TV guide. I'm for three, four years. I asked everybody, do you know this Christmas movie about a kid who wants a BB gun? And they say, you're going to shoot your eye out. Nobody knew what it was till one day, I guess I saw it on a VHS shelf or somebody told me, and then I fell in love with it all over again. And now here it is being played 24 hours in a row on TNT every Christmas. And my family hates me because it's on TNT for 24 hours in a row. I'm not even lying. Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. I can't get enough of this movie. My, my wife, the other night, I'm sleeping in the recliner in our bedroom. She's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, it's my comfort movie. I'm going to sleep. Okay, leave me alone. But <clears throat> this movie follows Ralphie and just captivates. I, I guess it's about the 50s time period. Am I right about that? Well, I, was, I think it's the 40s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 40s. Okay, right around then. Okay, the 40s. And this is the typical family. You know, you got Ralphie, his little brother, and mom and dad. The dad, like I said before, a grumpy old miser. Typical old man. Oh, the furnace runs down, beats up on the furnace. You know, the mom is, like it said, doting. And, you know, here's the Christmas cookies, you know. And um, Ralphie and his little brother just follows their journey, walking to school, dealing with bullies. Ralphie wanting his BB gun, his Red Rider BB gun for Christmas. It's all a kid that's, you know, eight or nine would want. Uh, when I was that age, that's what I wanted for Christmas. And I was lucky I got it. And it was the happiest moment of my life. I'm sure you guys too back then. And um, this movie, is, it's just such a fun movie. And Bob Clark, just like Black Christmas, does it so good here and even more in A Christmas Story. This movie is about Christmas. It's all about Christmas. And you could see the touches of him being a horror fan in this movie, like with the Santa Claus at the mall. That is one creepy Santa and elves he talks to. And then the teacher, he dreams, he turns in his essay wanting a uh, Red Rider BB gun. Well, she says, you're going to shoot your eye out. And she's a witch, like the Wicked Witch of the West, which came out, you know, just 15 years before, you know, this time period. So it was still a very relevant thing, probably the Wicked Witch at the time. And that was scary. And I mean, there's a lot of scary moments. A lot of daydreaming by Ralphie, you know, about when he gets his BB gun, will he get his BB gun? <laughs> so it's, it's just a good family movie, a good comfort movie. I love Black Christmas from, by Bob Clark because it's, I'm a horror fan. That's a comfort movie for me. But for most people, this is probably more along the lines of their Christmas comfort movie. So I'm really anxious to see what Bill has to think. I can't believe being in Canada, you know, what, what did you think of this movie? I, I'm sure me watching it as a kid, and all the nostalgia probably changes a lot. But as an adult, I'm really curious what you thought of this. Yeah. Okay. If you want me to go first, I'll take that ball and roll with it. I, it's a, a movie I was aware of. But, like, for you guys uh, down south, it's probably on, you know, TNT or, you know, HBO all the time. Or even your local NBC affiliate. It wasn't here. At least for me. So... Like for me, I was telling you guys in the chat, it was always It's a Wonderful Life uh, or A Christmas Carol, the 1930s version. This one is not one that got played as much. Now, I'm, I'm sure it was on, but it wasn't one that I ever watched. My dad never talked about it. My friends never talked about it. So I really didn't have any reason to watch it other than if I just happened to be there when it was on. So seeing it as an adult... I see it through different lens because you guys and girls watched it, you know, from the time you were eight all the way till present time. And so there you got that CND, that cinematic nostalgia disorder. 
that you've seen it for so long it's a comfort movie you like it and i totally understand why it's a it's a well-written story it's it's pretty well acted it's what did i write down it's got that beaver cleaverish feel to it and and that's what this it, it harkens back to a time when life was simpler when you know you sat around listen to the radio you want your bb gun you stare at the uh toy store shop window and see what's going on. I mean, it's very interesting that Bob Clark did Porky's black Christmas <laughs> and this film, three very different films, all well shot all by the same director. It, it was night. A lot of rain. Yeah. A, a death dream. <laughs> the guy did death dream, right? Uh, I mean, Peter Billingsley, I think this is his iconic role. Nobody can think of him without seeing him with those glasses. Uh, Darren McAvin, I mean, I don't think I have to go over his resume. Melinda Dillon, who was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Harry and the Hendersons. You got some pretty good actors in there. I I wrote down there's a good use. I really like the use of the first-person narrative. I thought that was pretty effectively done. I, I really loved I was one of the guys that loved that lamp. I thought that lamp was bloody great. <laughs> Big surprise. <laughs> I would have And Bill, you you I'm sure you've seen this on like a Christmas ornament up until now, haven't uh, well, you? Well, I've seen things of this, but it's usually sitting in a museum. It's not usually in somebody's living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also liked there was an ever I, I you guys will agree there's an ever present melancholy musical score to this uh (laughs) if you don't like it it's going to be like it or lump it it's going to be there (laughs) but what i do like about it is it deals with some of the issues that we're still dealing with now peer pressure bullying relationships with your father and what it's like to be 12 years old I, i mean it may be the 40s but i mean I mean, transpose that to the 2020s is, you know, a lot of the themes are still there. Uh, there's a great, the great scene. I don't want to give up too much, but I mean, you guys have been watching this forever of Ralphie beating up the bully and everybody who's ever been bullied. Anybody who's ever had that really piece of work that's been dealing with you forever is cheering and they know it's wrong. He's going haywire. He's doing more than he needs to, but you're punching along with him. Because you feel it in your gut, just what he does. You know, there's the scene involving Santa when he goes to the mall. Am I the only one that was thought it was pretty freaky, kind of trippy? <laughs> it was almost shot like a Beastie Boys music video with the in and out close ups and yeah, yeah kind of freaky. Yeah. Am I the only one that thought getting a Zeppelin would be a cool gift? I'd love to have gotten a, a, a Zeppelin. That would have been bloody awesome. And as a fellow glasses wearer, I, I felt for him when he broke them. Everybody's been there where you crushed them, you snapped them. I can feel for him. Oh, oh, oh here's the other one. Ralphie gets into a, his pink bunny suit. It reminded me of Donnie Darko. <laughs> and, and I love the fact that they ate Christmas dinner at a Chinese food. Because personally, our family this year, we've been doing so much running around on Christmas Day. We go to the various families. We decided this year we're not going to buy a turkey and we're going to order Chinese. So good on you, family. I'm all there for you. I think we're doing the same. Oh, there you go. So 
on the downside, it is pretty wholesome. It, it does oh. get the downside well, in, in terms of in terms of it's the same theme for the whole film. And yes, you can watch it with your family, but if you're watching it as an adult for an adult movie, it's you like you're watching TV in the 1950s. You're watching you're yeah, watching yeah, my it, three sons. You're watching Leave It to Beaver. You're watching something from that time period, and I I don't always want to watch that. Well, it harkens back to your point of it was a simpler time. Yep. You know, it, it reminds us of a simpler time and just the joys of being a kid. Not that I was alive in the 40s, but, you know, even in the early 80s at that age, it wasn't like now where I want an iPad. I want. To, I mean, I was at a toy store. I wanted that toy. I wanted a BB gun. It was a simpler time. And that's what it reminds me of. So, and it just gives me such a good Christmas. So what feeling. I gave it was seven and a half. My final line was well-told story, a little sappy, but entertaining. And that's my take as an adult for a first-time viewing. Hmm. Well, it's not bad, mm-hmm. though. That, yeah, I'm really. I was really curious to hear what you yeah. said because and, and, I think all Nathan and Karen probably both saw this as children. Am I right, guys? Well, probably like ten, like yes, 10, mm-hmm. twelve, something like that. Yeah, I was probably around that ten, something like that. And and the other thing you had mentioned in the chat was the Canadian connection. Bob Clark was from Louisiana. It was shot in Cleveland, uh, so yes, there is isn't. True. I mean, I think there. It does say Canada. My bet is there was some Canadian money involved in the production or there was. Yeah. Like I told you, he, when he moved up to Canada from there, he fell in love with Canada. He loves Canada. So he tried to keep his ties to Canada, but you're right. This was filmed in Cleveland and maybe that's why it didn't get as much airplay. It's funny. I I asked my wife, I asked my wife, Jennifer, and she said, yeah, she knew that it was on TV, but she goes, "Eh, it wasn't my thing. So I think she'd only seen it once. So, yeah, I think about, what was it, Nathan and Karen, about maybe 15 years ago, they started shoving it down everybody's throat on TNT. They literally play it on a 24-hour mm-hmm. loop from about Christmas Eve at, like, noon till Christmas Day at maybe, like, to, like, two or oh, three. Oh, yeah, I'd say more than 20-some years 20 ago, years, actually, yeah. now they've been doing so it. So everybody um, knows this movie by now, for sure, at least here uh, in the U.S. And one of the... Go ahead, Nathan. One of the fun things about this, though, is uh, talking about it here on the podcast is for those of us who have seen it and seen it maybe ad nauseum or not ad nauseum, but to the point where it's ingrained in your memory. I did rewatch this before we talked about it, but I really wouldn't need it, wouldn't have needed to. I mean, it is a movie that's sort of been subsumed into the culture, but I can still remember the first time I saw it and I was actually in third grade. I think I saw it like you did, Brian, where I uh, did not see it at the theater, didn't see it on VHS. We caught it one Sunday afternoon, like midday it was on, and I think they had showed a little, you know, they'd have the little commercial, here's what's coming up with a few clips of the movie, and they had that scene of Santa just reaching out with his boot <laughs> and, and putting it on the kid's forehead, and I thought, I need to see that movie. <laughs> and uh, when I watched it, it was kind of like a... Uh, like a revelation, like you're watching it and it's funny and it is a little kind of sappy and it has that, gee golly, weren't these great days. Now, when this movie set is sort of debatable, I will say that the calendar show 1939. So, Brian, you're saying like, you know, that Wizard of Oz would have been about 15 years old. Wizard of Oz oh, would have been zero yes. years old. Okay. 
in see, I was originally thinking this was set in the fifties. So you're right. So, it, Wizard, well, it, so Wizard of Oz just came out because I think when they were in the mall, there was actually a set of Wizard of Oz characters walking around. They do the, the flying yeah. monkeys. So, I but got, you know, he was making a point. It was that. So you're right, Nathan. You're right on that one. But you know, I, I all the years I've seen this movie, I don't know that the year person really stands out to me it uh you know i never really thought too much about what year it was other than to think that it was a while ago but you know to the universality of the movie when it came out in 1983 you're talking about already uh the disparity between the time it's set in and the time it's made in is 40 years right yeah so you've got a movie that already and it's about nostalgia i think what keeps it from you know what i think is different about it that bill maybe it would just be sort of schmaltzy and gee whiz and leave it to beaver if you had just what's on the surface there but you do have the you know beaver's dad would have never gone down and cussed out the furnace <laughs> oh that's true <laughs> you know it was funny i was reading about darren mcgavin for that scene they knew it was they wanted to keep it at a pg so it's all just gibberish there's no actual swearing oh it is it's beautiful <laughs> gibberish and and they and gavin had already had uh practice on this on Kolchek the Night Stalker where one of the great things about Darren McGavin was he would just as in his characters would get so flabbergasted they would just sort of start to to spew out uh, sounds that would sort of become words and in this movie I mean the Gene Shepard narration is what sets it apart because you've got the funny stuff that's happening in the film with this kid which would make a fun kind of heartwarming zany at times story uh, but some of those images, the kid sticking his tongue to the pole, the flagpole, and the little brother wearing the coat so tight that his hand, you know, his arms keep springing up, and the Bumpus's hounds. I mean, it's like Norman Rockwell, but as told by Gene Shepard in this overblown kid's mind, it's almost like Dickensian, you know what I mean? And it's so it comes off a little bit smart assed. And I think it's the Gene Shepard narration that makes it the classic. It would have been a really funny, really enjoyable holiday film. But his narration uh, derived from his book and the way he reads it, where his voice gets a little delirious at times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's talking about, you know, the old man painted in, in profanity the way some did in oils and pastels, a true master. <laughs> and you can hear him getting excited when he when we wove a tapestry of obscenities that's mm -hmm. still hanging still in the air over Lake Michigan <laughs> somewhere. I mean... That's the other thing I liked about it was the cutbacks, the, all the dream sequences, right? That you yeah. have as a kid, and the and and you when you're a kid, you sort of recognize it. When you're an adult, you sort of recognize it. Uh, we, you know, the teacher's a witch now because she's not fitting into your, you know, your your scheme to get your parents to buy you a Red Rider Rider BB gun. Yeah. Two two fun facts: the year I saw this movie, I had. I had just started becoming a full-time glasses wearer, as it were, and I dropped mine in the snow at the beginning of Christmas break. And thankfully, a family member found them in the snow before stepping on them. Uh, and this was the same Christmas I got a Red Rider BB gun <laughs> for Christmas. Um, I can't remember. I, I think it might have been as a result of watching this movie. Maybe the only time that's ever happened. But... Uh, that fear that when you think the glasses are crushed, Bill, I'm totally, I still have that fear. I still, I, my, the, the blood runs cold, as he says, when he hears the, the crack I, I, of the I glasses. I was going to say, I can still uh, remember teaching. And, and my, my uh, the bridge of my glasses snapped in half. <laughs> so it's, it's a real yeah, fear. Yeah, I was, I was teaching years ago, and 
I was was working with uh, with kids, and a kid threw something at me. They were they were younger kids, and they were sort of uh, it was under cir- cir- circumstances. But basically, uh, my glasses got broken, and I had to run. You know, I, that night I was headed to college. I went over to the college and had them solder it back together for me over at the <laughs> shop class. I was gonna say, like, I just need a little. I can bit remember grade through. eleven gym class playing handball, and somebody uh, chucked the ball at my head, and they just went about a thousand pieces. So yeah. A couple other notes that I have here. Uh, Gene Shepard actually shows up in the movie in, in, in beyond just his voice. And I don't know if you guys noticed oh. him or not, but when they go to see Santa and he walks up and I literally, I never picked up on it. I didn't read it, but I never, but I didn't pick up on it till this last time I watched it. And because I heard his voice, there's a, when they go to get in line he and his brother get in line to see Santa, they run right up. And then the guy says, no, the line ends here. It starts over there. And that's why he says it. The line ran all the way back to Terre Haute. But if you listen to that guy, and I looked it up in the uh, well, after I said that to my wife, I said, like, Is that Gene Shepard? And it certainly uh-huh. it is. So he, he does physically show up in the film. I was film just going to say the other point. thing I noticed is if you go through the cast, there's a character uh, actor called Colin Fox who played a character called Ming the Merciless. Scenes deleted. I would have loved to have seen what those scenes were. <laughs> so he must have like a um, Flash Gordon type dream or something. Yeah, but... yeah, with being the merciless. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> weird, but kind of cool. And, it, and but maybe it was taken up because he's he's more the Red Rider guy, right? He's more the um... yeah. maybe maybe then alternate uh, fight. You know how he fought Bart in the backyard, right? Maybe it was a mean the merciless type fight scene they cut out. And they're like, eh. This movie wasn't actually out back in the 40s, so wouldn't make sense. But. <laughs> right. But all, all the scenes, the oval teen, like, and I love how oh, everything yeah. is just so sort of incidental. Everything is a small vignette, and then we're on to the next yes. thing. And even says in the jungles of kingdom, the mind just goes from one thing to the next, you know. They're they're being chased home, and then suddenly he's there uh trying to decode this. But I love that the movie gets to have the all warm, you know, uh, Merry Christmas and, you know, uh, Happy New Year feel. But then the bah humbug is sort of in the a little bit of the Gene Shepard narration where you get to 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 temper that a little bit. I don't know if you guys I had mentioned this. I don't know if you guys know this. Maybe watching this so close in proximity to Black Christmas that you, you mentioned the Santa scenes. I think that Bob Clark does employ a few like sort of horror movie touches there. Uh, even before that, there's a shot that in no way really does feel sinister if you're just watching it. But when they go into the mall for the first time, there's suddenly a POV shot going up an escalator. Mm. Uh, and, and and it just holds and it moves. It drifts to the side a little bit. And I think it's trying to capture this idea of how big the mall would be to a kid. And here's the big penultimate moment. You're going to see Santa. And I just imagined creepy, heavy breathing <laughs> over that scene. And suddenly... <laughs> boom it became a black christmas shot and i thought oh bob clark got a black christmas shot into this film and that kind of takes over again when you have the santa who's oh 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 and he's like through a fisheye lens and he's getting bigger but what i love about that scene is you see santa and you see he's just chucking <laughs> these kids down would you be allowed these days to shoot a movie where santa kicks a kid in the behind down the slide. <laughs> well, he put his foot on his head. Oh, right? oh, was his head? <laughs> oh, no. He shoved him in the yeah. forehead. Yeah. I You'll mean, actually, out, back 
Actually, back then, you really had to be much more careful with Santa's image because some of these other movies we talk about, the horror Santa movies came under a lot of fire from, you know, the moral majority at the time. Just a year later. Yes, but here it's funny. I think it's interesting because you see how Ralphie talks about, you know, in, in, in the shepherd recounting his childhood that he talks about his, his desire here uh, is for the red rider BB gun, right? This in, in, in Christmas movies where it, you know, wonderful life, it's a classic and we've got all these uh, Christmas Carol, you know, it's about, it's about Scrooge finding his soul and becoming a better person. And Ralphie just wants some, wants some merchandise. <laughs> he just wants some, yeah, he, wants, he strategically he wants puts a, the ad into the magazine oh, for the Mondays yes. at breakfast. He's being strategic on the whole thing, writing his uh, paper at school about it. A football and how do you? Yeah, <laughs> and Santa fits into the scheme of his life the way God's fits into some other people's lives, where it's sort of like, you know what? I've tried everything else. You know, some kids yeah. would go right to Santa. He's like, I've done every, you know, Santa's the last resort. Once he's done <laughs> every possible thing, he's like, okay, I give up. I guess we're going to have to go. <laughs> we're we're going to go talk to Santa. And yeah. I think what I also like about that scene is that you get Santa and you see how harried he is with all these people there. And, you know, the, these kids with <laughs> His line to the elf is one of my favorite lines in the movie when he says, he just under his breath, I hate the smell of tapioca. And yeah. it's sort of like perfectly encapsulates what this guy's going through. You realize, wait, there's a guy who hasn't been home. He's, you know, he's, he wants to get out of here. These these kids are just coming and screaming the thing they want and then you're moving them on. And uh, you, you get the little bit of humanity there. So he's just this scary Santa figure. But, uh, yeah, there's just so much, I think, to, to love in the movie. Darren McGavin knocks it out of the park. Just hearing him scream, Bumpuses, is basically worth the whole... Bumpuses, dogs! Yeah. <laughs> I, wanna, I just want to add one more thing, and it, it, this is a movie about Ralphie and uh, Randy, the little brother, but I like the final scene in the movie. It makes me so cozy where the dad, the mom, they've completed their mission. They're sitting around looking at the Christmas tree in front of the fire, drinking their eggnog, probably spiked with some whiskey after that long day. And um, and it pans up to the bedroom. Randy's sleeping with his uh, Zeppelin. Ralphie's sleeping with his uh, BB gun. It just gives me such a good feeling. And uh, we haven't heard from Karen. We haven't heard from Karen I was was just going to say, I love that scene when dad goes, yeah, he looks like an idiot. You look like a pink nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Karen. What did you think? <laughs> well, I, I I love this movie. It's a ten out of ten for me too. Um, in the beginning, when all the kids are around the the toy store and the voiceover says "lovely, glorious, beautiful Christmas" around which the entire kid year revolved, that takes me back to my <laughs> childhood and. Granted, it wasn't in the 40s or 50s or 30s, but I it makes me so grateful that I grew up without cell phones or social media or even computers uh, because you did. You had to go to a toy store to to see the toys that you wanted to buy. So I love that part of it. Um, agree with everything that you said. Um, the music. Every time Farkas shows up and they start playing Peter and the Wolf, uh, Peter and the Wolf was yes. one of my favorite musical pieces when I was a kid. And I 
I have the the story with um, Patrick Stewart um, doing Peter and the Wolf, and I just think it's so funny that they play that every time he shows up. Um, you when they're running? No, it's the like the creepy music. It's a dun 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 when he shows up. Oh yeah, when he first shows up. Okay, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, and the the soap poisoning scenario when he. I begged you not to use a life boy. And the dad cursing, that was my dad all the time. So when he does say yeah. that line about the, my father worked in profanity the way the other artists might work in oils or clay, that was my dad. Um, but yeah, I love it. Which makes the moment later when he says, and all he could muster was not a finger, <laughs> all the more poignant. It's so, he can't even come up with a, a comeback. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love the movie every Part no, there's only one part that I can't stand in this movie, and that's his little brother eating. Oh, <laughs> I don't even oh, think it's funny. Like a piggy. Oh, it's so gross, oh. and the way the mom is just laughing. Oh, that's the only part I do not like about this movie. Yeah, well, Ralphie and the dad both have your mutual face of disgust. Exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> McGavin looking at looking with horror on that is the same look he had when he would encounter a werewolf or a vampire at night in the Night Stalker. And here he's watching his kid suck these mashed potatoes into pretty every facial orifice he has. (laughs) (laughs) But I love Melinda Dillon has such a cool like laugh, like like she can't like hold it in. It's a shriek sometimes. Like she's just so amused by it that. Such She'll put her hand to her face, but she just cackles. This movie's cast so well. I can't imagine anybody else playing the parents no, me or either. even the kids. I mean, great casting. And I love at the end when, when he shoots the gun and he goes, I shot my eye out. <laughs> right after the build of the whole movie. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but just all, all the little touches. It's, it's made with affection. It's made with care. It's got a great... Uh, just sensibility to it and you really do recognize it whether you're watching as a little kid or you're watching it as an adult uh my my son was watching and it was a leg lamp when ralphie runs his hand up and yeah major award <laughs> because what do you say that he's like dad remember the what was it the, the 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 warm glow of electric sex i was like don't talk about that. <laughs> let's just keep that under wraps how about the fact that the last shot of this movie is like the last shot of black christmas it is. the 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 exterior of the house it's nice and it's wintry mm-hmm. but two very different feelings <laughs> two very different emotional feelings yep and there's even that you know you talk about how a black christmas it's the the upstairs is the only part that's not lit they do a reverse of that when the when the mother turns the leg lamp off to save electricity <laughs> she tells him and you see the rest of the house is just bright all the yeah. other rooms <laughs> she hates that lamp yeah. i mean she accidentally tripped over it and broke it but that was accidental so <laughs> but yeah I, it's yeah it's a 10 for me too it's me just too. such a wonderful ten. wonderful movie 10 agree and remember, guys, Bill also gave 2001 a Space Odyssey seven, seven and a half. Yeah, so. I liked Flash just as well. <laughs> okay, so let's move on then. And Bill, 
let's talk about one of your films. So we've got we got the height of Christmas. <laughs> oh boy. And now let's go somewhere else. <laughs> well, it, it's I love it. We go from Black Christmas, it's me, Billy, a Christmas story, to one of the underseen Christmas films that people will be opening their eyes to after I review, and they're going to be rushing to YouTube to watch. Now, full disclosure, everybody, I always try to pick films I haven't seen. And by now, if you've been listening for any length of time, you know my sensibilities. I'll dive into anything. So I typed in to Tubi, to Prime, to Netflix, to YouTube for Christmas films I hadn't seen that didn't involve Kirk Cameron. And so... And we thank you. And um, a misstep will come in later in the episode. But I jumped into one called The Magic Christmas Tree from 1964 with a strong IMDb rating of (laughs) (laughs) 2.4. And it is categorized. It actually fits within our genres because it's considered family and fantasy. So I was like, oh, okay, there's a fantasy element to it. You know, maybe the audience will ingratiate myself to this. Here's the synopsis. A boy is given a ring by an old witch. He uses the ring along with a magic Christmas tree, which grants him three wishes. Well, I guess. (laughs) I see it's also on Prime. So if you don't (laughs) want to go through YouTube, you can find it on Prime. It's directed by a man called Richard C. Parrish, which he's done nothing. Uh, else. I mean, I'm sure he's a wonderful individual. He did nothing in the entertainment business. Uh, it stars Chris Crozen, Valerie Hobbs, Darlene Lonis. Nobody has any curriculum vitae or even pictures from IMDb. So that's nothing that we can fall back on. So I go in absolutely cold. Here's what happened. It starts in black and white. You know, there's some boys at opens up with the boys sitting around at school lunch talking about useless things and they they talk about their plans for Halloween and they're going to go to an old house in town that's kind of that haunted house that everybody goes by but very few people actually enter and but they know there's an old woman there that they describe as a witch by the way I don't know if any of you caught it to get to this house they have to walk on Elm Street I did see that. There you go. (laughs) So they get there, you know, there's these mischievous, I think they're about 12 or so, 11, 12. And they get there and they meet this woman who is actually a witch. And then it suddenly converts to color. He climbs up a tree to get her cat. She asks him to do it because she, he was the one that was left behind. And instead of, making him soup or part of some kind of virginal sacrifice. She rewards him with a magic ring. And this magic ring has a large picture of Santa on it. And it says, and it has a seed. And they say, if you plant that seed, it will grow a tree that will grant him three wishes. So, you know, being 12 years old, he's got all kinds of ideas for this. The boy plants the seed and the the tree grows. This is D-grade budget. Now, the film quality is actually better than you might anticipate. Uh, It kind of reminds me of like an industrial film, uh, the film quality and the stiffness of the acting. But even in... 
what he means to say is it looks like it was stored in a giant steel vat somewhere <laughs> for about 40 years. Near an x-ray machine. Mr. Parrish. Mr. <laughs> yes. Parrish digs this out and his grandkids are like, not again, Grandpa. It's, yes. it's, it's kind of trying for that leave it to beaver feel and look. You know, you kind of think that's Ward and June Cleaver in there, but not quite. Um, it, it, here's what I put. It almost looks like those nuclear emergency stock films. with stock footage of a family eating cutting the grass for the first like ducking cover you know stop drop and roll like one of those kind of films or even earlier maybe like reefer madness like that quality (laughs) but for the first half hour not a lot happens you know they go to this uh, place he gets the ring he goes back home dad has a lot of trouble cutting the grass mom's getting dinner ready you know the movie must be set on the West Coast because it's Christmas Eve. It's set on Christmas Eve. That's where it ties in. And there's no snow. <laughs> the acting is very stiff. The characters have absolutely no life to them. But the tree grows in the middle of the front lawn and dad can't cut it down. The wife just says, oh, just go get your axe, honey, and cut it down. He's whacking away, whacking away, whacking away. Can't cut the thing down. But it's it sets into motion some mischief in town it turns out the tree talks so you can talk to the tree and he gets his gifts this mischief in town involving a police vehicle and a fire truck kind of looks like the uh, three stooges kind of not quite as good you know zapped up while things are happening in town which really is just a time filler the boy uses his magic tree as the family christmas tree Dad can't cut it down, yet they use it as a Christmas tree. You don't follow the logic, people. He, and he, one of his gifts is he asks for Santa Claus to be there. He's interrupting Santa on the North Pole, getting all the toys ready for the kids and the elves doing their thing to have in his living room. So this almost becomes a morality play. You know, should a boy be selfish and rewarded his much desired Christmas wishes by kidnapping Santa. But so he has Santa. It's funny. Santa's kind of sitting in a Barco Lander right beside the Christmas tree saying, can I get back to my job? And the tree says, Nope, you're a part of my spell. So the kid is asking him for all this, that, and the other somehow later on, you know, they want to show that this is an evil thing to do. The boy gets captured by an ogre in the forest. I call him an ogre. I don't know. He's wearing some kind of lo- hairy loincloth or something as, mm-hmm. as a punishment for being greedy, yet he escapes. So he kind of sees the error in his ways. He wants to go back home, how things were. So his last wish is to put everything back to how it was without Santa being kidnapped. Good morals win. Everybody's happy. But was it a dream? I don't know. I give this two out of 10. I can't sugarcoat it. It was awful. But two out of ten, but, Bill. That's incredibly generous. <laughs> oh wait, generous? What? Okay, this is the this is I just want to say real fast, this is a fanboy in me. Bill, this is nineteen sixty-four. It you talked about Christmas story, hamming it up with the Leave It to Be there, Beaver, oh golly. This was the epitome yes. of that. And I'm going way higher than two out of ten. I actually enjoyed this. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm comparing to your next pick, but I enjoyed this movie. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, 
I, I got it. My son sat there and watched it with me, and he was enthralled really? with it. It brought me back to leave it. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to pop it in again. I mean, don't get me wrong. I probably would never watch it before. <laughs> but, go that far. Yeah, but but when you suggested it and I watched it, I'm like, meh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was only like an hour long. Yeah, that's, so. what, that's one of the pluses. It's- I thought it was like two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we'll let you guys crap on it a little bit, but then I'll tell you some good points I liked about it. No, no, go ahead. Do, do your well, unless no. Bill's uh, be no, more I, Bill. I, I, I try. <laughs> I I couldn't get more than three quarters of a page of notes. Hey, I uh, I applaud you for all the detail you just <laughs> put in there because yeah. you clearly understood this movie a lot better than I did. <laughs> all right, but I want to hear from Brian. I actually it makes me happy that someone like like this well i i love leave it to beaver and the opening scene when he's like oh shucks guys you know he's he's the kid in the middle of the three and i didn't he's actually my, I didn't he's know lumpy he, yeah <laughs> yeah he's he's lumpy but he my liverwurst sandwich yeah he yeah he yeah he's wheeling and dealing he wants a banana and a sandwich for his mm-hmm. meatloaf sandwich but he um he um he were <laughs> I didn't think that he was going to be the main star of the movie because in the very, very beginning, it was pretty bratty. And I thought, boy, he's going to be like the bully of the movie. He ends up being the star of the movie, surprisingly. And uh, a couple things I remembered was what a different time back then. He keeps a turtle in his bottom nightstand drawer named Ebenezer, maybe, or Ichabod. Ichabod the turtle. He keeps him in his bottom drawer and it fits. Basically, the turtle takes up the entire drawer. It's like a tortoise. Yeah, thing. he so, is in there. Yeah, so he pulls that out and talks to him through some of the movie. The dad, while he does remind me of Ward Cleaver, he was a bit more stupid because he pulls out his lawnmower. It's one of those old. How did he hit that? He hit, <laughs> okay. First of all, the lawnmower sounded like Willy Wonka's gobstopper machine. It's like zoink, zoink, It's like what kind of lawnmower is this? First of all, isn't this one of those push ones that just spin? I like see bubbles going out yeah. of the back. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's right. Like bubbles coming out of it. Yeah. He runs into the tree and explodes into like 8,000 pieces. And it's like, how fast were you going when you were mowing your lawn? That's one of the dumbest scenes <laughs> I've ever seen in the movie. I agree. And that's what made it so corny that I had to like it. I mean, it's like one of those so bad and so good things. So uh, maybe it was some of my son, like being so enthralled in this movie. We sat on the bed how watching it one son? morning together. Uh, okay. Seven. So it's like right in that time period where yeah. I, he could watch a movie like Wizard of Oz all the way up to 2021, and he doesn't see the time period and the cheesiness of acting. To him, it's a story, and the story captivated him. So maybe I kind of just watched it through his eyes a little bit. So I'll go a little That's higher. Great. Not not much I higher. I mean, maybe happens. like a 6 out of 10 on it, but nice. we enjoyed this movie. I thought we got a so kick So, Brian, out of it. Uh, now, what's your interpretation? Who is that? Is he an ogre? Who is that guy at the end? Yeah, you made a good point with he wore a weird loincloth. Yeah, he, I, that, that was the one part of the story I didn't Children quite get. don't hang out with people in loincloths in the woods. Yeah. Just don't. And like, yeah, he warped there. And then the guy, they were talking about the stream and he threw his gun and the kid ran away. I don't really get what that whole he just thing. All, that was the only part that kind of confused me there was that part. He just of all of a sudden showed up in a forest with this large, hairy man. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It was, it was really that was, weird. There was representation the wiles of the devil. And, you know, it reminds yeah, remind me of that scene in Airplane. Just, Son, do you like sword and sorcery films? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You like gladiator movies, Billy? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bad. 
Um, well, my seven-year-old, apparently a little more jaded, she says, Dad, are you kidding when I turn this on? <laughs> no, really, are you kidding? Like, she was a legitimate question. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, this and your other choice, Bill. They were like, you're not going to make us watch this whole thing, are you? Um, oh. I think I said that to Bill. You know, are you kidding me when this started? <laughs> you, what? Um it's a movie and um i will say at first i was like this has a weird halloween vibe Mm -hmm. to it right like with the black cat and then you get the witch involved and it was like i really wanted to kind of get into because i i do enjoy some older films and even bad movies too uh for me this just felt so completely flat i just felt so um like slapdash nonsense nonsensical nonsensical because it felt like it had just been pieced together from all over the place and that that everyone who made it maybe didn't know what a movie was <laughs> you know like the idea that uh a story should be told in a certain way and it, it, it feature you know uh certain elements that that let us know where we are now like bill mentioned suddenly we're in the woods with this guy and you're like what is happening uh for me, the problem was the it. This fell into a so bad it's bad kind of movie where I, there wasn't anything that really. I'm glad I am glad you enjoyed it, Brian. But I couldn't really. You said you, uh, Bill said I went into this movie cold, and I went out of this movie cold. <laughs> I got like nothing, nothing out of it at all. I smirked a couple times. I don't know if that's what they were going for, and I did enjoy the scene where where dad just like literally obliterates this Christmas tree that he can't see. And I thought it was creepy that the Christmas, you know, the only thing uh, thing I can um, think of is, you know, it was this guy's passion project to do this film, you know, like, and sometimes they turn out, you take a carnival of souls that worked. Uh, This didn't. (laughs) No, I, I, it's, 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 it's a bad, it's a one out of 10. I mean, for me, yeah, I mean, (laughs) My defense of this, I'm not saying it's a masterpiece by any means, but I I can find some good in everything to watch, and um, it, it held my interest for an hour. I'll just say that. But again, I, well, and I, I think we're watching it, but I'm glad yeah. I, I'm glad I watched it. It wasn't a waste of an hour of my life. Let's put it that way. Well, I'm happy that this this particular movie didn't end up fish in a barrel with us all firing at it, and yet I'm still glad I'm taking shots at it. <laughs> Karen, what, what did you think about this? I, I don't have a lot to add. It took me three hours to watch this because every time I would start it, I would just fall asleep. And so maybe that I thought maybe that's why I don't understand what's going on. Because is, is, is there a female perspective to this that maybe no. sheds light on something? No, I, no? I got I got nothing nope, nothing for you there. Um, I did. I had a note that said, "Is this Halloween or Christmas? Like, did I fall asleep? What happened?" <laughs> and it the original Tim it Burton. Was very right? yeah, just a little confusing. And this was very golly gee whiz, Mister that kind of sensibility for sure. I mean, you did want to try to find something that was fantasy or sci fi, and this. I guess falls into that category. Um, but yeah, I, I don't even know how to rate this. I, Is it a better or worse than my next one that you will? I have much it's more to say. That's barely fair. <laughs> I have Bill. so much that's more to say about your other one. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of my problem to go with your go with your feelings. I, yeah, I I this one I would ne- probably never watch again. Not even probably. I'm I'm never gonna watch this again. I can't <laughs> honestly say that about your other choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, okay. So I really want the poster. The poster looks great. Well, what it, what Kara? Do you did you give this I, one a I rating? Guess like a, I, I hate to give something a one, so maybe a two. So we got a one, a one, and a two, and I'm the six. Okay, maybe I'm going to say more like a four. No, no, stick, no! stick to your convictions. Stick to your guns. I'm feeling like really stupid about this. Not episode. at all. Hey, I like Super Mario Brothers the movie, so okay. yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It just gave me that. It gave me that. Just leave it to Beaver feel. We keep saying that. I don't, there's something about the golly geez I like. If you, a, if you, I like. I love. I like Lucy. I love Lucy. Leave it to Beaver. I like. If you I keep your this. rating, if you keep your rating, we get a three and a half star. Here you go. Okay, I'll keep my six. <laughs> I, I, I'll stay yeah, strong. With my with as it, bad yeah. as this was, I would probably watch this again over like someone making me watch Hallmark Christmas movies. I would probably watch this yeah. again. <laughs> I, I will watch this over Hugh Grant. Oh, I don't. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> it depends now, on which. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, white, uh, the Lair of the White Worm. I'd watch, but uh, oh, me too. he is yeah. a he is a handsome fellow. <laughs> I mean, <I'll>, <laughs> yeah. he's correct. Charismatic. He fills out a pair of jeans really am, well. <laughs> good grief! Yeah, I got nothing against him. Uh, let's move on. So we're almost done our first four movies, and uh, or five, or whatever. And I even added a bonus one, but let's. Let's move on. I guess it's my turn. And we will go back to the 80s, to 1980, with the movie that, uh, another movie I only saw uh, within the last 15 or so years. I saw in like 2006, I think. And it's Christmas Evil, the movie that I turned on with my in-laws, of all people, about a year after I was first married, who were, we went to their house after some, uh, big Christmas event and they wanted to watch a Hallmark style movie and I saw the words Christmas Evil and I was thinking that this was the Bob Clark directed movie and so I said hey is this from the director of Christmas Story guys <laughs> and so we turned this movie on and wow um, they they got a very quick crash course in what Nathan movie <laughs> choices are like uh, after watching this one here's the plot Uh, From IMDb, a toy factory worker mentally scarred as a child upon learning Santa Claus is not real, suffers a nervous breakdown after being belittled at work and embarks on a Yuletide killing spree. Um, kinda, but I, I think it's debatable about what mentally scars, (laughs) scars him here, whether it's not believing in Santa (laughs) or finding that Santa's a little bit of a horn dog. (laughs) So... (laughs) The the I I uh I want to start with the cast. We have Brandon Maggart plays Harry Stadding Stadling, and Harry Stadling is the the young man at the very opening of the movie, the little boy that's mentioned here, and he's also the toy factory worker that we follow for most of the movie. The film does follow that basic premise, but it's a lot more to me. It's a lot more interesting than you are expecting in terms of character development, and it's probably a little less interesting. Uh, than what you're expecting if you're going into this with all of our years of experience with Silent Night, Deadly Night, and all of the Santa killer movies we got later. Because this 
in my mind, it really doesn't fit in with those. It's got poster art that has Santa holding an axe and standing over a chimney. And this was probably the first that I'm really aware of, of, of the Santa sort of slasher Santa killer movies. Now, yes, in the seventies, we did have that segment of tales from the crypt that had uh, all through the house that featured a killer Santa. And that, you know, sometimes like, uh, hits on some of this imagery, but a lot of ways I think serious horror fans might end up being let down a little bit by Christmas Evil, and people who are maybe more looking for an art house movie or a movie that's more of a character study might actually be a little bit surprised to find there's more in this, I think, than uh, what you might be expecting from sort of a schlock horror film. Lewis Jackson, this is the only movie he directed, and I, I'll say up front, I got the uh, Vinegar Syndrome release of this because last year a friend of mine, we had seen the movie before, uh, but he t- uh, texted me on Christmas Eve and said, I'm watching bl- uh, Christmas Evil right now with a commentary track by the director and John Waters, who is uh, John Waters' commentary on this movie is quite funny and there's also a commentary track with brandon maggard who plays this main character so here's the deal it does open up on christmas eve and it has right off the bat we're back to that jol that uh gee whiz golly sort of 19 uh you know again what year it is who knows exactly here it's probably the the 50s or maybe the maybe the late 40s but it's got all the christmas kitsch all the Norman Rockwell, the Leave it to Beaver G whizness a little bit with the little kids and the mother. Everything's very vibrant and lushly shot. It really evokes Christmas and it has just like the Bob Clark uh, style and Christmas um, story where everything looks a little bit larger than life. Everything's sort of magical. Uh, the mother is putting, helping the kids put the cookies out for Santa. And something I had never seen before, maybe this is a normal thing, he has like a little wash basin to freshen himself up before he goes to the next thing. I don't know if I'd yeah, seen that left I, for Santa before. I caught that too. That was I didn't know if that was like a, you know, um, a Canadian thing or wherever this movie was made. I've never seen that Me before. Either. I, I, I don't have one. <laughs> I don't know if that's Canadian or not. I don't know. No, it wasn't really touched upon, even in the two commentaries I listened to, the director, he didn't mention anything about that particular one. However, he does reference other places where he was trying to kind of keep true to traditions of Christmas that are practiced, uh, you know, all over the place. And so some of the things, this character is so steeped in Christmas. So, but what he ends up seeing is it's basically, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, but a little low, it's more like I saw Santa Claus kissing mommy a little lower than usual. And... When he comes down the stairs, you know, Santa and mom are sort of ha- getting it on and he's holding a snow globe. It smashes and he's gripping it so tightly that he now has blood in his hands. And uh, you have that shot of the snow globe on its side and uh, with the dream shattered. And then fast forward to a guy who's waking up every morning and is going into the uh, as he's shaving in the morning. He'll he'll leave some of the lather on his face a little bit and and you know kind of straighten it out with a knife and make it look like a beard. Uh, you realize, yeah, this guy's got a little bit of a Santa fetish going on, and then you realize it goes a little deeper because he has he has logs books where he's keeping track of the kids in the neighborhood, and it seems it seems very creepy at first. Certainly, I think that there's this weird edge to it where he's watching these kids through binoculars, the little boys and the little girls, and then you realize what he's doing is writing naughty or nice. So little Susie, she's so nice and she helps her parents, you know, 
she goes into the nice book. And then Moss Garcia, the little boy across the street, which is a little, he's a little bit of a handful. Uh, and he, you know, this guy, Moss Garcia is sort of the bane of his existence. He doesn't like, you know, he, he's the bad boy. He's, he sees pictures of him sort of, he's over there in his house, cutting out pictures out of the playboy and stuff like that. Uh, an interesting thing on the commentary, the director says that one of the problems they had is they that that kid kept getting a hold of that Playboy or Penthouse or whatever it was, like the actual kid, and they yeah. had to keep taking it away from him because <laughs> he kept taking it back to his trailer. And his parents were quite upset that they had even given it to him at all, like to ever have. And so he kept trying to get a hold of it. Naughty. But yeah, naughty. He works at a toy store. He really seems to like it. He loves christmas he truly does and he wants to be santa claus i don't quite understand the correlation between what happened to him as a child uh and, and where he is as an adult but the the mania that he has is very interesting and you've got an interesting cast of characters brian mag uh, brandon maggart's very good here i've seen him in a few other things he's done a lot of television work he was in an episode of briscoe county jr which might be the only other thing i really have seen him in his uh his daughter is fiona apple uh, interesting tidbit there. Jeffrey Demon, who we who you've seen in a lot of movies, uh, is in this as his brother Philip, uh, who's there in that opening scene and then throughout the film, and he's concerned about him uh, because the movie really does feel like the portrait of of some mental illness. Uh, Harry doesn't immediately start killing people. He really wants to do well and do good at Christmas. He believes in Christmas. He believes that it should be about hope and providing for. Uh, children and things like that he does also have this sensibility to him though the good you know if you're good you get good if you're bad you get bad and it leads to scenes of him hiding outside moss garcia's house and and like taking his face and putting it in the mud and marking the side of the house it involves him uh when the owners of his toy factory that he works at decide not to donate toys to the to the local hospital he takes matters into his own hands and so you're thinking hey this is a guy who wants to do good and eventually the switch does flip and he starts uh punishing those who are naughty and those who are not uh in the christmas spirit most of these being adults uh who you know in a horror movie sense probably have it coming but the tone of the film is very strange. I found it to be almost surreal. Maggard's performance, there's lots of scenes where they just have him inside of his house deeply wanting to be Santa to the point of he's he's trying on the wigs, he's trying to put on the beard, he's, he's he wants to embody this fully. Like, I mean, he wants to be a physical transformation. Uh, Waters keeps talking about how he views this as basically he's like, he wants to have a sex change, but he, what he wants to become is Santa Claus. And that sensibility is what makes the movie so fascinating to me. I think that the Christmas ambiance is really good in this. It's very seedy New York 1980s Christmas ambiance, but it's uh, I like it. I, I, I like the feel of the movie and some of these company Christmas parties. He has a great uh, jump cut where one of the, one of the uh, drunken, uh, patrons at the party just smashes right into the record player, which <laughs> causes it to skid, and then boom, you're you're off into the city streets. The last twenty or thirty minutes of this movie are really where you get, I think, almost any of the minimal gore that exists in it. And you talk about great uh, movie endings. I mean, towards the end of this, you've got references to Frankenstein, you've got references to tons of different. 
tons of different movies. And the last shot of the movie, I think, is pitch perfect for what uh, what this movie is. But it's also baffling and bizarre. And it caused uh, the people I was watching the movie with to say, what the hell was that? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I really like this. And I think a big strength of the film is Maggard, who convinces you that this is a guy with some issues. Uh, he wants to do good. But he's also very twisted up in his own mind. And and the Santa has become this sort of obsession with him. But there is a moment when he's dressed as Santa at this. He ends up at one of these holiday parties. And he's tell, talking to these kids. And he's telling them what to expect. You know, well, if you're good and you believe, you'll get something wonderful. But if you're bad and you don't behave... I'll bring you something horrible. And he emphasizes the way he emphasizes the word horrible. And it tells you about everything you need to know about him. So this is, this is like an 8.5 for me. I really enjoy this movie. It's one that I love watching uh, every year now. And uh, it's, it's, it's a bit strange. I do give it that, but, Karen, what did you think of this movie? I know it was your a first time it watch was, for you. Yeah, I, I had I thought that I saw this movie. Uh, same thing with one of the other movies, but no, I had never seen this, and I really liked it. Um, I thought he was totally descending into madness, but it wasn't all bad. Like some of those scenes with the kids were really nice, and he would show up at these parties and I guess nobody questions a random Santa just showing up at their party (laughs) and they, you know, invite him to come in. Um, I, it was weird. It was a weird tone because there were lots of parts that I thought were really funny. And then I thought, Oh, maybe is this not supposed to be funny? Like when he's making those lists of the, what the kids are doing. (laughs) Moss Garcia throws rocks at dogs, jaywalks, wrote graffiti. Like he has all these really weird, bad personal hygiene. Yes. Impure (laughs) thoughts. How do you know? Um, Well, he was cutting up a penthouse. That is well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) There were a bunch of people. Like I kept going, Oh my gosh, that's, you know, the guy from, um, the seventh sign, Peter Friedman. And then, um, when they were at the police station, I knew who the cops were. Like there were constantly people in here that I had seen in other movies, um, and the part at the police station too, with the Santa lineups, come on, say Merry Christmas when all the Santas are all lined up and they're trying to pick out which one it was that was stabbing people. I thought it was funny and I, I'm not sure that it was supposed to be. Um, and the mom from Amityville too was one of the parents um, of one of the kids that was protecting Santa at the end. Like I just saw tons of people in this movie. Uh, that I had seen in other movies, other places. I I really liked it. It has that same Christmassy, warm, glow feeling to me. Um, <laughs> yes. And so I would definitely watch this again. And when he does kind of go out and go crazy, his costume looks really good. Like, he really looks like it's a good awesome. Santa. It's so cool. Um and I, I, he has a twinkle in his yes, eye for sure. He does. <laughs> and then, you know, it's kind of sweet the way the kids are like, they go in front of him and they're like, no, you're not going to touch Santa. Um, I, I gave it an eight out of 10. I, I would definitely watch it again. I thought about, oh, I want to, you know, show my family when I go on Christmas day, but they will not enjoy this. So I probably will not <laughs> do it anyway. Do it anyway. Uh- 
<laughs> Kara, what did you think? We don't have to go too much about it, but what did you think about the last shot? Of the I, I don't want to say, uh, like I typed in there, like that last scene was crazy. Like where he was in his mind and what was happening. Like I kind of got a warm feel like, oh, this is what he thinks is happening now. Okay. <laughs> Right, yeah, <laughs> but I, 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 uh, I liked that element of it a lot. Um, did you guys see Patricia Heaton, who I guess went on to be in uh, Home Improvement? Whoa. She's the one who smacks little uh, Moss Garcia right across <laughs> his face. Really? Um, which to me was honestly probably the most shocking moment of the movie in terms of like you know, given all the Santa kills, just how he's like, there's a monster in the bushes that she hauls off. Yeah, and that hits was him. Like, weird. That. Took me by surprise. Yeah. Yeah, because the kid was, uh, he said, hey, there's somebody behind the bush that's trying to get me. She smacks him and says, you're going to run my night. Wow. Yeah. Great, great, yeah. Pa- great parenting. <laughs> mm-hmm. <there. laughs> yeah, I, I love this film. Uh, I unabashedly love this film. It's probably my second favorite Christmas horror film. Jeff Maggart, uh, Nathan didn't mention, but he was the one that told me, uh, not Jeff Maggart, sorry, Brandon Maggart. Brandon I keep thinking Maggart. Jeff Maggart. He used to play for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Brandon Maggart is uh, Fiona, App- Fiona Apple's father, for anybody that uh, didn't realize. It's, it's one of those, I love the Descent to Madness type films. And this is, you know, kind of like Breaking Down, kind of like The Shining. You know, this has those elements to it. It's taxi driver with the Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You know, like I like I love his shagging wagon. Like when he paints up his econo line <laughs> to be his chariot. His, his sled, sled. His his Santa, Santa sled. sleigh. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not gonna get into too deep because you guys did a really good job of covering it up. I mean, is there's elements of sexuality. He's a total perv, and I mean uh, I mean, and it's Brought upon by the opening scene, which I'm not going to go any further into, but it, it, you can tell at a certain point, like he just snaps and he becomes what he becomes. But it's one of those things where the character kind of believes he's morally correct and he's going to play it out. And there is some goodness to him, but I don't think, you know, people deserved what some people got. I really like Jeffrey DeMunn in this. It's kind of like that overbearing, you know, brother who doesn't quite get along with him, but always wants more out of him. I mean, anybody who knows Jeffrey DeMond, The Walking Dead, The Green Mile, The Hitcher, that uh, The Mist, that kind of. Yeah, he's in a great film, an HBO original movie called Citizen X, where he plays a serial killer and he's absolutely chilling in it. And I know this is a horror slash thriller but there are definite comedic elements. Oh yeah, there's. I think a lot of those laughs. Are I, I mean, there's there's dark humor, and then there's just straight up humor. Like you guys have mentioned that scene where Santa just walks in. I don't know. Was it like a, a Rotary Club? What was it? A a family bar mitzvah? Like I don't know what it was, but they all just. He just starts waltzing <laughs> with people, like literally dancing with children. It reminded like, me okay. of Fiesta at the Ukrainian Hall. Like that's what that <laughs> reminded me of. Um, you know, he he cares for the kids in a way he feels he never was. You know, like they are innocent and they need protection. And so he's going to be the one providing that. 
I like the uh, fight scene in the uh, alleyway with the other father, uh, the other uh, great scene, you know, but you can tell that the director was a horror fan and there's lots of odes to other films. And one that nobody brought up is when he's being chased through the neighborhood, it's very akin to Frankenstein. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. The torches like, this and is everything. 19, it's this like is, almost this surrealistic. This is 1980. Who runs with a piece of wood with uh, an alcohol-covered cloth? This is 1980. <laughs> you got like, like that's what that's what John Waters says. He's like, wait, they just got their oily rags waiting around. <laughs> like ready the guy to just go. pulls it out of you know, kind of like a yeah. the side of a building. And like, really, is this a Molotov cocktail? It's like, what's going on here? You know. <laughs> um, and two more points I'll make. One, I, I swear, if you look at the very end scene and someone slides down the, the path or down the hill, you can see the snow is just a piece of fabric that moves. You can see it, that. you can see it buckle and go down the hill. Yeah. The other thing is, kids always get winter tires. If he had winter tires, he would have taken off from that house a lot easier. Then bald all season radials. So, yeah, but eventually where we're going, we don't need roads, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I just like he's creepy. He's a creeper. He's pervy. He's got an odd moral sense, but there's something appealing about Brandon. He's sympathetic. He's yeah, I think he's, he's sympathetic, sympathetic in a certain way. I mean, he's seen Daddy and Mommy do things that you really shouldn't see at that age. Yeah, I like this film. I like it. Uh, Brian, what's your take on this? Well, I just saw this movie for the first time, about, I think two years ago, it was on Joe Bob's uh, Christmas special. Yeah. And when I watched it, it was paired up with one of my favorite Christmas movies, Deadly Games. And this was the second one of it, so I was kind of dozing in and out. And I thought, eh, it's such a dated movie. And then I never rewatched till this week. And then it really struck me as this is a nine out of 10 for me. I freaking love this movie. There, there's so much to like in this movie. It, it's, it really encapsulates 1980 exactly with a lot of the things in this movie. Yes. Because first of all, what's in, in the, op- in one of the early scenes, I think you brought it up, Nathan, he's shaving. He puts shaving cream over his face, like a beard, like Santa. And he starts giggling I almost was waiting for him to act like Pee Wee Herman and be like, la, 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 ha, ha. Like with a tape on his nose scene in the mirror in the yeah. bathroom. Like it was that cheesy. But it really set the scene that this guy is kind of an innocent, like child at heart almost. You know, and maybe that's why he descends into madness. Maybe he's not fully developed. I don't know. But he's weird. That's for sure. And then And there is a five-minute scene of him trying to fit down a chimney. And this thing goes on oh forever. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, this was almost the unbearable part of the movie. He's like, okay, we'll try it this way. It almost made me claustrophobic. Like, you can't it made even me fit feel in the so top. bad. Yes. Yeah, you can't even fit in the top of it. If you get down in here, you're going to end up like uh, the dad and gremlins that she describes. You're going to die in this chimney. Okay. Why are you even trying to go down this chimney? He decides to end up just going in the front door. That's probably a better choice of it. Uh, the ending, yeah, that ending was. I didn't see that one coming, and I don't even know if I could, could explain it, but it kind of puts a uh, stamp on the end of this movie of what kind of movie it is. 
this is a wacky movie, a great movie, a descent into madness. Uh, we didn't mention one of the coolest scenes, which was outside of the, I don't even remember what building they're walking out of. And he just starts, this is the first of his acts of violence before everybody does the Frankenstein chase. He just like stabs a couple of people in the head and then runs off in his van. Oh, it's church. I mean, everybody knows what van you're driving. Is there any other vans in the city that have a giant mural of, you know, uh, Christmas on the side? So, I mean, you're going to be. And people, you're a Santa. Yeah. And people are going to know who you are. And then you're going to children's hospitals and banquet centers after this. You're going to be found, but he's he's on a mission, and it's awesome. Nine out of ten. Oh. <laughs> the aftermath when he drives away and all these dead bodies are laying on its steps. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like the fallout from some sort of gang murder, right? Like Or some <laughs> yeah. sort of like mob hit. And it's just this guy who's gone off his rocker, and he's running out there with those, those uh, toy soldiers he's making in his house. Um yeah, it's it's such it is such an interesting movie. I do highly recommend it. And I do recommend I mentioned those commentaries. It's interesting because the director clearly has a lot of affection for his movie. And he he does feel it got gypped. You know, he feel, you know, it, it wasn't really released that much at the time because of everyone's responses to it. Everybody was very, you know, against the idea of Santa seen as evil. He said it was weird. It's like people almost like. The same way, you no, you can't say this about God. It's like, you can't do this about Santa. You know, Santa's untouchable in that sort of similar yeah. way at that time frame. Like, it's almost, the water says it's almost it's, like it's blasphemy it's to taboo, say something yeah. about Santa. Yeah. And every, I know, everybody got butthurt in 1984 with Silent Dead the Night. And yeah. this movie portrays it, like you said, it portrays like it is a killer Santa, but really it's not a killer Santa movie. He's not without reason for what he's doing, I guess. And, um, in fact, this movie I think was released under the title "You Better Watch Out." Yeah, it That's had the I other titles. Yeah, I was confused because it had a few different titles on this movie. So I, I honestly, I never even heard of this movie until I saw it on uh, Joe Bob's Last Drive-In like a couple years ago. But I'm so glad that he they showed it because I love this movie. The director didn't know it was it was called Christmas Evil until right before it was released. They sent him a poster and he was like, oh, <laughs> guess the title got changed. He'd always thought it was You Better Watch Out. They wanted to call it The Man in the Red Suit, but it it was, uh, they were having problems with another film uh, that had that similar title and they were said, they also want to call it like Terror and Toyland, which makes no sense at all. But uh, they went with this. Uh, again, Vinegar Syndrome release is cool because they have the, the the funny thing about the Waters commentary. He starts out like really, you know, into it, but then he gets engrossed in watching the movie, which he clearly hasn't seen in a number of years. And he's a lot of him just giggling himself and saying things like, here comes Santa's going to perv out again. <laughs> That's really funny. You keep bringing Comments up John like Waters that. on the commentary of it because he's made some really wacky movies. So well, it, it really fits in that he commented on this movie. They got him because years ago he made a statement that kind of brought this movie back to light was he oh. said it was the best Christmas movie ever made. Oh, and okay. so I think that's why they ended up getting him for it. And he, so he was kind of a champion of it. Uh, Brandon Maggart's funny because he doesn't seem to remember much about making the movie. And he seems to be getting mad when he's like seeing certain scenes. You made me do that. Look at this. <laughs> such as all, he's such an awful guy. And he keeps shushing the director. Like when the director wants to say something, he'll be like, shh, I'm trying to watch the movie. And he's like, then he has to explain to him what a can't, what a, what a commentary actually is. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say so, the other thing is it has a very strong anti-corporate message. 
in, yes, in, 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 in this film. Like, <laughs> if you want to get stabbed with a metal sword. I mean, there's soldier. all that thing about, oh, he's in the junior uh, apprenticeship program or whatever. It's the junior management program. And, yeah. you know, what you got to do to suck up. And is he's really a, a man on the line, but he's kind of taken that next step up. So he's not quite in with, yeah. he's not quite in with the boys, but he's no longer in with the people on the line. So... I think there's a whole thing about 1980. You're just getting through the oil crisis and all that. I wonder if that played into like there's a social piece to this. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'll just bring up also those toys on the line. They must have had a low budget because they were the cheesiest lineup of toys ever. I'm talking a dump truck you'd see at the dollar store nowadays. <laughs> and, and, they were and very like nothing. 1950s toys. I yes. was like, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, and then, so we're we're at the halfway mark after all that time. Interesting. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so we are on our second movies, and we'll kick it over to Karen for movie number two. Okay, I think technically this is probably my movie number three since I managed to sneak in an extra movie in my first two. <laughs> um, and for my uh, really second movie, I picked The Ref, which is a comedy from 1994 and I'll read the synopsis from Letterboxd. Um, Caroline and Lloyd are a married couple constantly at each other's throats, masters at crafting acid tongued barbs at each other's expense. Indeed, they are so obsessed with belittling each other that they never stop, (laughs) not even at gunpoint. Wow. That is so much longer than the IMDb synopsis. Oh, it's, it's, it mo- there's more. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I couldn't believe how long this is. Yes. Gus is a thief on the run from the police who kidnaps the couple as an insurance policy, planning to use their home as a hideout. But their incessant bickering proves more than Gus bargained for, forcing him for the sake of his own sanity into the unenviable role of peacemaker. To make things even worse for Gus, he discovers he has taken the couple hostage the night of their big Christmas party, and the guests are already on their way. Not wanting to leave Lloyd and Caroline unattended, Gus opts to attend the party, pretending to be the couple's marriage counselor. This naturally leads to a series of comic confusions as the hostage crisis and marital tensions head towards their inevitable conclusion. Well, thanks for the review, Karen. (laughs) I don't know why that one's so long and the one for Black Christmas was literally like one sentence. Whereas the IMDb says, a cat burglar is forced to take a bickering dysfunctional family hostage on Christmas Eve. One sentence. Yeah, I liked I liked what you read better though. Although it it basically doesn't encapsulate the entire movie, which is good. Yes, and this was directed by uh, Ted Demi, and the main stars of the movie are uh, Dennis Leary as the cat burglar, uh, Judy Davis and Kevin Spacey as the married couple he takes hostage. And now this was made obviously before all the stuff came out about uh, Kevin Spacey. And while I can kind of compartmentalize and separate actor from character when I watch a movie, especially if I really like the movie. I get it. If some people don't want to do that, maybe don't want to watch it, but um, there's a whole host of other actors that you'll recognize in this movie, like um, Christine Baranski, JK (laughs) Simmons, BD Wong, Raymond J. Berry, and a bunch more. And uh, to me, it's the, 
the writing and the performances that really make this movie work. Um, kind of at first glance, the couple, they seem to completely hate each other. There's a line in the beginning at the uh, therapist's office where Caroline says, how can we both be in a marriage where I'm miserable and you're content? And he just smirks at her and says, luck. <laughs> and as the night goes on, you can kind of see how they've actually let outside influences, um, especially his horrible meddling mother, come between them. Um, and back when this came out, Dennis Leary was a pretty big like stand-up comedian. And yeah. I would say in this movie, he's definitely toned down uh, compared to his stand-up stuff. Um, he even kind of falls into the background uh, a little bit when the family is fighting it out amongst each other. Uh, and I don't think I had seen this movie in like 10 years. Um, I still had it on DVD. So uh, there were a ton of funny scenes in it. Like I had totally forgotten how inept the local cops are <laughs> when they accidentally erase the only video of the cat burglar's face. Um, and Gus falling into that booby trap that drops him into the basement where Cannibal the dog bites him. Um <laughs> But I think one of my favorite scenes is their Scandinavian Christmas Eve meal um, that Caroline made for them with the seven-day-old loop fisk and lamb gookins, whatever that is. Um, gherkins, gherkins. Gherkins, okay. Gookins, gookins. <laughs> and not to mention the crowns of candles uh, that they all have to wear while she's recounting the story of... I know Saint it's like Midsommar or something. Yes! <laughs> St. Lucia getting burned at the stake after her husband betrays her. But um, I, the movie has a lot of profanity. So if that's not your thing, you might not want to watch the movie. Uh, and the humor <laughs> can be a bit dark. That's why but I love that. <laughs> <laughs> at the end, I mean, for me, I still thought it is a heartwarming kind of Christmas movie, at least once they gag the grandmother. Um, and that might just be me. I generally don't watch a lot of the traditional or Hallmark Christmas type movies. And maybe for people who really love those, they might just think this is twisted. Uh, I don't know. But I think it's worth watching for everybody, um, especially if you have a twisted sense of humor. I think it's a must-see Christmas movie. And for me, it's probably like a 8.5 or uh, nine out of 10. Um, but it's been, I mean, this is movie has been out almost 30 years. So I don't know, did it hold up for you guys or uh, Brian, you hadn't seen it before. So I don't mm -hmm. know what you thought of it. I love this movie. No, I don't. <clears throat> I thought I had seen it, but I don't remember any of it. And yeah, I think it holds up great from 1994 to now. And uh, I do agree with you. A lot of profanity, but it's well-written and the profanity isn't wasted. It's for a point and makes a point when people say that stuff. I, th I had a lot of fun with this movie. Kind of like, um, <clears throat> uh, let's see, they, um, the, Julia, da Julia Davis, I believe, says, what's your name? F use my name. I mean, that's the type of responses you get from Dennis <laughs> Leary. And I think Dennis Leary kind of steals the show in this movie. And in my opinion... This movie started out with a lot of bickering between them, and I know that's the point of the movie. He's the rough, and it's supposed to drive him crazy with all their bickering. But that kind of went away in the last half, and that's where the movie, to me, got a little better because I thought, if I'm going to have to listen to 130, you know, an hour and a half of, uh, you know, Kevin Spacey bickering with his snooty attitude, I don't know if I could do this. But it ended up being really good, and like you said, 
there's a lot of a heartwarming aspect to this movie. So I, I really got a kick out of this. There was a lot of things I liked in it. Like, um, you know, at the very beginning when they're arguing a lot, she tells Dennis Leary where the band-aids are. Spacey's response is, I can't believe it. So you want to have sex with him too. <laughs> I mean, that's the, type, that's the type of relationship this married couple has. And, um, <clears throat> another, and then I agree with you. Wow. Kevin Spacey's mom. Talk about a nightmare mother-in-law. <laughs> kind of like that movie monster-in-law. That is her to the wife. <clears throat> and, uh, the, the mom, the, the mother-in-law actually at one point says to Dennis Leary, you're Dr. Wong. Well, my dad's Irish. Well, your mom, <laughs> he's like, she wasn't. So he doesn't get, he's got a lot of quirky, quick witted responses. Sure. It's not the comedy we were used to back in from him. The, the quick talking stuff. He was more laid back. I agree with you, Karen, in this, but I thought that was better for Kevin or for um, Dennis Leary. Cause I wasn't really a fan of his standup, but like the real fast talking and mm-hmm. quick jokes. And he was a little more laid back in this and, and I actually think the mother-in-law kind of stole the show in the last half. Boy, she was an easy person to hate, wasn't she, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Glennis. That's Glennis Johns playing uh, uh, Grandma Rose. And she, she was uh, yeah, she was in the original Mary Poppins. She was Winifred Banks in uh, Mary Poppins, and she oh, had- it's funny. When I watched it, I was like, I know her, and I was trying yeah. to figure out where. She was in one of my famous, a favorite anthology films. She was in The Vault of Horror. Yeah, she's a it, long and storied uh, career. Yeah, she she's a good actress. I actually wrote down, Glynis John steals every scene she's in. Yeah, she was in The Sundowners, yeah. a ton a ton of movies. and um, But she she's awesome in this movie, and she is sort of like, when they, like you guys said, Leary in 94, Leary was at the top of his stand-up game. He was also just breaking into movies. The movies that would have released right before this would have been stuff like uh, uh, that he was in, like Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone. He, had a, oh uh, he was the leader that. of the Underground Rebels, but he had just been, I want to say, might have even released the same month. Uh, he was in a movie called Judgment Night with Emilio oh. Estevez, where he basically oh, plays the heavy. He's the bad guy. Yeah, that and was a fun one. So what I uh, my uh, view of Dennis Leary at the point I see this movie is that he's either the you know foul mouth, fast talking, smart ass, or he's the bad guy, and he's kind of you know at the opening of this movie he's not the villain, but you know he gets when he's supposed to be threatening them, and he comes in there, it's very quickly the tables are turned because he can't even get a word in edgewise between that acerbic <laughs> sniping between the two of them and Kevin Spacey, I, you know I I have a hard time seeing him now because of everything has gone down, but this was also the very, this was near the beginning of his career. He'd only been in a few movies that I had seen before this. I think maybe Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross being one of them, which is uh, where the original wow. F you, that's my name. <laughs> that's where that, that line originated. But, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of my favorite movies from, you know, the eighties, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. He was amazing as the boss in that. Yes. And though that movie like this one, and like a lot of David Mehmet stuff, though Mehmet had nothing to do with this, uh, the profanity, is used in a is used as a tool it's used as a weapon exactly <laughs> and it's exactly. used as a is a comedic tool as well and it it works pretty well but the most biting things that are said in this movie are things that are are just casually cruel they're just they're they're said as if the people couldn't care less that they're saying them uh there's a specific lines when 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 uh grandma rose is in her full tirade and she has the whole 
family, their sort of captive audience at that dinner table, and Leary's about to tear his hair out, and, and uh, everything's been exposed, and I think Spacey looks at her and says, well, you know what I'm going to get you next year, Mom? A big crucifix. So you can climb up there and nail yourself to it where you're not feeling appreciated enough. <laughs> and that line has never, like, left my memory. Like, that one, uh, you know, when they, they're calling, again, like, who do you think you are? Slipper socks, size nine. <laughs> Baranski's great, too, for that same kind of thing. Like, they assembled this perfect cast. And there's and then coming in at the end, what, is he the... Simmons comes in and he's is he he's the cop or he's the the head of the military the school, academy, the right? Military school, yeah, yeah. And, it, and and they named him Siskel. Yeah, Siskel. <laughs> like, yeah, yep. that didn't go without notice. That it didn't go without Ebert's notice either when he reviewed the movie. <laughs> he's like, look, here he comes, Siskel. <laughs> but uh, it's a very funny movie. It's a very dark movie, and I'm kind of with you, Karen. I I I break Christmas movies. You have the. Uh, you know, joy to the world Christmas movies. It's about happiness. And then you have the, oh, hum, the bah humbug Christmas movies. And we've reviewed quite a few bah humbug movies tonight already. This is like the, the king of the bah humbug movies. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's dark and acerbic in a way some of these others aren't. Uh, I think the other movies all have edges to them, right? You know, there's some, you know, George Bailey wants to commit suicide at the opening of of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Christmas Carol's a ghost story. I watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation for the first time the other day. Not for me, the first time, first time with my kids. And I've seen it many times over the years. And I started to realize, you know, in this movie, uh, Clark Griswold's kind of a sociopath. I don't think I ever quite noticed that before. <laughs> you know, he's this could be one of those 80 horror films if 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 cousin Eddie was just a little more demented. <laughs> But I guess the point being that some of these things always have all the movies have a little bit of darkness on the on the ex- exterior. This movie is the the flip side where it's just dark almost all the way to the core. But just as you get there, there's a nice soft gooey center. Just a little bit. Just well, enough. My, it brings me to what came to me. I, I honestly I hadn't seen this one since, since I'm going to say the mid to late 90s. It, it had been 20 some odd years. Is would you consider this like an action drama? Uh, not drama, but, but action kind of in a diehardish kind of way, or is this a comedy? I go or, comedy on that. Or, or, yeah, I think of it like a comedy, or maybe or is a, it with more, a little drama. Yeah, like you know, you could legitimately say it's an action film, right? But yeah. I mean, there's not really any action in it except him like sort of running from the dog in the beginning, and then I guess at the <laughs> end. <laughs> To get out of there, there's Running a little through the forest. Yeah, I mean, grandma eating shooting. through her gag is you know <laughs> you decide whether that's a horror film or an action yeah. film. <laughs> but I, I mean, the other thing, having watched it now for the first time in 23 years or whatever it is, I didn't realize this was in the height of the Jerry Bruckheimer. He was the producer in this, so he was kind of plowing this out. And I was like, hey, that's J.K. Simmons. Hey, you know, but he was so I wouldn't say he was a young man then, but he wasn't big in his career, so he was you know. Uh, probably number 10 on the marquee for this one. I love the opening scene. Absolutely love it while they're sitting in the psychiatrist office. <laughs> and, and, and I know this is a family one, but I had to write this down when they're talking about the bickering. He goes, the, the, the wife is complaining about, you know, their sex life. She goes, two nipple twists and it's over by the time I can make a cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is great. But Again, Dennis Leary was a little watered down from his normal. But if you don't like Leary's sense of humor, I think it might put you off a touch. 
but I thought he was really well per, uh, cast in this. I liked it. Uh, there, I, well, the one moment nobody brought up is I thought there was an interesting moment in the closet with the son. You know, it was part touching. He was almost having a heart-to-heart talk, but it was almost part of his stand-up routine. He kind of mixed it up in that in that yeah. scene. Uh, dialogue heavy. I liked the uh, story of St. Lucia. And, and it, to bring it back to the last time Brian was on, it, I, I wrote down, it became reminiscent of Krisha yeah. in some ways. You know, yeah. with the antagonism, the dinner scene, the, you know, just the general, you want to be nice, but you're not going to be nice. I got a bit of Krisha out of that. So, you know, I, I, the other th- the thing I put is I thought it wrapped up just a little too cute for me. I would, yeah. You know, like it was just a nice little bow wrap. They're going off on the boat. Oh, sorry. Big spoiler. They go <laughs> off on a boat and he's using it as, oh, and I picked up a woman along the way. Like, like really? <laughs> You well, know, and I, that's the Hollywood ending. That's where the movie stops being like Krisha, right? And it has to come back, come yeah. back to earth because realistically, you know, what would have happened is that family would have murdered that cat burglar and thrown his body out in the river somewhere. Or took, <laughs> the, or took the $200,000 reward that was out for us. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's no like, way from under her. <laughs> he wouldn't get out of there unscathed. Like they all, they, they basically had the Stockholm syndrome. You know, you sympathize yeah. with your captors, right? So, oh, sure, I'll follow you through the forest. Yeah, oh, give me a break. Nobody's going to do that. Well, they were they were doing things so much out of spite, to spite everybody else that, you know, yeah. maybe. Yeah, well, I gave this a seven and a half. I, I thought think, it was a very solid film. I think they felt they owed it to him just for the fact he tied up Grandma. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that that earned some, some you know. That well, the other scene there. I like is when uh, Kevin Spacey's talking and nobody's listening, he starts whacking the tree. I'm talking here. I'm talking. <laughs> He's whacking the Christmas Yeah, they street. do a good job of that smoldering <laughs> resentment, like like you said, right from the, the the opening. And Judy Davis is a great actress too. And they work, they play well off of each other. And he, it's it's to his benefit, Leary's benefit, that he is downplayed because you're expecting him. You know, it's called the ref. The picture on the cover of the thing shows him holding his family hostage. And you get the idea he's going to su- not subject him to torture, but all these weird, outrageous things. And, you know, but he's the one who's being held hostage, <laughs> really, you know. And so I uh, I appreciate all that about it. I think it's a fun movie. Ted Demi, again, died too young. He died in mm. 2002. And he had a pretty good uh, slate of movies to his name. But uh, I, 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 with that name, I, I thought actually he had done more than he actually did when I looked him up. Because you were thinking maybe Jonathan Demi. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what I thought. Well, too. I, I knew he wasn't the same guy, but I thought maybe you know just because he was part of the Demi's that more had been done. But but he's not. he's done some good stuff. He did um, he did Beautiful Girls from or like a year or two after the Ref, which I thought was a good movie. He did uh, Monument Avenue and Life, which uh, that's the one with uh, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence are in. That's it's a like, that's a great movie. It, it's a movie that's amazing. a lot better than you might expect. And Blow in two thousand one with, uh, mm, with Johnny Depp, I, I thought was a good movie too. Oh, that's so. the drug movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where he goes undercover. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and the then, true, um, true really, true. you know, he had a, a movie released after his death, A Decade Under the Influence, but really, that was it. I mean, that's why he doesn't have a larger... But he has a pretty good filmography, figuring that his his movies start in about, like, 1992, I think is his first actual, like, movie, and then he passed in 2002. Hmm. So, um, but it's a good movie. I, lo- I love it. It is a movie that I... I don't always get to it every year, but I always think of it fondly uh, around the holidays. And it was fun to get to rewatch it for this. Well, I, I like the scene when they're tied together on the bed. She goes, really? He goes, 
Oh, it's just friction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's the point where it kind of sparks the relationship back together. Yes. You get they both get a chuckle out of it and they kind of realize, you know, maybe we don't hate each other as much as we thought we did. This is what yeah. the Hallmark romance movie should be more like. <laughs> Yes, I yes. might watch them. <laughs> well, I think that's the thing. I think we're going to get to some of that and talk about um, Brian's movie. It's like some of these movies are all two, one thing or the other. I like to mix this stuff all together. Let it get real messy, <laughs> like the ref. It's an eight for yeah, me. Yeah. How about uh, you, Bill? I was a seven and a half. I would have gotten an eight if somebody had gotten shot. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the smoke detector got shot. The smoke <laughs> detector uh, yeah. But if, if if grandma had a took one off the shoulder or something, I would have given it. Hey, Bill, Bill, make yeah. make no mistake. A lot of people got shot in this movie. They just weren't firing bullets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, also the ending of um, Knives Out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you tell it like it is, and it's a family dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's seven and a half for me. Just you know, I I didn't know I didn't think it held up quite as well as I thought it was gonna. But then I hadn't seen it in twenty three years. So, mm. Brian, how about you? Uh, your rating? Well, like I said, when the movie started and they were bickering, I thought um, maybe about a seven. But then as it went on, I loved the last half of this movie, and I, I agree with you, Bill. Kind of like a Krisha final dinner scene. This one did it did that part really good. When everybody finally stood up to the mother-in-law or the mother and was like, we've had even like the son that bowed down to her was like, shut up. I think even Kevin Spacey at one point said, could you shut the F up for one second? And you know, he's been dying to say that for 20 years. So, and to his own mom. So I'm going to go 8.5. I I really like this movie. Nice. We're all in the same ballpark there, I (laughs) think. So, well, Brian, I think your movie is up next. Your second movie. Well, mine is going to be a drastic difference from Karen's movie. And this is Santa's Sleigh 2005. Rated R, 118 minutes, so it's a quick watch. And the synopsis on IMDb says, Santa Claus is actually a demon who lost a bet with an angel. So he becomes the giver of toys and happiness. But when that bet wears off, he returns to his evil ways. That kind of describes it well. Because this isn't when I I've, I just saw this movie for the first time, like within this past year, and it's on Peacock right now. By the way, if anybody wants to watch it, and I thought it was a typical you know Silent Night Deadly Night or Deadly Games or you know a Santa Killer movie. No, this is more than that. And what I guess maybe turned me off in this movie from the very beginning was Bill Goldberg, the wrestler, plays Santa, which. I, I don't hold that against anything, but it really surprised me how well he did in this part as the Santa Claus. <laughs> and this movie, start, it's wrote and directed by David Steinman, which did absolutely nothing at all. He wrote and directed this movie, and that's the only thing he did in his entire career. So for a one-off, not a bad showing, in my opinion. The cast was really great in this movie. Like I said, Goldberg did pull it off on Santa as Santa, which I didn't expect to be so good. <clears throat> There's a grandpa in the story played by Robert Culp, probably the most well-known actor in the movie. And then two main characters, a boy, Douglas Smith, who was in a few other um, horror movies and a few big name movies as well. And who I really liked was the girl, the one of the other protagonists, 
Emily DeRaven. She played in the Hills Had Eyes remake, and um, she played Claire on Lost. And she plays a really quirky character here, really silly. But this movie is, I'm going to say up front, this is not a Silent Night, Deadly Night. This is a comedy. This is a flat-out comedy horror movie. So if you don't like horror comedy, you won't like this movie. But if you do and you can embrace it, I think everybody could get a kick out of this. But there is horror in this. There's 32 kills in this movie. I mean, 32 <laughs> kills is a lot for a hor- even a horror movie, a straight horror movie. But the opening scene takes place, and it's almost like a scream type thing where you got some big name actors in the opening five minutes, and they don't make it past the first five minutes. We're talking Fran Drescher, James Kahn, Chris Kattan, Rebecca Gayhart. They're sitting around a Christmas table. Santa comes down the chimney, kicks a dog across the room, and then proceeds to murder the rest of the family. So it starts off with a bang. No doubt about that. So, you know, in the first 15 minutes, we it introduces the two main protagonists that I mentioned, the young boy and girl. They're working in a deli shop. And just to set the tone of the movie, like what kind of movie this is, you know, an old lady customer comes in the deli shop. And when she walks out, the owner says, happy holidays. She responds by, it's Christmas. Don't, don't give me that PC crap. Wish me a Merry Christmas. So he says, okay, Merry Christmas. And she says, go after yourself. So, I mean, this sets the tone for the movie. She even mentions to the girl as she walks out the door, you're a whore. So, I mean, she's a miserable old lady. And it kind of sets the tone of the movie of how silly this movie is going to be. And um, there's so many funny parts of this movie. And it just carries on. Like I said, Santa, it's not a Santa killer. It's actually Santa himself comes to the town of Hell Downs. I, th- I can't remember the name of the town. And goes on a massive killing spree. After his confinement of being a good Santa wears off. And now he could be the bad Santa he always wanted to be. So he has a showdown with the two pr- protagonists and their grandpa. And a lot of brutality ensues. A lot of cat and mouse chasing them around the town. It takes place in a small town. You get to lead a meet a lot of fun characters around the town, but it's just a silly, funny movie. You can't take this seriously. Like I said, it's only an hour and 15 minutes. This isn't going to be a horror movie. It's more of a gory comedy, but I really got a kick out of it. Like I said, I saw this in the past year and I just fell in love with the movie and I watched it again the other day and liked it just as much the second time around. So I give this a nine out of 10. I know Greg Amortis loves this movie and Justin Beam. I believe may have worked on a Blu-ray release. I'm not sure, but he loves this movie. So it's got a, this movie's got quite a following and yeah, I give it a nine out of 10 and I got a lot more to say about it, but you guys chime in on it and maybe I, in my excitement, I missed some of the key plot points. So if you want to fill in, go ahead guys. You missed the main one. <laughs> I probably did. Dave it, Thomas. It, well, no, it was shot. Now <laughs> it was shot in Alberta. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I knew it was a Canadian thing. I was going Canadian. to that. Well, and the other thing is, you, you know, it's Canadian because you've got Dave Thomas, who I thought was absolutely brilliant in his role as the <laughs> as the hypocritical preacher. He was my he, favorite part of this movie, he, he not for Timmons. <laughs> but also Saul Rubinick. Uh, yes. and, oh, and, yeah, and, the deli. And, and, and Saul yep. Rubinick is, uh, he's been in a, a lot of different things. I True Romance. Was, True Romance yes. was a great one he was in. Yeah. Oh, oh what's the one he was in? Uh, I have it written down here somewhere. He's been in so much. He's a great actor. He's a great character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, f- I forget. I'll come to him. But 
it, it was a good one. It, it was it was a great introduction with the family dinner. Yeah, like that was that fantastic was... because I, when I went through the the credits, James Caan is uncredited. They, wow. they don't have him in the main slew of credits. You know, like they have Chris Kattan, they have Fran Drescher. They don't have James Caan was just coming off of Elf at this point. Okay, oh, <laughs> it's, it's like holiday <laughs> movies involving Santa also includes this. Do do you get the feeling? And I kind of do that maybe Santa Slay. I didn't. I didn't do a lot of research into it, but I I feel like maybe the entirety of Santa Slay came to life from that little sketch at the dinner table because that feels like a like SNL skit on steroids, right? Like, <laughs> like it'll be the opening like kind of teaser for a fake movie about Santa that never gets made. Yeah, and that opening. Want- yeah, that opening five minutes is. I wouldn't say the highlight of the movie, but it definitely is a high point in the movie. So if you're not sold by that first five minutes, you're not oh, yeah, going like to give movie. up. Yeah. Oh, the, the, where I remember Sal Rubinick, I just came to me, uh, unforgiven. Yes. Yes. Very. Yeah, very yes. Yep. The, where he was, what, what was he? The st- storekeeper? No, no. He was the writer. He was the journalist. Writer? Journalist. That's yeah, it. That's yeah. That's a fantastic yeah. one. That's it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I've never seen Santa at a strip club before. That was, uh... <laughs> and the, you know, that's got my favorite scene in the whole movie. The part where he goes to, and I'm sure you know what I'm going to say. He goes to get the stripper pole after the girl slides down it. And he's going to use it as a weapon. And he goes, yuck. And he grabs a <laughs> bottle of bleach. He sprays the stripper pole, wipes it down. Meticulously, it. meticulously yeah. he does it. It's like, you're going to kill people with this. Like, you're really worried about that. But that's the type of humor that's in this movie. <laughs> he's going to kill him with the germs. That's what he's going to do. Yeah. yeah <laughs> even even in a sense, calling it a harm. You're right. It has kills. And and while I guess they're kind of gory, they're like really goofball gory. Like, yeah, it's yeah. almost like the kind, like, it's basically like like a spoof it's almost a level of a zucker brothers movie in some ways and it and the plot is the, the plot of the actual film the concept of the movie's genius right like the, the idea that santa's always been evil he's just made to do this for a long time for a thousand and years yeah. for a thousand years and the problem and the, the problem though is like how it could have been a really cool and even funnier or not funnier it could have been even more interesting movie had they actually tried to make that a plot point like Here's this Santa who's really fed up with this thousand years yeah. of slavery of, of children, but they they don't take anything in this movie seriously. And the plot is very much like a Hallmark movie plot. Like t- if you in a sci-fi channel movie, literally mashed together. It's like they took those two things. They took the ridiculous idea of Santa, you know, he's free and he's flying around on his hell bison. Which is a just yeah. a giant. <laughs> I saw a little bit of an outtake in this where they had they had this hydraulic lift and they had Bill Goldberg, uh, who's a big dude, the the sleigh and the bison up in the air, and the bison didn't look like it was having a good time. <laughs> just like I can't imagine how that's going to end up. But the, uh-huh. the you don't really watch it for the plot, but they have all these beautiful little little uh, creative moments through the movie that kind of make it worthwhile that it is just a gag movie, but it's never at the, it's never at the cheap level uh, or the creative bankruptcy of like a Hallmark movie or of a sci-fi movie where they're just like, you know, they aren't putting any thought into it at all. They're just kind of coasting on the fumes. I mean, even look at Bill Goldberg's Santa costume. Like they put a lot of work and detail into it. It has Mm -hmm. this, like Icelandic Norwegian, like uh, 
Viking vibe to it. Like it looks like it's made of animal skins. His his giant sleigh looks like something a Viking would roll up, and he has this giant horn that when the old lady is driving down the road oh, and she's zigzagging, and he's like, "Get out of the road, bitch!" And he's <laughs> and he's going on this giant like animal horn to get her out of the road. But, but there are some different definite Canadianisms in it. Like yes. a curling match. Which, yes. A, a, a curling just, match. Just really? the curl, yeah, the curling match is what they decide whether Santa's gonna be enslaved or not. And it's done in claymation. It's done, <laughs> which is like a like a Rudolph special. And I love the scene where when Santa loses, he just belches flames into the air. He looks like the the heat miser or something. But, but the other thing that none of you guys would have noticed that I did right away being a hockey fan and a junior hockey fan in Canada, Douglas Smith at one point wears a Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds Jersey hmm. for the first half. And in the second half, he wears a Flynn Flon Bombers Jersey. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I did didn't notice really that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds was the junior team Wayne Gretzky played for in the seventies. So oh, cool. it's an Ontario hockey league team, that's still going and Flynn Flon still going as well. But that's something, unless you have an eye for that, you're not even going to notice that. So they obviously really took in the area they're from and embraced it into the film. I also loved at the end, I don't know if you caught the end credits, some of the crew was naughty and some of the crew was nice. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice, nice touch. Well, and I like, I appreciated, like we talked about the, the kind of authenticity of Santa's costume, but then he has that big wrestler belt with the Santa face on it. <laughs> And I and, loved I mean, Bill Goldberg in this, you know, Goldberg is obviously Jewish. And yet here he's, he's this evil Santa that at one point, one point kills somebody by running a menorah through their neck. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I it's was like, Saru- wow. Is that when he, is that when he, okay, I won't say. Yeah. Who. I didn't want yeah, to say no, whom. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, funny, yeah, yeah. who makes the it even worse, but <laughs> yeah, the, the irony of who he kills. But I mean, the last thing I'll say, and I want Karen to get in here because she hasn't, but yeah. Anybody who's a wrestling fan wasn't Virgil had a role, but he's not credited anywhere. As uh, the he was the um, uh, one of the store owners. He's a African American bald. Oh yeah, I think yeah, I, I believe you're right, Bill. Yeah, and and I'm looking through the credits. Unless he's using his given name, I don't see him anywhere. Hmm. So un- unless he was, I mean, unless he's going by. Unless his name is something that I don't know of. I, I would have thought he'd use his professional name, but he might not have. Not sure. I don't know. Karen, what did so- you think of this one? <laughs> I I really loved it. Um, I was never into wrestling, so it wasn't until like halfway through the movie when Santa takes off his coat. I was like, oh my gosh, is that <laughs> like a wrestler? <laughs> and so I had to Google who it was that was playing Santa. And when it started, uh, I thought I had seen this movie, but clearly I had never seen this before. And I start frantically writing names down. Like, how did I have that? I've never seen this. It's got James Caan and Fran Drescher. And then I was like, oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> they're doesn't. they're not going to be in here. And, um, Dave Thomas was my favorite part. My favorite part in the whole movie is when he's in front of his congregation trying to get them to pray for the survivors of gold diggers. <laughs> and he starts naming all the strippers. I uh, he laughing. does name them. There's um, Dixie Wrecked. Yes, there's, Crystal <laughs> Candy. I'm not gonna say the t- other one. There's Tuss Tickler. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of play on names in this movie. Even the cops. Yeah. There's Sergeant Dick. Zucker, 
and Captain Hot. Oh, I mean, you yeah, guys, so, this is the level. This, this is, is the level this of is comedy the type of humor. this is at. Yeah, yeah, yeah and very there was Captain, immature movie. There was Captain Cock and Captain Bush. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they, they, they couldn't stop themselves. They just like, I mean, you only yeah. gonna, you only get to make one movie. Might as well yeah. go for it. Um, but there's a, there's some pretty funny parts that are even are, are kind of clever too. I like when uh, at one point Goldberg is chasing them. I think he's chasing them to the school or something. And you know the kid, what was it? It flashes light in his face and pulls up a crucifix. And he's like, "I'm Santa Claus, not bleeping Dracula." <laughs> <laughs> or or the confrontation. When he gets this confrontation there, and they're in this ice rink. And you know all they got to do it's it's almost like a sleepy hollow situation. We just have to run the clock down on Santa, and once Christmas is over, you know he no longer has any power. And then he stops them and like explains. Goldberg starts to explain uh, that you know everything involving uh, different time zones and where the time yeah. zones meet, and all of this to say that. <laughs> What's he say? It's basically, it's arbitrary when Christmas is over. So it's over when I say it's over. <laughs> and uh, he yeah. tries to demoralize the hero by revealing that he received a letter for an easy bake oven <laughs> from him <laughs> as a kid. I like when uh, uh, Dave Thomas shows up at the strip club and, goes, and he, he talks to the bouncer. He goes, you didn't see me. No, didn't see you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of cut you off, Karen. Uh, did you have any other notes on this? Because I'm curious what else you had to say. I think a lot one. of stuff uh, you guys already said to all my favorite parts and the Wolverine was the only part that I literally gagged when he lifted up the plate oh, after God, she brings yeah. that Wolverine over. Oh, that was so gross. Yeah, that was because it was hairy. It was a hairy meat tray. And there were like flies. <laughs> and oh. yeah. I'm going to end my review with just simply one line. The only worthwhile gifts are practical ones. <laughs> yeah and this movie does throw back to a lot of things like we already mentioned kind of like when he breaks out the book of history the the grandson says um was that the necromicon or Nec- necromicon from evil dead yeah the necromicon. So, i mean this movie plays a lot on horror genre it does it in a smart way it's a silly goofy movie but a great movie i yeah, give it a, start- i give it a nine out of ten I was going to say Steinman obviously has a love of comedy and of horror, mm-hmm. but I, it, this one obviously skews like 70, 30 comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, oh, for sure. But, but there is that touch of it in there. So yeah, I give this a seven and a half. Nice. What did I you give it, it, Nathan? Oh, sorry, Nathan, what did you give it? Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. Like a seven, seven and a half. Um, it's just a lot of fun. It's not meant to be taken seriously, and no, you all. don't. Uh, but it's you. Ha- it's a great campy B movie. I mean, it's just that's exactly what it is. It's what it was intended to be. It's intended to. It's almost made for someone to mistake it for one of these one of these TV uh, movies, either on Hallmark or the Sci Fi Channel. <laughs> and I would love to see both channels play it. If I'm being honest. <laughs> Yeah, this this is kind of like almost the gold standard of a B film. Like, really, this is this, this is about as good as you can get for a B film without putting a little bit extra. Well, money into you it. got your wish because um, in a couple days it's airing on the Sci Fi Channel. So there you go. <laughs> there now I just need a petition <laughs> yeah. hallmark. It's, it's, yeah, that's not happening. Sorry, yeah. Karen. <laughs> Karen, I cut you off. What would you give this film? 
I I gave it an eight because it was completely not what I expected, and I had a lot of fun watching it. And so I'll this will probably get added to my every year watch, especially when you need a laugh. <laughs> yep, yep. Just for that opening uh, dinner scene. Yes, because I thought that was going to be like the whole movie. I'm like, wow, there's all these people in it, and then. <laughs> It's over. <laughs> I, w- I wonder what the one day rate for Drescher and Khan and all them were. <laughs> <laughs> and Rebecca Gayhart is in it too. Yeah. Yeah. We there were a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Chris Catan. There were yeah. a couple other. I just quit writing them down because they were. Hey, what do you want for this. Christmas? A faithful husband. What's the other <laughs> thing you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and the way they all die, that's probably the most violent scene right there. Oh, you know? yeah. Though I still can't believe that Fran Dresser dies the way she does. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. just, you got to give Goldberg is not, and, and I haven't seen him in a lot of other movies. He's not, I mean, obviously, a lot of the, the wrestlers when they started out, not great actors. You never saw having... Universal Soldier, The Return? Yeah, I did see that. And yes, he was oh, there, but, but uh but here he's given like he gets to kind of be sort of front and center for a little bit and he's he has a certain glee to it. Like I just love the look on his face when he's drowning someone in a in an eggnog bowl at one point. Well, what like, about the way how what about the way Robert Culp died? Yeah, that's yeah, that was just odd. <laughs> just like, okay, go on. Bye. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's the thing. You start to get into these like almost storylines and Goldberg is going off about all the, you know, the angel that married a human woman. And it's like, this is where is this was this the hallmark part of the story? We didn't see like there's <laughs> references to to all of these things that happen, and you get the idea that it's supposed to be a little bit of this you know, warm-hearted comedy about this kid and his grandfather, but they kind of just forgot about that and just give it over to Santa doing one-liners and killing people, <laughs> which is all we really want to see. And maybe they needed that little bit of a deeper plot, or this movie may have been a little too silly to watch. So yeah, it would have just been a bunch of yeah. little uh, sketches. So there is a point where I, I would have liked to see those two things kind of teased out a little bit more, but it is what it is. It's Santa Slay, and if you're going to rent it, with that tag, when I discovered it, and it was around the time it came out, I saw it sitting on the shelf at a, you know, Blockbuster or something. Thought I don't want that. And one of my coworkers told me about it, and they just sold it with, for a thousand years, he's had to make toys and deliver them to children, and now the thousand years is up. I was like, okay, sold. <laughs> yeah. All right, are we ready? Are we ready? Yeah. Is that is it me, or are we going to you, Bill? I, I I think it's going to me because nobody's ready for you. <laughs> Not you. Nobody's ready for what you're about to bring. I don't, it's going to be hard to top magic Christmas tree, but go for it, Bill. <clears throat> All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know, keep your pants on, keep your shirt on, get or yourself don't. excited or don't. You might not want to have them on when you hear about this one. So I've already talked about <laughs> how I love to deep dive. All right. And I'm always trying to find movies I haven't seen. I want to expand my repertoire. So, you know, I wasn't going to go for Lampoon's Vacation or something like that. I was going to go deep. So I usually either go Prime, Tubi, or YouTube. This time, Tubi was calling me. So I typed in Christmas horror, Christmas science fiction, whatever came up. Boy, do I got a beauty. Joe Bob, you get yourself ready for this one. This is 1988 or 1998's direct-to-video Feeders 2 Sleigh Bells. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Write it down. Feeders 2 Sleigh Bells. That gets an IMDb rating of 2.5 out of 10. 
Here is the synopsis. Aliens invade Earth over the Christmas holidays, and it's up to Santa Claus and his elves to save the world. There you go. Does that sound like a nice little film? I had never heard of Feeders 1. <laughs> I've never heard of <laughs> And Karen will talk about something afterwards about a, a third one. It's directed by somebody called John Polonia, and I'm assuming his brother, I mean, it could be a father-son, but I'm assuming it's his brother, Mark Polonia. Now, John Polonia, I looked into his curriculum vitae. He has done such films as Feeders, Night Thirst, and Peter Rottentail. His brother Peter Mark Rottentail. did Feeders, Virus Shark, and Bride of the Werewolf, among others. So he's got nothing on Roger Corman. Uh, and it stars Mark Polonia, Courtney Polonia, Anthony Polonia, <laughs> Maria Davis, and John McBride. Stars so, is a little generous. <laughs> well, the camera was turned on and they wandered into the frame is maybe more true. Playing in their roles. And when you go to IMDb and you look at all the actors, only one of the, I don't know, 15 people in the film has a picture. And the one who is is just called Elderly Neighbor. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> that's Patricia McBride. So this was, you know, back in the day, you didn't have your streaming. It, this was direct to video. This, th There's no way this was playing in a theater. There's no scummy theater in New York City that would put this in their theater. Not a chance. Ultra low, uh, low budget. Video game-like graphics. It looks like it was shot on Hi8 or Handycam. It opens with a man discussing how he killed his best friend because of invading aliens. And it guts, cuts to a weird-looking alien squished by someone's foot. Then, a family getting ready for Christmas on the 24th of December. Oh, my God. This is an Ed Wood special, but with less charm. That's how I put it. There are cheap alien puppets with long, skinny legs and annoying screeches. Those screeches were as annoying is anything I have seen on screen. It makes Franklin from Texas Chainsaw Massacre sound like Pavarotti. Like, it is just <laughs> awful. They're paper mache looking at times, and they're even uneven because sometimes there's these short ones with big heads, and other times they, they're long and gangly. And other times they're like those squishies that your daughter or son plays with in their hands. Like, they're just awful. The best actor in this film was the family dog. Yep. I think so. The and it, but it's at times it uses an alien point of view. Essentially, what <laughs> happens is these aliens come down out of the sky, and they're coming down to kill. Uh, why you don't really get much of a backstory? You don't really need a backstory for a film like this. But it's got this weird alien point of view in a metallic kind of Kodachrome effect. It, it, it's really weird. It's it's like somebody's playing with the filters on their phone from 1998, and it, or and it, but they're just using tissue paper instead of really official ones. There's an awful scene where aliens kill an older woman and her cat. It was laughably bad. <laughs> it was it was terrible. A priest gets killed and eaten by an alien in his basement. Oh my gosh! And there, here's what I wrote down: Seeing these scenes takes me back to the '80s. I really feel like I was in high school watching this because the guy's got glasses that I wore. He's got like an '86 no. K car. It's got like that aluminum siding that everybody had. He's got like the beginnings of a mullet, but not quite. And it's like not quite. <laughs> it's a horrible and, and sweater. He, 
And he's got like that unfinished basement that everybody had in the in the eighties where their dad said they'd get back to it and there's still wires hanging out of it. That's kinda like what this house was like. Yeah, when I saw that family and I saw that guy, I panicked and like ch- double checked to make sure I hadn't starred in any movies in nineteen ninety eight I wasn't aware of. I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> The, uh, there's a worker that gets eaten at an industrial warehouse, but get this, the dad and the wife. Yeah. There's a family involved here oh and there's gosh. a dad and a wife. They go back to screw while waiting for Santa, but Santa gets attacked by aliens. Ugh. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. Dude, their, their enthusiasm <laughs> level for that scene was amazing. The wife. What is she like? What do I get for the wife, the woman who has everything? More. More. <laughs> More. <laughs> but it's and you not think done movie- in a cool ref sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> you think in a movie like this, you'd get some titillating TNA. Not really. I want Just it. they kind of go. <laughs> not <from that>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get this. Santa comes down towards the end. Oh, what man. a what a what a trippy part that is. Santa has a laser blaster. And kills aliens. I just put WTF, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Santa comes down. You know how this they is... joke about bad movies sometimes and they say that people are just throwing the creature from like the left side of the screen <laughs> into the frame to make it look like it's attacking you? That is quite honestly, people, literally what is happening in this movie. They're just throwing the alien toy or whatever it is at Santa. And it's like they'll always come flying out of the left side of the screen. You... This is this is uh, the only one I can compare this to. If anybody's ever seen the movie Things, this is that, even yes. worse than that. Yeah, it was shot on. Yeah, it was shot on VHS, yeah. and Joe yes, Bob this, featured it. Yeah, yeah, I've, this, I've seen Things. Yeah, this is of that level. But at least this, I found the father somewhat entertaining. Like, there's this whole side story where they're telling the story about the family, and all of a sudden he takes off with his best friend to this house. Where did that come from? And, and his friend gets killed, and and he gets blamed for it. And oh my god, like this! That's is... from the first movie. That's I think the flashback that's the flashback to in the first movie. But it's the yeah. the thing that's confusing you, Bill, is it's just all the same actors. So all these <laughs> oh. people are murdered at the end of movie one. I only read about this. I never. Gosh, I would not watch movie one. And then suddenly, boom! That's the confusing thing. They show these scenes. Someone's clear. Like they actually had a little bit of gore apparently in the first movie. Somebody gets cut in half. I mean, it looked terrible, but it's better. I read, to- I, I read a review of somebody who watched the first one, and he goes, I, "The first one was barely watchable, and then they cut the budget in half for this one." Well, when they <laughs> when the aliens attack the cat, it looks like suddenly they're attacking a piece of felt. Like, you know, when a cat is dead, it's like felt with ketchup on it. I'm like, what am I looking at? Yeah, the dead cat was literally a cat face printed on a piece of paper with some, with some red blood with some ketchup on it. Oh, my. It, it, <laughs> he's not kidding fun. about the printed cat face. Like, it's yes. literally the level. Guys, you have, no if, one is prepared for this. If you, re- if you remember computer printouts from 1998, <laughs> this looks... This, this I, I started to show this to my kids, and my daughter looked at me with complete sincerity, not any, not any sort of sarcasm, and, and but with fear, like concern in her eyes, and said, <laughs> "Dad, you're kidding, right? You're kidding, <laughs> you're kidding. We aren't going to watch this, Dad. Dad, are we going to watch this?" And I, kind of how I felt, I was thinking, "Bill, you're kidding, right? Bill, we're not." And you no. said your kids, Uncle Bill said we had to. Sorry, Uncle guys. Bill said, "Take <laughs> some of those mints and get yeah. to the children." Yeah. <laughs> um, or you can't have any more yeah. coffee crisps. <laughs> so essentially, this is kind of like a VOD roulette pick that was below some of our Roger Corman films. 
Bill, so, this might be. I people have asked me, particularly as a critic, they would always say, "What's the worst movie you've ever seen?" And I've seen some crap, so I never really had an answer. But this might be the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it might be. It, it's. I. I don't feel so bad saying that. No, this is this is at the things level. If anybody's ever seen those extreme horror films, August Underground films, it's kind of at that film level quality. Like it's yeah. just. Oh my gosh! It's so, like shot, shot on a VHS '80s camcorder. Like this they is like just those... picked it up and are just learning how to use it. Keep that in like, mind. Like yeah. if you've seen European Vacation, where Clark puts the one on the hand and it's the slut in the shower, and it's, and it's <laughs> Beverly D'Angelo, that is ten times the quality. Of this. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I've watched it, and now you're all going to run and get it, and Tubi's going to have a spike on feeders too. Uh, Karen, what were your thoughts on this film? <laughs> so your WTF I wrote down like 17 times during uh, the watch of this movie and I had just gotten my COVID booster right before I watched this and I was like am I delirious like what am I watching I laughed the whole way through it um, I sent a clip of it to my brother and he said it looks like a late 70s early 80s junior high audio, audio video club project that got a C that's what yep, he yeah yeah um and that noise was very constant and annoying it kind of sounded like the microphone inside the mouth at the beginning of that bon jovi video where the, yes it did like that <laughs> constant droning sound it's grating it was like a grating it was oh, and it i sound thought like the fan was going up on his like a recorder or something <laughs> it's like I also have notes like every time a character comes on, this husband has got to be the worst actor. And then a few lines later, nope, this wife has got to be the worst actor. <laughs> and then it was those, gla- those glasses were awful. They everything was awful. Like there, I don't even. <laughs> the boss had to be the worst. Oh, that God, scene, yeah. please explain that scene. That scene oh. is so. This movie almost feels like a David Lynch movie at times, not really on purpose, but just because of how random random crap comes out of nowhere that never goes anywhere that like never I, goes I, anywhere I, yeah the well. boss doesn't get killed or anything he was just there to call him an a-hole and you know like all bosses do um and oh, then oh, i forgot about that scene he was funny i like the boss <laughs> i i taped that because they were talking uh-huh. about insurance and i had to send it to a lot of my coworkers and be like watch this but they couldn't <laughs> concentrate because i'm literally like taping my tv and the camera's shaking because i'm laughing the whole time i'm trying to tape this now the benefit here is if you were taping some scene from some actual movie that might have been a problem, but I guarantee you, your camera wasn't shaking any worse. <laughs> your camera work taking a picture of your television was uh, deducted nothing from the film quality of this movie. And I, no. I'm somewhat. I don't. I don't know even how to admit this. That I think. I think I have to go back and watch the first movie now. No. <laughs> and for, for continuity, for continuity purposes. <laughs> I think, I'll, yes, I, I think I have to go back 
back and watch it because they just made Feeders 3 the final meal last year. <laughs> so I'm going to have to watch that because I've this is definitely like the worst movie I've ever seen. And then just when you thought it couldn't get any weirder, Santa shows up like actual, not like a man dressed as Santa, but it's supposed to be Santa Claus. But he's kind of like a drunk. He's almost like when in The Simpsons, when, when Barney like dresses like Santa, like it's like that. Yes. Yeah, and he had a voice of a Muppet too. He did. He did. It, and the scene where he's flying around the aliens, you're kind of, it was so just so ridiculous. That's the other thing about this. So we're, we, we're, we're obviously reviewing Christmas movies here. I, we just so flabbergasted by this one. Why is this even a Christmas movie? Feeders one clearly was not a Christmas movie. I assuming feeders in it. Huh? Because Santa's in it. Santa's in it. But it's just like at some point they were like, you know what? Feeders 2 needs to be Christmas movie. (laughs) We couldn't sell this crap the way it was. Maybe we can sell this crap if it has Christmas in it. Because then there's like a built-in audience. People like Christmas movies, right? Yeah, like me. Let's talk about these. In the very very beginning, uh, when he drives away to work, he honks like three or four times. Like how many times do you have to wave to your family leaving? But then it cuts into the inside the mom. The, probably the worst pers- actress in the movie <laughs> and says, maybe Santa will bring me some Santa for Christmas. And one of the kids rolls over and literally farts in the camera. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, this is, I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. Now I know what, now I know what I've been for even more than Santa sleigh with the opening scene. I knew what I was in for at this point. You know, do you get that maybe, and this is where I was going with this. You get the idea that maybe this is set at Christmas because that, just happened to be the time of the year they were making the movie. And the guy's like, I'm just going to have a picture of my wife with the kids opening presents while I'm out in this tooling around town with this pseudo X-Files music. Let's talk about that, Karen. Let's talk about that. There's three or four chords of whatever it was they were playing on a, on a kazoo. Yes, because he had this little speech where he was typing at work about how about aliens and the government uh, is refuting the existence of extraterrestrials. And then I was like, okay, this boss is not Skinner when he walks in and starts yelling at him. You bastard. (laughs) And well, but look at, but it, it like, where does he work? Because his office looks worse than that basement they have Mulder in in the X-Files. Like, <laughs> he looks like he's working in a concrete pad somewhere. I'm like, what? I, I want Dave Becker to watch this. I want Brian Barsulia to watch this. I've thought I about Jackson. Dave a few times, and I feel like, no, maybe I shouldn't do that today. I, 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 want, I want Jackson Rawlings. I want Matt Rawlings. <laughs> I want everybody to watch this and personally tell me what you think of this film. <laughs> you might get some hate mail if you do that. <laughs> I, Andy, I think all that's of our a listeners, safe bet. Yeah. All of our listeners, I defy you to watch Feeders 2 and find something positive out of it. Yep. It's a, it's a funny one. And um, I'm going to put one serious note, if you even can, in this movie. Did you guys notice at the end, behind the kid's door, he has a poster hanging up? Did anybody notice what poster it is? No. Jaws. He did have a Jaws poster. Oh, yeah, he did. That's right. So, yeah. finally, one thing that I can take serious in this movie. But other than that, 99.9% <laughs> hilarity. <laughs> now let's talk, I mean, we uh, have to talk a little bit more about the aliens themselves. Didn't the aliens at uh, one point look like uh, gingerbread cookies? Okay. Mm-hmm. What they, <laughs> I am pretty certain what these things are. Is I'm not kidding when I say 
It looks like a softball on the end of a pipe cleaner. Uh, then they covered it in a sock with slime, <laughs> and they drew the mo- the world's most crude, scary face on it, meaning two dots, and then the little up and down lines, wavy lines, to show that he's grimacing. And with and they look like they put that on with food with you know with uh, like cupcake icing, and then he got an alien. And yet they were moving them around and doing that weird filter Bill was talking about. And it looked like so they look like the little monsters from the, the like baby from a racer head or in like the new Twin Peaks when uh, David Lynch has the evolution of the arm and it's moving around. It's like, I am the arm. It has yeah, that but- level of surreality to it, but it's not intended to be. It's just what they had laying That's around they, the kitchen. Yes, and it was clearly on a stick, which was off camera, moving yes. them from below the camera view as I moved across the room. And like you said, with that sound, I bet you that sound of the aliens took up 40% of the movie. Which is yeah, yeah, constantly, constantly. <laughs> it, look, it looks like they were made by grade six students in the art supply room. I don't know <laughs> what to <laughs> say about this. This is a straight zero for me. It's, <laughs> it's a... Uh, 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 must avoid must watch at the same time it, when people say so good it's bad or so bad it's good this is so bad it's bad but it's like a car wreck you can't look away I'm mm-hmm. glad Bill picked this because I just it's, it's, like I say it's finally given me a somewhat definitive answer to what's the worst movie you've ever seen I mean it's possible, right, guys? I mean, I've seen movies I've hate, I've enjoyed less watching. I've had movies I wish I never ever set my eyes on. But if you're talking about just what's the worst, like a technical worst, this might technically might apply. Yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah, technically, as far as how it's made, yeah, it's a zero. But laughability, uh, I'm going higher than a zero on it. Me too. But I mean, right around a five, I guess. Average five. five. <laughs> hey, it's I said, funny, but it's still a zero. <laughs> listen to me. I'm saying, I'm not saying on a technical level, not how it's no, made. Not at all. Just level, how much? Just how saying. much? Just how much? After a couple of beers, I laughed at this thing. <laughs> I got a five comical value out of this. Give the beers it's, a five. <laughs> it's so. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's like I said, a car wreck. I couldn't look away. I had to finish it. Five is what last night on LOTC I gave Santa Claus versus the devil. I gave yeah. that five out of ten. <laughs> I'm putting this above that one, Bill. I will. Oh wow. <laughs> I am holding to my zero. Hey, it was a negative three originally. Uh, <laughs> not really, but <laughs> I, I gave this a two out of ten. I, I give them the benefit of the doubt for their try. This is barely a movie. <laughs> I mean, that I'm, is that is true. That is true. Karen, what about you? I'm going to be with Brian on this one because I can't think of the last movie I <laughs> taped my TV this many times <laughs> yeah. to send to someone to say, look at the crap that I yeah, am watching. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and, <laughs> and that, I laughed a lot. That's, that's my point. Just for the entame, entertainment value oh, right. alone. Yes. Of how stupid it is, I give it a five. <laughs> I'm gonna modify my rating slightly and move it from a zero, and I'm gonna do what Roger Ebert did with the Human Centipede movie and say I don't feel there's any way I can accurately rate this at all. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the rating am, system so. doesn't really apply hard. to this thing. Yeah, well, I, I'm looking at the review below from one of the IMDb people. Uh, there's only nine. There's only nine reviews. I'm surprised it's called, there's nine. It's called, and he calls there it were nine an, family members. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he calls it an utter masterpiece. U T T E R. 
<laughs> and it was apparently uh, shown at a local film festival in Cincinnati. Oh. <laughs> <showed> <laughs> Imagine you, watching this movie with a crowd, though. Man, that'd be a riot. Yes, I, I gotta say though, <laughs> and like, maybe it was. Did, did anyone else have a hard time? I mean, Karen, you had the vaccine, but like, did anyone else have a hard time actually getting through it? Like, I did. I, I yeah. watched. It. I, I told Karen I watched this in four different segments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was... maybe, maybe that. Maybe, no, for... maybe if I would have sat down for the full hour, it would have been a, about a one like you guys. <laughs> for, for me, the gummy didn't kick in fast enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> I you recommend need to everyone get go to... with a little help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of help. Uh, well, you know, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, hey, this could be medicinal because it eases the pain. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm a, <laughs> yeah very funny. It, it got a rated R certificate. Why? Why did it get rated R? Oh, it did. For, yes, the yes. gratuitous uh, sweaters. <laughs> Stupidity. <laughs> I was assuming that that or uh, that or you know um, excessive sustained mullet scenes. I'm not sure. How, yeah. how about there's a scene when the aliens are first coming down and the guys looking out the window in the alien spaceship. Which is like the stupidest. I mean, it's worse than so Ed bad. Wood. And it's coming down and it's got these little laser beams that look like they come out of space invaders kind of coming down and hitting like the side of the building. And it's beaming up a cow or something. I don't know what it's doing. And he goes, Mom, it looks like a season says, ah, oh, it must be a plane. And like goes back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Did you just have to turn this on and watch at least. Do you know what? The, did you read what the tagline is? No. Close encounters of the worst kind. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. I at, mean, least they, I, at least they, they, they realize their brand. They realize I the I have no that. interest in going back to feeders. I would turn on feeder <laughs> three me? just to see. I'm what renting feeder three when that comes out. I'm <laughs> definitely watching three, but I'm going back to because the eyes in the flashback clearly they had a bigger budget because there was like that dead body on the ground and like a face, so there was at least like a twenty four hundred dollar budget on the first movie. So I definitely want to watch that. <laughs> so anybody interested, feeders one and two is on Tubi. Three, I'm sure, sure will go directly to HBO Max. There's no yeah. doubt about it. It'll be an early premiere, one of those twenty dollars things. <laughs> oh, yeah. right. You'll have to pay of them. twenty. Got a picture of the uh, filmmakers next to each other, and then Mark, hey, that's clearly the guy playing the dad, <laughs> and their little puppet, which looks <sighs> slightly less worse. Than, it looks uh, older, doesn't it? It does look older. <laughs> it looks like, like it's aged. been down. Like it's aged with them. Yes. <laughs> like we're all getting older. <laughs> Unless right, that's I, just I, his hand. <laughs> I, I, I do don't hope know. he brings the mullet back for for feeders yes. three. I will be sad if it's not there. <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking at, to see if it's the same uh, crew that's in it, and it doesn't appear uh, any of the actors have followed over. Well, so what? it's a it's a completely new. Well, maybe this uh, launched their career. Maybe they're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, he's in Hollywood now. Watch the last <laughs> laugh when Feeders Three comes out and it's all slick looking and it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> futuristic, right? It's got all these. Uh, they went from mullets and, mullets and mustaches to a straight future. Eric Roberts <laughs> is in it. Yeah, so it's got a, a, an actor called Richard Dizel. Who was in the movie Chainsaw Sally? <laughs> hey, yeah, it, uh, hey, that's an upgrade. Jimmy O'Burley, yeah, Chainsaw mm-hmm. Sally. It's at my way here. 
Yeah. So um, I think we put as much time into this movie as it really more deserves. time than the filmmakers did. I stand by my no rating. I don't know, guys. One. I could talk another hour about this, but let's save it for next year. Let's do a Feeders 3 next year, guys. Feeders 3. It's on, yeah. You guys can watch it, and I'll listen to you talk about it. We'll do a whole, ep- a whole episode dedicated to it. Right. But Karen is right. Karen is right. You, it's just like I was also taking shots of the picture, the images again, find out was I actually in this movie. And uh, and just when things popped up, it was just like, am I really seeing this? And then, like, <laughs> I had to bring my family in the room because they deserve to be part of this pain. And, uh, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, so my, what, what, my son did watch Paru with me. And he even he, who likes about everything, was like, wow, those aliens. So oh, I yeah. hear you, Nathan. <laughs> they had already learned their lesson with the magic Christmas tree. So, like, nope, fool me once. <laughs> Bill can send all the candy he wants. I'm not watching that crap. (laughs) So what did Jen think of it, Nathan? She would have. She she was. We just watched that scene, that opening scene at the Christmas tree. And like you said, where the kids just rolled around farting in the ground. (laughs) And the the wife is just standing there staring with her dead eyes. And like when he's like, well, what'd you get me? What do I get the woman? We watch that exchange. And then the one, too, where the kid's like, daddy, is Santa coming? And he like says under his breath of the Christmas tree. Well, daddy gets paid. <laughs> like, like you take all that abuse at work, and you still aren't sure if you're getting paid. <laughs> so oh I'm, I'm literally, I, I am literally tearing up. <laughs> yeah, you're braver than me, Nathan. I would never subject my wife to this. <laughs> well, she, she just laughed that I had watched the whole thing. I think it was funnier knowing I had already suffered in it. As we she just turned a, it on for a she second, she wouldn't have slept in the same bed with me for the next three days if I would have done that. So, There's, I think my mom. I, I think my mom. I think my wife would have rather watched pornography than watch. Yeah. This is it's mullet porn. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> On to let's on to something completely oh. different. Whoa. Um that takes the I mean, cake, Bill. So yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh. So, so, so here's the question for the panel. Would you rather sit through a marathon of the the, the magic tree or would you rather sit through this one? Oh, feeders all the way. This one. Because yeah. at least we can laugh at we can laugh at it because I can't imagine magic Christmas magic Christmas tree played itself serious. These guys couldn't have thought this was. A good movie. I don't know about I think that. They did. I think they did too, <laughs> but that doesn't matter because the that result. Makes it worse. Yeah, that does make it worse and makes it kind of funnier at the same time. So let's move on to a movie that has actors you know and the budget and a cameraman with a steady arm and uh, yeah, everything and, and, and something and, and, above a super eight camera. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there is no paper mache to be had. No paper mache to be had. This is a movie from 1992 called A Midnight Clear. I will want to mention up front that we, when we discussed this, I told everyone to watch a movie from 1992 called A Midnight Clear. Bill found a movie from 2006 called A Midnight Clear that he'll be reviewing, but he did circle <laughs> back around and also watch uh, this one. This is a movie I always felt was underrated. I saw it probably around the time that it came out. Uh, It does qualify as a Christmas movie. I will read the IMDb synopsis very quickly. This World War II psychological drama plays out at Christmas. USGIs hold an isolated cabin in the Ardennes against a handful of Germans cut out from their main force. Combat-weary and short of rations, both sides are determined to survive. Uh, The director here is Keith Gordon. Keith Gordon actually played Arnie from 
Christine, the main character from John Carpenter's Christine, which I thought was kind of cool. And he's the director of this film. It's based off a William Wharton novel. Uh, in that novel, Wharton sort of uh, alludes to the fact that this is a true story or that this did happen. Uh, if you're watching this film, you there's also some sort of similarities to an event that happened in in World War Two. This uh, World War One. This is World War Two, but World War One. There was an armistice on Christmas where the various factions were fighting, and they basically laid down their weapons. They came to a kind of uh, standstill to a, a a peace for Christmas Day, where they all agreed that hey, we'll come out, we'll have a chance to bury the bodies of our fallen soldiers. They all did that together. Then they even played uh, soccer and they hung out and you know uh, shared drinks and meals and things like that. And then of course, when Christmas was done, they went back to killing each other. Uh, there's a great movie about that called uh, Joy Noel from 2005, 2006, I think. Uh, I highly recommend that film. This one is done a little bit differently because it's more focused on the specific group of soldiers. And you, you have a uh, kind of interesting cast here. A lot of these actors that are in the film, this is some of their earliest movies. I mean, you've got uh, a very young Ethan Hawke here, and you've got Kevin Dillon, maybe one of the first times I've seen him. Gary Sinise's first movie uh, role is in this movie. He's playing a, a, a soldier named Vance Wilkins. They call him Mother, and he's sort of going through uh, the war has clearly gotten to uh vance at this point he is sort of melting down he's barely holding it together when uh he and hawk are together at the opening of this film this entire group of soldiers is basically just about the end of its line but particularly the war has been hard on mother uh you've got john c mcginley in here as a major frank whaley's in here air gross who i think of uh, from house two the second story he's in here peter berg is in here and uh all of these guys i think this is a very interesting movie because this forest that they're in it's very wintry you get the feeling of uh it, it's very ancient the area in which they are sort of ensconced these uh these this group of soldiers it has an almost surreal otherworldly feel to it the way that the snow is captured the way uh you see these soldiers making their way through the forest it's very haunting it almost creates this otherworldly sensibility to it the movie is 100 percent a drama uh in fact it kind of develops a little bit into uh uh you're not quite sure where it's going exactly but there's a melancholy sense to it because these young soldiers come up and they uh this is at the waning days of world war ii so technically uh at this point germany has lost the war essentially but this small group of soldiers out here uh come across another group of german soldiers and they uh, they're done too. They they just want to kind of be done, but they kind of want to save face. They want to they want to surrender, but they don't want it to look like they're just giving up. And so, both sides have an armistice, similar to what we talked about when they lay down uh, their weapons, and they're just going to interact with each other, and they're not going to fight. But this movie goes a little bit further because. There's a plan that arises, and I don't want to get into too much of it because this is a movie I think is, worth, is very much worth seeing, where these soldiers are trying to find a way out of it where everybody can sort of save face and not get killed at the same time because these are just the guys on the ground. All their superior officers are telling them other things <clears> to do. They've got their eye on the situation, and so they're trying to find how do we get out of this. Uh, Ethan Hawke, uh, his character recognizes that his buddy here that vance is 
you know, he's right on the edge. And so they have to be very careful with everything they do. In fact, they don't tell him a lot of what's going on. And he's sort of a wild card in the situation. So this drama does move forward. And uh, a lot of interesting things happen. Now, I would say it's not your typical war film in the sense that it's not really about action. The budget's not quite even there for that, but it's beautifully shot. It's uh, impeccably acted, I thought. I thought Sinise particularly was very good playing some of, particularly for a first-time screen presence, uh, who, who's right on the edge. I like kind of the, the the naivety that all of these characters have. They're very young, and so they feel kind of vulnerable and a little fragile. Uh, Hawk plays that angle i thought very well i like the german soldiers too they they, all these people emerge as characters and people that you do care about and that makes you invested in where the movie's going the last thing i want to say about it before i turn it over to everybody is what has always stuck with me is the way in which gordon directs the movie it keeps that feel of a fable uh, not not a fairy tale but it seems continually disconnected from reality, or purposely so, so that there's a feeling that even though there are no supernatural elements, don't don't let me uh, give you the feeling that there's anything like that in this film. But it has a feeling, even early on, from the early scenes to the last scenes, where you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that surprised if I saw something similar to this in like a Twilight Zone, you know, at a reduced time watching this i kept getting that sort of feeling that i was seeing this sort of story that exists just on the cusp of reality although it keeps being brought down to earth with very the very real toll of war and the very real toll of loss and how kind of crazy and how madness inducing war can be and it does all that without any big action scenes or with a lot of blood and gore so i i love this movie i thought it was very good I uh, I give it an eight, and I do think the Christmas element, uh, while while not uh, extensive, is is pertinent to the movie. It does matter, uh, you know, Christmas and the things it's it's supposed to stand for do play in to 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 what these characters are trying to accomplish in the movie. So, uh, how about the rest of you, Brian? What did you think of this? Well, I really like this movie, actually. I I think it had a great cast in it. And you mentioned Kevin Dillon as one of his first roles. Actually, about four years before this, he was in Platoon playing yeah. Bunny, that despicable character Bunny that bashed the uh, Vietnamese lady's head in. He was so nasty in that movie, but he was very likable in this movie. But yeah, this cast was terrific. You have Ethan Hawke, Gary Sinise, and Kevin Dillon, like you mentioned. And you slightly mentioned Peter Berg, who, after I looked this up, I realized he was in a movie I loved, The Great White Hype. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Jeff Goldblum and, yeah. yeah, A lot of great people. And then he actually went on to be more of a director as well and did a ton of stuff, including his his first movie was Very Bad Things. Yep. That really good dark comedy with... uh, Kristen Slater and Daniel Stern, tons of great actors. John Favreau, I think maybe, or yep, somebody. Yep, I don't even remember right. who was in it, but <clears throat> he also did music videos for Maroon Five. He did. He did a lot of documentaries, <laughs> <clears throat> a lot of documentaries and music documentaries, true, in videos. Somewhere anyway, along the line, Berg had been was on the slate to direct Dune, but obviously that didn't uh, that didn't ever happen. Well, I would be fine with that because everything everything he's, he's done a good looks director. Really yeah. Good. yeah, he did. He did Patriots Day. That's probably his biggest. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, with Mark Wahlberg. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. He did do that I one. I think he also did Hancock and uh, Battleship, if I'm not mistaken. He did do Hancock, yes. Yeah. And Battleship was so CGI heavy, so I don't give him much credit for that one. <laughs> but but yeah, he did. He did, he's done a lot of big budget movies. So, but yeah, I like a lot. I like this movie a lot. Like you said, it doesn't. There's not a lot of action. It's more about atmosphere. It's mostly a one location setting. Yeah. And like you said, the snow. When they're walking through the snow, we're not talking an inch of snow. We're talking three feet of snow. So it really sets a scene of this was really bad conditions for them leading up to the end of World War II. And the Christmas aspect does come into a lot because, you know, I I don't want to spoil a lot, but most of the movies about them and the relationship with those Germans you mentioned that just kind of wanted to lay their arms down. And it's kind of funny and endearing how the Germans give them a Christmas present. Yeah. (laughs) Then they, they think that they're going to throw a grenade at them and the Germans start a snowball fight. So it's kind of the, uh, it's a wonderful scene. (laughs) It is. It is. And it's, it just kind of makes it a bit of a different war movie than the usual war movie you'd see. It's more about the characters, like you mentioned and the setting where other than it's more about love and not hate. I don't hate to sound, hate to sound sappy here, but you know, it's a Christmas movie. Hey, look, they gave us sausages. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they they actually exchanged presents with the Nazis. Yeah. Like when does that when when so and it also made me it made me question my last point here and I'll turn it over to you guys. It made me wonder how many times in this period of the World War Two, leading up to the end of it, did Germans want to surrender? Because a lot of the they mentioned the SS, they were they would die to the bitter end for Hitler, but a lot of these regular German infantry were forced into action guys out in the and, middle of the wilderness freezing yeah, to death you know and if they didn't fight to the death their families would suffer back home so i could see why they wanted to surrender but they were hesitant to so i really liked the um i really liked that storyline in the movie it was a different if it's an offbeat war movie but if you like war movies like i do this is a good one to watch yeah i, I agree uh, karen what's your take on this film So war movies are typically not my genre. I don't usually like those, but this was not a typical war movie. So it did have a lot of, um, you know, it was about the characters and everything you just talked about, how heartwarming it was and everything that uh, happens up until towards the end of the movie just made it sadder for me. (laughs) This movie I was mad at um, because I, I had never seen this before. And so it didn't end the way I thought it was going to end. So I was really, I was crying in it. And so um, I did really like it. I mean, and you feel the cold that, like you said, they're walking through feet of snow. You can hear it crunching under their boots and it was beautifully shot. The forest and the scenery was gorgeous. Um, Everyone looked so young. And when I'm watching the movie, you know, you can't tell, you know, when they made the movie because it looks like it's taking place during world war two, but everybody looks like babies in it. Um, and they just spent all that time communicating with the German soldiers, trying to figure out everything that was going on. And then stuff happens. Um, and yeah, I, I was glad I didn't watch this last because <laughs> it made me really sad. Yeah. Um, and I think it's better than a war war movie where you have to sit through lots of scenes of you know people shooting and stuff like that but uh for me i don't know that i would watch it again because it would make me too sad 
And I appreciate, you know, there is an honesty to it, I think, in that way that they they don't just sort of manufacture an ending out of it. That, mm-hmm. uh, I agree with you. I I was into it so much that I wanted to see them. And there's a there's a degree of suspense because, again, like I mentioned, the Sinise character is kind of off the rails. And they're trying to look out for him, but they're also trying to not let him uh, sabotage everything incidentally. And uh, mm-hmm. and I love this movie even begins with a scream, you know, <laughs> like that yes. screaming into the into the uh, the middle of the winter day. And I that kind of uh, element to it just it adds a lot. And I'm surprised that I don't hear I, I just don't hear people talk about it very much. I don't know many people who have seen it, honestly. <laughs> I, I never heard I, of it. I, I never even heard of it. And I'm a I'm a big war movie guy. And until you brought it up, Nathan, I honestly I didn't heard of this movie. And and again, like I mentioned, Keith Gordon, he was like I always think of him from Christine, you know, yeah. as the lead in Christine. But he's done a and, few movies, but a lot of it's he's done some TV work. But he's done a couple other movies. Waking the Dead was a good movie. Mother Night. They're all, but they're all very, uh, they're very kind of understated art films, you know. Uh, he, he seemingly yeah. has never. He's done a lot of TV work. They did the singing to that, the singing detective in two thousand three, but they're movies that I feel, uh, you know, again, they sort of are what they are. Uh, and I, I think I'm glad. Is- I'm glad you brought that up, Nathan, because when I saw the name Keith Gordon directed, I recognized the name, but I I didn't put two and two together until you told me about it, and I I just absolutely love Christine. Arnie's character. Yeah. That, the movie Christine mm. to me is more not even about the car. It's about the transformation of Arnie. Yeah. And, and his story. And he kind of applies it to what he directs. He directs very emotional movies and he's a great director. I'm, I'm really glad he did this. And I was glad you brought that to my attention because. Yeah. Very good. I highly recommend mm-hmm. it. Particularly if you're listening to all these and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to do feeders. And again, Karen's warning is apt. This isn't an emotional movie, and this is this isn't necessarily going to wrap up in a feel good way the way you want it to. But I think that there's power in the way that it's done. So, um, as, yeah. And, and, and for me, as somebody with a history degree, who I knew about the 1914 Christmas truce, where the soldiers seemingly stopped, they played soccer, they they exchanged gifts, and that sort of thing. It, it kind of frustrates me because people will take away from this that it actually happened. And this is completely fictitious. Well, uh, if you read the novel, I, I was listening to the commentary, Bill, that um, that uh, Gordon and Hawk were doing together. And uh, the, according to the book that this is based off of, now this guy was saying that he, you know, this was sort of his experience. Uh, he was a different person, but he said that more or less, I'm sure it was embellished a bit, but there was no way to prove what he had said. You know, I, I think what Gordon said is when they wanted to put based on true events on the tag of this movie. But because they couldn't quite back up William Morton's novel and, and track down the guys and figure out whether they were going to get sued or not, the studio just said, we're not going to bother going into that. We're not going to try to figure it out. So we'll leave it off of the tag. So, but, um, but you could you could very well see that these type of scenarios may have happened. Yes, and yeah. not just World War One, but World War Two, like Bill was talking about. I mean, it's a it's a you know it's a movie about humanity. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're fighting, especially the Germans fighting under duress, fighting for a cause you don't believe in, why would you not try to relate to your enemies and? Put, like like Bill said, lay your guns down. 
So I think these type of things did happen. I maybe agree. They yeah. Maybe they couldn't relate it to an exact incident, but these things did happen. There's no Especially doubt about with it. with a small group like this. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, I'm not yeah. saying it's without the realm of possibility, but like I've, I have a document. I've had firsthand documents in my hand from World War One and World War Two. I have never come across this. Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but obviously it was never documented. If it was, the army buried it. And yeah, exactly. Because why would anybody, nobody would publicize this because it makes no. your soldiers look bad. You weren't fighting. Right, yeah. So kind of so, like the, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, the other actor in this film that I was happy to see was Frank Whaley. Yeah. And Frank mm-hmm. Whaley shows up in a lot of films, kind of as a side guy or something. I remember him from Vacancy uh, quite Oh yeah, movie. the one with uh, Luke Wilson. Yeah, great, great movie. And, yeah, and uh, but, Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, but he's in a lot of films, but he's just never like the love interest or the dad. He's just kind of a side guy, or he's a police officer or a journalist or something. So, uh, and he plays a priest, and and he plays a really down to earth priest in this film. In mm. in a, a way, it's it's a coming of age film. It is, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it really is. It's uh, it, it, You're not going to say it's a buddy film. That's not, like, this isn't Lethal Weapon buddy film. But this is a lot of interpersonal relationships and the group dynamic under a stressful condition. That's what this is. And and they, they literally go from 18-year-old boys who barely shave to men within a year because of the circumstance they've been placed in. There's a really touching scene where they lose their virginity that, that, you know, and it makes you think, wow. And that probably is based on reality of what happened. I'm not going to get into it. If you want to watch the film and it's not salacious, it's not sexualized, but it's done in a way that you go, Hmm, you know, that's kind of what a soldier at 18 taken from the cornfields of wherever they're from or from inner city, wherever thrown into the situation, the bonding that comes in, in that group situation. Yeah. I because like- why, why not? Because I mean, a lot of these kids were sent to war and they thought I might, I might not live past tomorrow. So live it up and, tonight. And how they do it is not so much the guys losing their virginity. It's the girl and the choice she makes. that's one of the scenes that struck me from this film. I love how Gary Sinise was kind of always on that teetering on the edge of sanity or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and and they almost had to walk around on eggshells with him because they knew he knew how to use a gun. They knew he was a good soldier at one point. They just don't know at what point he's at. So they kind of keep him out of the loop on some things because some things are automatic muscle memory that he does it in other things. But his character comes full circle at the end when, when they all say, uh, we're only doing this. If everybody agrees They go to him last and he said, I had my mind made up from the beginning. I was waiting to see your reaction. So he understands. He agrees. And and this is told in a, almost a first person narrative from Ethan Hawke's point of view. It's almost like it's written out of, out of a journal, which yeah. I thought was done fairly, because that can be done pretty schlocky or pretty ineffectively in a lot of films. It's, this one, it's done well. It's funny, because when you listen to the commentary and Hawke is talking about it, he goes, I was always kind of like upset that my voice sounds so young and so like youthful and, you know, like fresh because he feels like a, you know an older voice has some gravitas for telling the story. Yeah. But Gordon is like, now that's, you know, that's what I wanted. That's what you brought to the story. This is what these guys are, like what Bill just said. These are young guys who have never really 
tasted almost anything of life and experience. And this their experience that they're thrown into is killing other human beings and doing the best to survive in this situation for things that are on their sense of on the periphery, you know? And it's funny, like, you know, anybody who's ever lost their virginity and you're fumbling around and it's not, you, you got that sense. You were right there in that room with them. <laughs> like, like you, you literally did. I thought John McGinley came off as a complete ass and he played it perfectly. And another guy, another guy, another guy from the movie Platoon, where Kevin Dillon was in. Both yeah. these guys were in a previous war movie. And yeah. speaking of Platoon, they had the inner narrative from Charlie Sheen, kind of like Ethan Hawke did in this. Yeah, yeah, and it really did. It captured it well that it was a newbie in war, a kid scared to death, thrown into the situation. So I did like the inner monologue or narration by uh, Ethan Hawke. That was a great part of the movie. And, and, I mean, ultimately, your takeaway from this film, at least for me, was it humanizes war. Like a lot of times you get a lot of the action scenes where heads are blown off or you just get numbers of 30,000 people were killed in this battle. You don't get the reality of this can happen. These are scared kids. Right. And they don't necessarily believe in the cause, yeah. but you have to make a hair trigger literally reaction or you're not there. Well, and that's why I think it makes such a good Christmas film because it is about the the uh, the essence of what the of the, the holiday is really supposed to be about, you know, and in, in or the, at least the the essence of what I think the holiday means for a lot of people. And so, capturing that spirit, I thought the film does that quite well. And it does most of the time. War films try to tell us why war is bad by showing us the gratuitous gratuitousness of war, the tragic. Yeah. Uh, destruction that happens in war but they do it through action scenes and through the big bloody skirmishes and this movie can't uh, gets that loss across with almost none of that you know which is good acting and understated direction and uh yeah i put i put down as it's more of a story piece yeah yeah than a war movie. yeah you you're not surprised it's based off a novel no. you're less surprised no. when they mention that um that Gordon said, you know, most of the dialogue is taken directly from Morton's book, you know. And the other thing I got out of it is you can almost feel yourself in the place of these soldiers. What would you do? Yeah, that's what that's in, the in these situations. That to, that's, to that, it makes you think, you know, like, is it the best acted film? It's acted well. You know, I mean, it's not at the level of certain films. But if you can get yourself into that character's head and emotionally and mentally get yourself to where they would be at that shows the effectiveness of the film so yeah it's it's not your platoon it's not your apocalypse now it's not your uh war on the western front but it is a different take on a war film what's your rating on this one bill i give this seven and a half all right and brian how about you i say eight out of ten it's a great movie yep that's right karen i'm with bill seven and a half i think might be higher if I was more into war movies and it didn't make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it was everyone rated higher than feeders. It's so. for sure worth <laughs> yeah. wash, watching. Yes, Absolutely. It's, good, it's very different than the other movies we've covered, but I mean, I, I, did, I was trying to look for something that was a little bit different and, and a movie that doesn't get mentioned much. I don't know. Well, and uh, and as a result of this, I would be very curious to watch Yuaya Noel. Yes. Let me recommend that to anyone who's uh who hasn't seen that one? Um, Joy Noel is a very good movie, and I and it it that one is based off of the actual armistice and the truce, and it's much more about 
that uh, happening. And and Karen, you might find that one a little. It's it's still melancholy and it still has sadness to it, but it's a little less sad <laughs> than, okay. than this one. Um, and a very very good film. I recommend that one highly as well. So, and Bill, why don't you t- just briefly, if you want to, do you want to talk about the Midnight Clear film that you saw? Because it it also, I assume, was a Christmas movie. Yes, it was. And just to let everybody know that when Nathan said Midnight Clear, I found a movie called Midnight Clear from 2006. It was Christmas themed. So not realizing there's actually like four or five movies called that. I went with it because it's pretty recent. Well, it's 2006. So it's not too far off. So I, sorry. So I thought, okay, this must be the film. It's from 2006. As I said, it's called Midnight Clear. It stars Stephen Baldwin. And it has also Kirk B. Waller and uh, Kirk B.R. Waller and Kate Callan. And Kate Callan, you might remember from Knives Out. She was the um, a mother, the woman at the end, the old lady who doesn't talk. Oh, okay. That was Kay Callen. The grandma, uh, Vic- yeah. Yeah, the grandma. Victoria Jackson from Saturday Night Live. Uh, Richard Reel from Office Space and The Man from Earth. Uh, Richard Fancy, who played Lipman on Seinfeld. Like, it had a good cast. So I didn't know anything about it. So I went in absolutely blind. So the detail on that is faith comes in unexpected places. Based on the story by New York's best, New York Times best-selling author of Left Behind series, Jerry B. Jenkins. So it's based on a book. I didn't realize till afterwards that my and when I talked to my wife and I talked to Nathan that Stephen Baldwin pretty much only does Christian films now. I I didn't know that. So gone are the days that. of Biodome. Well, gone are the days of uh, Usual Suspects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but so the way it's set up is. It's Stephen Baldwin is in a custody battle and he gets fired from his job. He, you know, he, he doesn't have much money. He's late. He's not that effective at his job. His boss kind of giving him every last rope and that rope's been cut. So he's in a custody battle with his wife. He meets with lawyers. He doesn't have a place to live. He got booted out of his apartment. His car is barely hanging on. He's trying to get custody or at least visitation on his kid. And the lawyer for the wife can't have him doing that because he doesn't even have a residence to visit. And so he's really down on his luck. And it takes place on Christmas Eve. Okay. There's a youth pastor. There's an older woman. And there's a woman and a son with a disability. And there's a gas station worker. And there's multiple stories that are going on at the same time. Richard Fancy, who was from Seinfeld as Lippmann, plays a pastor with a younger pastor who's trying to spread cheer in the neighborhood. Uh, Callan is an older woman living on a pension who's just trying to get by on Christmas Eve. And she obviously has no family and is just trying to get by and survive. Uh, There's a couple whose car breaks down at a gas station and it's Christmas Eve and they can't find a garage to get the car worked on and a, and a relationship develops between the guy that owns the uh, gas station and her and her son. Cause they're trying to get back home to see dad. And 
it had the bones of a really good story. Stephen Baldwin actually, to be quite frank, plays it pretty close to the vest and does a really good job. It shows that Baldwin is still got some acting chops, where at least he did back in 2006. The problem I have with the film, and because I didn't know this going in, as the film develops, after about the halfway point, Stephen Baldwin's at his low. Uh, Kay Callan, her character's name is Eva, is, is greeted by carolers from the youth group, and she's kind of at a low because she has no family coming. The, the, the youth pastor that's taking out this group is starting to lose faith in the church because he doesn't think he's going to make a difference. And then this family, who's the, the, husband, the, the husband, the wife and the son who's trying to get back to the family, their car is broken down. Everybody's kind of at that precipice of things are going in the crapper and it's Christmas Eve. And then the overarching Christianity message comes through. Not that there's anything wrong with Christianity. I teach at a Catholic high school or a Catholic elementary school. People believe what they want to believe. I pass no judgment. Sometimes faith is good for people to get through what they need to get through. It just became a little overbearing in this film. I think the nuts and bolts of a good movie are there. I just think the direction it could have gone would have been different had someone else been the director. It, it's a bit slow moving, yet there's lots going on. I, the way I describe it is it's a Christian feel good for the last 45 minutes. But I don't, I think some of the storylines got overplayed more than others. I thought Stephen Baldwin was excellent in this role. I just don't think his storyline was given as much play as say the woman at the garage and dealing with the owner who's fixing his fixing her car for nothing on New Year's Eve. It was a strong first half, and I found the second half fell off. I gave it a 6 out of 10. It's a passable film. And for those of you who are of the Christian faith that enjoy these films, you're going to like this film. If, if that's not your thing, you will lose yourself from paying attention to this film by about halfway through. I'm glad I saw it, yes, because I really didn't have any exposure to these type of films. Uh, I'm not big on the Kirk Cameron films, or I didn't realize the Stephen Baldwin films. But I'll tell you this much. It is a good cast, and it was written well for what it was supposed to do. It just depends on if that's the message you want to hear in the film. So this is coming out in 2006, and the way you described it, Bill, I just have to ask, are they, are they going at all for like almost the feel of like a Christian version of Crash? You know, the movie that won the the Oscar in 2005? I would well, say undeservedly well, so, but it's 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 it, it's a story of interconnected stories yeah. that all get tied together at the end and the overarching belief is you go to church and it will all work out. And that's kind of how it plays out. If you're of that ilk and think that it's that's basically the you want to hear preaching to the choir. Exactly. Yeah. The, 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 the audience is built in. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the acting isn't, isn't bad. The acting actually is pretty good. Kate Callan does a great job as a pensioner elder statesman in the film. Stephen Baldwin does a good job 
Richard Fancy's not bad. Richard Real plays an interesting guy. Is I always like someone Richard who's Real. he's fun. Richard Real uh, oh. attempts to sell a gun to Stephen Baldwin because Baldwin wants to commit suicide, and he actually has the gun barrel in his mouth in his car. But I'll let you figure out how it plays out. But I think I know. <laughs> but... Yeah, but it's as I said. If it's a film where you know the message going in and that's what you're looking for, you'll get it. If that's not the type of movie that you are looking for, you will be disappointed in what it could be. I'll just leave it. That's often how I feel with these movies. Well, so Bill, you got a bonus one in there and, uh, and, and by pure happenstance, but uh, this might not be the bonus one you would have chosen, but Hey, at least it's feeders, right? Well, (laughs) it it made you feel better. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, (laughs) That's good. That's good. Uh, and then Karen got a, got one in there. So I, I have one too. I wanted to, that I was originally going back and forth about choosing. Uh, it wasn't actually a movie, but what I, uh, picked and i know that uh, karen saw it and bill and uh brian i think you saw about half of it bill i wasn't able to, to find it but this is a uh, doctor who uh which is obviously a long-standing uh british tv sci-fi show has also a long-standing tradition of doing christmas specials and particularly since doctor who came back in in 2005 in fact the very first episode of uh uh, when who came back and had Christopher Eccleston as the doctor, the uh, first episode was a Christmas episode where robot Santas were attacking everybody in the mall. So uh, from that, we, we every year, usually you would get a, uh, a doctor who Christmas special. And one of the ones I chose was from 2011. And I did so because it's relatively self-contained. It's a it, doctor who i if you aren't familiar with Doctor Who, probably all you really need to know is that he is, and sometimes she, because this character can change uh, every uh, so often in their life cycle. They are an alien, so they literally change who they look like. They actually uh, regenerate and become someone different. This basically happened out of necessity when William Hartnell, who was kind of sick playing the first Doctor, passed, and they thought, well, you know what? We'll just have him regenerate into another person. And so that's kind of, uh, that's the direction the character took and it stayed that way. So they fly around in a, basically it's a police box. They call it the TARDIS, uh, inside the giant spaceship on the outside. looks like a police box. He could travel space and time. And the doctor is sort of always popping in different places, helping various people. He always has a couple of companions, people who, uh, he, he being an alien and sort of separated from his race of, uh, uh, that live on the planet Gallifrey, he always kind of brings humans along with him. He's sort of a lonely figure in that sense. So they're always uh, human companions with each iteration of the Doctor. That's just the basic setup. This particular story sort of picks up in between seasons. Uh, what happens is the companions are on a ship that is, it's, it's almost like a, uh, a, a, a uh a cruise ship that's flying through the clouds because these clouds on this planet are so dense that essentially uh, you can sort of sail through them like the sea. And inside of these clouds are actually fish and not just fish, but sharks and every other kind of uh, sort of what would normally be sea life, but they're actually flying around inside of these clouds. These clouds are all controlled by a device on this planet that is owned by one very rich family that is now culminated to one person 
who's basically your Ebenezer Scrooge character, uh, played by Michael Gambon, uh, who at the point he was doing, this was right in the middle of playing Dumbledore in the Harry Potter films. He's uh, Kazran Sardik, and he is uh, he's just going to let the plane crash for the sheer joy of it, even though he could stop it by simply uh, turning on the machine that would then sort of uh, solidify the clouds and allow them to pass through uh, safely and land. But he's... Uh, He's a bit of a hard tack, and the doctor comes to visit him. The doctor has a time machine, and so he comes to the conclusion he's going to sort of reenact a version of the Christmas Carol, the ghosts of uh, a sense of the ghosts of Christmas past and present, because he can visit Kazran Sardik all along his timeline, and he has an inkling that maybe this man isn't as bad as he could be, and that maybe there's a point somewhere on his timeline where he was corrupted, uh, that could be possibly changed. That's that's the very basic sense of it. This all transpires in a little bit over an hour. Karen, I know you saw it. What were your thoughts about this? So I had never seen any Doctor Who episodes before, and I did not know that's how they went from actor to actor. <laughs> I, I didn't even know he was an alien, because that doesn't really It doesn't come, come up. up. I kind of threw you guys in, this... in the middle of this. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute he's an alien i just figured they would just get a new person in there that played a different character so i i didn't get that but that's cool i had no trouble following along with this one like there were little bits that i probably didn't get because i hadn't watched any of the other episodes but i loved the aspect of having those little schools of fish like just floating around on on the like the gas lights that they had on the streets so it was kind of like you were seeing victorian england but they still had spaceships so it that was cool um i really liked the little romance in the story i thought that i really liked that part of it too and i thought it was sweet the little boy wanted to save the shark even though it tried to eat him (laughs) um i wanted to go back and watch some of the other Uh, Christmas specials but I didn't have enough time to do it and now I kind of want to go back and watch the whole series at least you know I love David Tennant and I think he played the doctor in um, like a whole group before before now (laughs) this was I should mention this is Matt Smith playing the doctor here uh, who's a little different than Tennant but I really liked him too and he has a very sort of uh, whimsical attitude here which uh, helps in this particular kind of story. And I loved Michael Gambon. Uh, mm. It's always fun. Gambon's very good at playing a, a, a hard tack, but he's also very, he also can uh, demonstrate, uh, you know, a warmer, gentler side. And he's kind of doing both of those here. It's totally schmaltzy. And his is the Christmas cheese pretty thick towards the end there. Um, but I kind of loved the idea of him being able to jump in and out. Uh, he, he can take the TARDIS and travel back into Gambin's uh, memories almost instantaneously so that he's producing new yes. memories immediately. And here he's sitting and he at the opening, the, you see the way he behaves towards a family. He raises his hand to smack the boy, but he doesn't. And the doctor sees this. And there's a point when Gambin is watching an old film of when he was a child and he didn't get to see this shark and he was left in his room and suddenly the doctor is watching him watch it. And the next thing you know, the doctor is in his room 
40 years earlier or whatever. And then it goes from there and they keep playing this back and forth. And uh, that's a lot of fun. They cram a lot of stuff into about an hour and a half, but I thought it captures that if you're looking for just the pure unadulterated, cheesy, touch the heartstrings, have some fun, uh, do a new spin on the Christmas Carol. I thought this was really well done. And it has a flying shark pulling a sled through the air. No, I agree. I really liked it. And he would he, he was taking him back to literally like every Christmas, right? It was his entire childhood and then yeah, teen yeah. years. And there's another and character we haven't mentioned Christmas. that's involved in it. That if you yes. if you have HBO Max, Doctor Who is on HBO Max, and you can pull this up. And um, I'll put it in the show notes. I uh, Brian, you have pulled up what episode it was. I want to say it's in between seasons. Six, maybe? So, yeah, Ten? I'll, I'll pull that up. Um now, Brian, you got to watch about half of this, I think you said, right? I, I did only get to watch half of this. I really wish I could. I, I'm going to finish it, but I didn't get to finish it in time. But, you know, I grew up with Doctor Who. My parents, <clears throat> I was born in the mid-70s, so my parents were big sci-fi fans. They took me to a lot of movies. They showed me a lot of sci-fi. And we watched Doctor Who. And I don't remember, it was the one, the guy that always wore the, uh, the coat and the scarf. It might've been Tom Baker. I'm Tom Baker. Positive. Yep. With the right. Yeah. It looks like somebody's grandmother. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that, that's the episodes I watched when I was a kid and I Me don't know too. if they were re- reruns or if they aired live, but we watched a ton of those in the eighties, mostly early eighties. And I fell in love with Dr. Who back then, but then I kind of abandoned it. I don't know why, not because I didn't like it, but, I picked it back up maybe five years ago and I watched and what I like about these episodes are a lot of the episodes are, of course they have an ongoing storyline, but a lot of episodes are self-containing yes. kind of like a twilight zone. So you can pick it up and watch an episode here or there and be fine with it. Kind of like Karen said, she hadn't watched any, but she loved this one. So, and I really love, love, love Matt Smith. Yeah. In my opinion, and I don't have much to compare to besides Tom Baker, but I know there's been like 13 Doctor Who's at this point, but man, Matt Smith is terrific. This guy is so charismatic. He steals the presence of a scene. I mean, he's amazing. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen Last Night in Soho that he was just in, and he was really good in that movie. But even more so, Nathan, I know you're a Star Wars fan. He he had a big part in um, Episode Nine of star wars but all his stuff was cut out for real yes oh you didn't know that no matt smith yeah look this up and you can actually i don't know whether to be happy for him or not (laughs) oh i'm mad because he was supposed to be the emperor's right hand man when uh they went to the temple you know on on exegol exegol yes yeah when they went to exegol he was kind of the emperor's right-hand man, the guy that helped him kind of recreate the emperor's physical self. And there was a big storyline with Matt Smith, and I was really excited about that going to the movie. And then I came to find out that he had 30 minutes of footage cut out. Wow. And I was so disappointed because he really captured... He, he, Matt Smith has a great presence on screen. He, in my opinion... He's the best Doctor Who. But don't worry, Brian, because they kept all that footage of people riding horses on the side of a spaceship. Yep. Well, they needed that. Apparently, that was better than Matt Smith's role. So, <laughs> so. but anyway, yeah, I really liked him in this opening part of the episode. And I agree with you guys. Michael Gambon, man, 
he got a lot of backlash when he took over as Dumbledore in the Harry Potter series after the first two movies because the um, Dumbledore actor had died. Yeah, Richard Michael Harris Gambit. passed. Yeah, and Richard Harris, I mean, he was an amazing Dumbledore. Don't get me wrong, but... I like Gambit we, we, better we, a little. We, we didn't have a choice. He yeah. passed away, and I am totally with you because as the Harry Potter series moved on, Michael Gambon kind of... I think he more embraced the role of not such a strict person, yeah. but more of a sympathetic Dumbledore to Harry Potter. And I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Harris and looked I, like Gandalf, but yeah. but but uh, like, Gambon sort of embraces the the way Gandalf was in the actual books, you know, books, uh, yes. the Lord and, of the Rings books. And I'm, I'm specifically and, saying Gandalf, not Dumbledore. Uh, yeah, purpose, Ga- guys. Yeah, Just don't yeah. no hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, I did. I read the Harry Potter books two. I read the entire series two times. And I'm gonna give a big shout out real fast here to uh, Wesley Jones in the LOTC group. They just had put out a uh, episode about Harry Potter on Real Talk. They, yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, Real Talk. Oh, and, cool. And they mentioned and they had a big talking point about Harris versus Gambon's acting, and I agree with them. Gambon is terrific. And right when this episode started, I noticed Michael Gambon was in this and i'm like oh man this is gonna be a great episode so i can't wait to finish it i wish i could have finished it so i can comment more on it so i'm just commenting on the acting itself i mean matt smith michael gamden do we need to say more this is a must watch <laughs> it's, it's just fun and i recommend i do recommend the show i will say this you know i've kind of gone off of it uh is they've continued writing it it's sort of uh i guess there's only so many places you can go and um jody whitaker is the doctor now and I have no problem with her yeah. or her her uh, presentation of the doctor, but the storylines have kind of gone off the rails, and I've had a hard time like following with it. So I'll probably catch up with with uh, that eventually, but I haven't I haven't kept up too much. Even Peter Capaldi, I enjoyed him as a doctor too, but the storylines were also just a little weak for me in that period of time. So I've seen bits and pieces of all of that, but I faithfully kind of watched through when, when uh, it was uh, Eccleston only had one season, but he's cool too, in a different way. He's a, he's a little more of a harder edged doctor. And then you get uh, David Tennant who has the darkness, but also was very charming. And then Matt Smith becomes much more sort of whimsical and, and mm-hmm. childlike. And yeah, Ma- well, I mean, I, I, Matt Smith is so good. I mean, I'm gonna let you guys talk because I didn't finish the episode. I just want to really emphasize how great Matt, Matt Smith is. He is tremendous in this. He's so charismatic and just so so great. Oh, he definitely was. Yeah, I agree. See, I didn't see this. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I have to admit, I wasn't a very big Doctor Who fan growing up just because in our in our house it wasn't watched. Like, it just wasn't. But I know that I did see a lot of them growing up with uh, Tom Baker. And also... Prior to that, I saw a whack of them with John Pertwee. Yeah, yeah. As Doctor Who, uh, the guy who was in a bunch of the Carry On films. I and I always just ask my friends that are my age, "Did you watch uh, the brown-haired one or the white-haired one? Which one was your, <laughs> the brown, which was right, your guy?" Right. And I remember watching them. And so, I remember for on Land of the Creeps, one of the time travel episodes, I watched one of the later Doctor Who movies. The one with everybody uh, says the everybody says the one you watched was the bad one. <laughs> did you watch the one with peter cushing and the daleks no oh you did no. see the bad one you probably saw the one with eric roberts as the master yes, yes. Oh, i'm sorry yes. for I, you 
Yeah, so I was like, what's the big deal? This isn't that great. Why is everything? No, like, it's the American version. It's like the level of a sci-fi chant. It has almost nothing in common, but they've kept it canon because uh, we, the, the doctor that he becomes after that iteration is John Hurt. And John, they did a whole, uh, it's one point in the Matt Smith run, Matt Smith and David Tennant and John Hurt all show up as various iterations of the doctor and they're all working together uh, to see if they can't, uh, protect uh, Gallifrey from being destroyed. So it's like, uh, and then you know who shows up in that episode, uh, Brian, is Tom Baker at the very end, has a small oh, cameo. That's awesome. It came out in like 2013 <laughs> or something. It was very cool. I see. I like oh, Tom nice. Baker. He was in a movie called The Mutations. Yeah. Yeah. With, which is a, actually not a bad film. But I had posted in the group on the 11th of December an article saying that British Doctor Who is dead but perhaps not for long. So I guess they're getting rid of the girl that's currently. I don't know. If they're getting, I think that it was talking more about the quality or the, or the response that people have had to the doctor, as opposed to it actually being, I haven't heard of it being absolutely canceled, but I know that it is taking quite a dip. Uh, and again, I do not blame uh, Jody Whitaker. I don't think that they have done a very good job of, of, of figuring out who the doctor is in that current iteration. And that was happening even a little bit earlier with Capaldi in my sense. But I think that's what the article is about is sort of, it's just sort of falling apart. To quote the article, Doctor Who is dead, but perhaps not for long by Peter Pischke, December 10th, 2021 in the federalist.com. It says Doctor Who is dead. Ratings have not been this low since the more bound 1980s. Fan interest is zilch. Yeah, so it's, it's sort of like their opinion, but it's uh, it's not as interesting when it says, I think Doctor Who is dead, right? <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I, didn't, I didn't know if that meant that the BBC was going to rejig it or she was uh, going to be fired or... I don't, I don't, I don't know. really know, but lots of fun Christmas episodes. During the Capaldi run, um, Nick Frost shows up as Santa Claus. I'll just leave it oh, there. Wow. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, he does. Oh, wow. He does. So um, lots of fun ones there. Uh and that's hey, that's kind of uh, unless you guys want to mention anything else. That's I think we've I think we've covered every movie we set out to talk about. <laughs> and, 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 and I think this might be the record. This is this longer than any, any one of the X Files ones. Oh, I don't know yet. What do we got? We have about two hours. We have two hours at four hours. I think the X. Yeah, it will. When we edit it, who knows? I don't know, but uh, probably close. So it's probably well, it's a good one. <clears throat> well, you want to make it longer? I'll bring up something like. Uh, an obscure thing, Star Wars Holiday Special. The I know 1977. Me and, me and, yeah, <laughs> 1978. Me and Nathan threw that around like, well, should we talk about it? I don't know. Maybe we have too many cheesy things like feeders, too, to talk about. So, But the Star Wars Holiday Special was an event when it came out. And um, I'll throw one more out there, if you don't mind. Uh, Treevenge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just saw this the other day for the first time. It's only 16 minutes, and Oh, wow. There, there is a baby head stomp in this. Oh show. man! I mean, this is brutal. This is as brutal as I guess. Just those words, "baby head stomp," yeah. is, is enough. Yeah, to, what Karen did. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's an, it's enough to either make you not want to watch it or make you want to run and watch it. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> and then, I mean, we got to throw out "Silent Night, Deadly Night" one and two. No, why not three, four, and five? No, well, look, can we skip? Can we please skip those ones? I don't know. And, I, um, I always like. I, I would like to throw out Ernest Saves Christmas. I like. Oh, Ernest that's a Saves great Christmas. one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. 
And then Rare Exports is a good one. Love it. And, mm. uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And that Tales from the Crypt 1972 episode, All Through the House, was a good yeah. one. And then can I ask our listeners one question? <clears throat> and maybe you guys can answer this for me. A few years ago, I watched this weird, obscure horror Christmas movie where um, somebody, it started out real bad, real bad, where he castrated a couple people. And you're like, okay, this is really bad. But then it turns into a home invasion, and it turns out there's this woman that has somebody trapped in the basement that needs a, uh, uh, I'm trying to keep it PG here, uh, like a penis, like um, um, operation, like replacement. And the killer is, re- uh, uh, spoiler here, is revealed that has a bag of dicks. Uh, I don't know how much <laughs> more or less blunt to put it here. And what movie is what? this? Because because I, I still can't. I can't. I've never heard of this. No, I can't remember. I can't remember what movie this is. So the whole point was when was killer, it? Was this newer or? Yeah, it, 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 it is newer. It's probably in the past ten years. I, I am going to Google bag of dicks. Jesus. <laughs> I, wow. I, I, that, no, that's funny you say that, Bill. That's exactly what I typed in. I typed ba- bag of dicks Christmas horror, and I still couldn't find it. But mm. it's it's actually kind of. It gets, starts out cheesy because you don't know what's going That's on. That's what like, Santa has in his sla- his sack. Yeah, and in the end, the, uh, like I said, spoiler because I don't know any other way to reveal it to try to figure out what this is. But yeah, the killer has a bag of dicks, and they try to the the mother or grandmother it's in this through house. the house twenty fifteen. See, that's why I thought. Then I kept looking it up, and I kept pulling up other things. Hey, okay, so it is hey, here's what IMDB says. That's all I'm going to say. A violent killer is hiding behind a grisly Santa mask, leaving a bloody trail of slaughtered women and castrated men to the steps of the Garrett house. If there's another movie about Santa castrating okay, men. I, <laughs> I, kept, I kept thinking it was all through the house, but then it kept pulling up other things. Okay, so if anybody's seen this movie, uh, I'm telling you, it's it starts out bad, but it actually gets really good in the end. It gets really weird in the end. So I'll I'll reluctantly suggest that one. I guess I don't know if I rewatch it. I'm oh might be gross! Really bad, but the yeah. uh, cover art has Santa with this giant with uh with like uh, head shears covered in blood on the yeah, cover. Yeah, it, it's it's really weird. It's really snip, bad. Snip. It's really weird. But it's a fun one. It's a fun one. I mean, we're not going to put this in my top twenty Christmas horror, but it's worth a watch. Bag of now, Dick. Does Bag of Dick say it all? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a couple. Um, we can, we're not getting into the Die Hard is it a Christmas movie debate, but one that never gets brings up that I love, and you can debate whether it's a Christmas movie, but there is a Christmas element is Trading Places. Yes, definitely, that has a Christmas element. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, That's when, a Christmas movie. When Dan Aykroyd. Pulls that piece of ham out of his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. For sure. The other one is one that I just reviewed on Land of the Creeps, which you guys can listen to whenever that comes out, is Santa Claus versus the Devil or 1959 Santa Claus. And I know Nathan has seen it. Yes, I have. It's a, a Mexican film. Nathan, Nathan, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, we, we all saw feeders, so you know. <laughs> it's it's fantasy slash comedy slash uh, slash trash. Uh, yeah, <laughs> slash family slash, slash hot garbage. 
Now, now the one I haven't seen, which you guys might have, did anybody here see a very Harold and Kumar Christmas? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, How yeah. was that? About eh. like the first three. I mean, yeah. good. I mean, it's worth a... It, it, was, I mean, it was what it was. Take, like, take, your, take your edibles, sit back, and enjoy it. <laughs> it was definitely go over that same kind of feeling that I that I mean, not the same audience, but the the Ernest Saves Christmas. It was had it was trying to replicate more of an of what those eighties Christmas movies were like. You know, I think yeah. um, is what it was headed I mean, for. I they, thought it was I mean, fine. They go on a road trip to White Castle. They go to Guantanamo Bay, and why not? Have a Christmas one. And know? there's stop motion in it, too. So there's, yep. there's that. Yep. The one I want to review next year is have everybody back and review uh, a, a movie called Bloodbeat that I haven't seen yet, but I'm hoping to watch here before Christmas actually hits. Where I, I've heard of that, yes. Yeah, the couple goes to a house or something at Christmas time, and the uh, the mother in the house is possessed by a... Uh, ancient samurai armor that takes her over and then she just starts murdering people. Mm-hmm. So it sounds who pretty star, Who stars in that? Who stars in that? Um, samurai armor and people. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, Samurai like- armor is cool because it like has this like, uh, they have that really cheesy special effect where it's like an animated outline and then all inside where the armor should be. It's just like, Weird staticky squiggles, and there's a guy screaming as it like comes through the wall. I thought okay. there'd be like a a young Brooke Shields or a young Sybil. No, Shepherd no, no, young age no. Jason Alexander or Fisher Stevens <laughs> or anything like that. No, yeah, no, no Holly Hunter or Kevin Bacon. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, blood Bloodbeat. Uh, as we speak right now, is recording. Kevin Freeman on the Land of the Creeps group just posted Bloodbeat. Watching this one, and there's four comments under it, and. Basically, it's about what you said. <laughs> oh, well shot. Ooh, um, you know, a deep cut. So I don't know what to say about it, but Kevin Freeman, he's a man to go to on that one. Did you Freeman's say ball like shot? Ball, no, no. <laughs> I think no, another uh, movie, another Christmas film? Like, no. no, sorry. Maybe I had a couple too many drinks. Blood beat. Uh, oh, blood, okay. blood beat. Blood beat. Isn't that what you said? Blood yeah, beat. Yeah, yeah. I said yeah. I thought you said that one of the comments said another ball shot. And I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> they they may you have. said a deep cut. A deep cut, said yeah. deep cut right afterwards. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just skimming through the comments. But, yeah, Kevin Freeman just posted about that. Fun. I will try. It is on, I believe it's on Tubi. So, <laughs> it, yeah, I think I, after you mentioned it, I think it came up as a suggestion for Your me. Was listening. <laughs> yeah, um, my phone was listening. All right. Now, now I was going to say one series of films nobody's mentioned, and I haven't seen them, so I'll be up to you guys. There's got to be a Muppets Christmas special. There well, is with John Denver. Yeah, John Denver. And of course, there was a Muppets Christmas Carol, the actual movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's probably been some more since then, but the, the John Denver one's so great. And they go to Fraggle Rock at one point and visit the Fraggles. And I love Emmett Otter's Jug, Jug Band, Band Christmas. Christmas. Yes. That's a great one, mm. too. And for me, the Lord of the Rings movies are always Christmas movies because they yeah. came out at Christmas. So yeah. I usually do watch those. Every Christmas, and I have to bring up the X Files episode, um, how the ghosts stole Christmas, the one with Lily Tomlin and Ed Asner. Yes. That's a really great Christmas episode. And um, Supernatural has a couple good ones. That very supernatural yes. Christmas episode. That one's really good with the 
Auntie Claus. Yeah, um, the, who, they think the guy's a bell snickle, but it's just like yeah. really like <laughs> bad hygiene Santa or something. Yep. <laughs> And then um, the Festivus episode on Seinfeld. I have to watch oh, that. Yes. Feats with, of strength. Um, Feats yeah, of strength. I still celebrate Festivus every year. <laughs> yeah, and that one's on HBO Max right now. HBO Max has a great array of Christmas stuff. And yeah, they oh, that, do they? Yeah, they have that Seinfeld episode um, highlighted on there. And they're back on Netflix now, so Seinfeld. Oh, they are too. Um, yeah, you can see that on Netflix too. Uh, the last one I'll mention is a Christmas horror I reviewed last year called Red Christmas. I with love D, it with, with D Wallace. That's a rough one. <laughs> it's it's actually not that bad. It's a lower budget. No, 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 it's, not, it's not rough in in its makeup. It's a it's kind of a rough like it's it's like a rough story. Like yeah, yeah. D Wallace yeah, a- D Wallace produces and put money into it and started into it, which surprised me because the subject matter, like Bill said, yeah. Bill's dead on on this. This has a very rough subject matter i mean so let's end on that positive note. <laughs> i want to throw one more out uh, hey you, you brought it up bill not me <laughs> that's very true yeah tales from the dark side i had a fun christmas episode um oh, i think yeah. it's called seasons of belief with uh, uh eg marshall actually and because uh, we were just watching um we were watching national lampoons and he's the yeah, i think he's clark's uh, father-in-law who's always just like staring at him with the beady disapproving eyes and uh and uh, he's in this one, and they are telling their kids a story of the Grither, and it's you know it's a whole uh, twisted Christmas tale. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. Uh, I remember the, I just remember the end of it, and the little girl saying it wasn't Santa Claus, and you know that you know parents... Tales from the Dark Side. While it was low budget, I grew up in the eighties watching. Yeah, it was... I, I couldn't, I couldn't wait every week. And that opening, the opening credits of Tales from the Dark Side is one of the. One of the creepiest opening credits of any oh, show I ever. Love it. With it's the so dark forest. And, right. It, it's like clearly they're just out there yeah. with a camera taping it, but then they, they they do the inverted photography and everything on it. Yes, so. yes. It is so creepy. And a movie that I'm going to finish with gets a 1.4 rating on IMDb. That's about as low as I think you can get. It's one that I threw out there to Nathan, and he said, hell no. <laughs> this is Kirk Cameron saving Christmas. Why are we and why are we finishing with that? Isn't now I gotta that think lower of something than else. Peters too? I, yeah, I can Peters see that. Too higher? <laughs> yeah, Kirk Cameron went very religious later in his career, so I'm assuming it relates to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Here, here's what it says: His annual Christmas party falters thanks to his cynical brother-in-law. Former Growing Pain star Kirk Cameron attempts to save the day by showing him that Jesus Christ remains a crucial component of the over-commercialized holiday. Oh, boy. So we're talking like a uh, paid programming uh, in your face. It's a crummy commercial. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Again, no aspersions on if you... Are Christian? No. That's not what we're doing. We're just saying there's better ways to portray it. And if you're Christian, him. you probably don't like that either. So yeah, uh, if you're you're probably insulted. I don't think. I mean, honestly, yeah, no, uh, no thanks and no thanks. Um, so uh, wrapping this up, I just to everybody out there who's listening, uh, regardless of what holiday you celebrate, uh, have a great one. Enjoy uh, enjoy time with the family and. Merry Christmas to everybody. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If there's any things that we mentioned that you love to, to, to see us cover uh, next year for Christmas or to uh, comment upon, 
please let us know. You can send us a message at phantomcasts at gmail.com. Uh, Karen, Brian, thanks so much for coming back and, and joining us. And as always, you're welcome back anytime. This was a lot of fun. So fun that we ran twice as long as usual. But I knew that when we all decided to do two movies and one of them ended up being feeders too. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I was just about to say, guys, um, I'm so honored to be on here. And Nathan, Bill, and Karen, thank you so much for having me on. Nobody wants to hear me babble on even more. But I'm just going to say this right now. Big announcement. I'm starting a new podcast. And we're going to talk about feeders one, two, and three. Is it just feeders, the podcast? <laughs> exactly. that, that's, what, that's what it's going to be called. We're breaking, breaking down feeders. Uh, I'm in. I'm yeah. in. He has, he has exclusive interviews with the director and his family. Yeah. The thing exactly. is, I can't not because I'm so, I'm so like, uh, I'm so compelled by the idea that that can even happen. But yes, I will have to be there too. <laughs> and he has an exclusive with the artistic director of that film. Yep. Here's the guy that sold us the supplies. Here's the here's the real lady, retail lady at Dollar Tree that sold us all our supplies. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to say honestly, whether you celebrate Christmas, whether you uh, celebrate Kwanzaa, whether you're Hanukkah, whether it's the winter solstice, or really if you're agnostic and you just want some time with your family, especially given everything going on in the world, please celebrate safely. I hope everybody's doing well. Have a pop if that's what you want. Enjoy some turkeys, time with the family. And from the bottom of my heart, I hope everybody has a really good holiday. And by the time this comes out, even if Christmas is done, Enjoy the holiday. Bill, don't jinx us. <laughs> oh, that's true. Come I'll back to us and join the Facebook group, which I just yeah. checked is just it's at two hundred and ninety nine people. Or one. So you could be three hundred, and you know what you get. Uh, the the three hundredth person on Facebook will get an official link to Feeders Two from Bill. We'll send it to your <laughs> message box and an autographed. VHS copy. You will actually too. save that message. You can say Bill Van Bagel, the the head of Tubi TV, sent me a link to Feeders Two directly. The, the VHS box found at my local Saint Vincent de Paul is coming right to you. Yes, yeah. Exactly. I want to hear if somebody watches Feeders Two. I want me them too. to post yes, what their Let's their opinions. <laughs> yeah, let us know I, I, what you thought about feeders too, and I, I, I gotta say thank you for having me on too, and happy holidays. I, I want the Facebook group to be filled with reviews of the Feeder. Magic Christmas Tree and feeders too. Yep. And if you want to watch some of those good movies we talked about, you could do that too. Um, yeah. <laughs> but why bother, right? Um, yeah. Karen, uh, do you have anything that you wanted to mention or anywhere you wanted to direct everyone uh, they can find you? Um, I, uh, you can find me on Facebook in either the phantom galaxy group or the LOTC group. And, um, hopefully I'll be back to talk season four of the X files, which is right in the middle of the best season. I so know we're going to have to, I, we're doing it. We're, it's happening. I want to get through all of them. Honestly, I keep getting excited as I get through. I'm, I'm halfway through four right now. So me too. Uh, and Brian, how about you? Anything? Uh, other than your well, upcoming you know, feeders podcast, is there yeah, anything? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be working hard on that. I'm going to do a lot of research. I'm going to yeah. put a lot of effort in this feeders podcast. But other than that, horror movie fanboy on Twitter. I have a lot of Twitter followers, and I follow everybody else. And I love talking 
horror movies and all podcasts on there. And Brian, and, if you actually did start a podcast, even if it was fe- about feeders, I would listen to it. I, did. I got really <laughs> I excited t- oh, I when you started talking that you were started a podcast. And then- <laughs> Me too. Feeders too. The first episode, feeders yes, two. Feeders. We're gonna really, we're gonna we're gonna champion feeders three upcoming. Still, but feeders how- three still feeding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when you announced that, I got excited. I'm like, oh, there's another one I can t- check off my list. <laughs> right. Well, you guys will be the. If it happens, you'll be the first guest. Guys. Inaugur- yeah. Awesome. But uh, Karen's my good buddy in the Land of the Creeps group. Land of the Creeps is the greatest podcast. Bill's on there. And we love that. We love Phantom Galaxy Facebook group. And I don't want to forget Father and Son, the first podcast I was ever on. Matt Matt, and uh, Jackson are amazing. Now, Matt, Matt, Matt and Jackson, if you're listening, I don't, don't watch theaters. I implore <laughs> no. you. Watch it. Watch. <laughs> no. I want Jackson to bring it up in one of his university courses. No, he'll just and sell, have them he'll, watch this film. I do Matt, want make him to watch do- that. I think Matt will get hurt if he watches it, but I think uh, <laughs> Matt will just be oh, like, like oh, yeah. they might disown us. He'll guys. be stammering like Dara McGavin when the lamp got broken. We'll never uh, be asked to lamp goes guest down. again after that. Well, we'll put it this way: when Matt is crying, if his Kentucky Wildcats lose one of their basketball games, he'll pick get a pick me up watching feeders too. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Oh man! But I yeah, that's wonder if you it. aren't actually I getting mean, money from this somehow, Bill. I just I literally found it by fluke. I don't know about that. He, We're gonna realize that, like the 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 director, <laughs> his like his actual like name is like given name is something something Van Bagel. It's like his yeah. <laughs> I, I'm on, I'm on the Polonia pace pace bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Well, everyone. Have a have a happy, happy holiday. Take care. And this is the Phantom Galaxy signing out. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop. A lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at AriesBeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.